Screens, right screen. Yeah, this was Skin Deep featuring Elias and Rico Blocks. Fair warning. Wow, that's one of my favorites. Yo, that shit is bars, bars. Like, like that might be one of my most lyrical shit because Elias is such a fucking monster. Like, forget it, bro. What's <laughs> wild to me, just as we start this, Chris, keep this in, is that like when we last talked, I don't think I knew what a Skin Deep was. So y'all would have like brought this through and now I've been in Skin Deep's crib and like seen the toys and everything. So it's like this idea of like seeing these names again and revisiting it is just wildly different to think about the framing of what a Rico Blocks is in the context of life compared to um, last one. And I bring that up because from my perspective, last November, there were like three interviews that seemed to catch like this, this state of like interest with people and Rico Blocks' interview is definitely one of them. I do not remember if you were before tech or after tech in this moment, but whichever order it came, you and Tech Luciano's interviews did a lot for the local scene and it really like I don't know, I haven't stopped. <laughs> it's been pretty simple to book people since yeah, so you've been on a heavy grind, yeah man. Like and, and I appreciate it. Like dude, I got a lot of positive feedback from that interview because like, you know, touching the mental health stuff and the stuff that we touched on, like you know, I got a lot of positive feedback from that. And so, like, it was great. And, you know, I was just building back up for the comeback. So it was a great open door to be like, hey, if you never heard of me, you're not from that era, cool. Like, now you you get to know me. And a lot of the people who jumped on there start at a starting point where it's like, you're getting to know me before you even get to know the music. So you might connect with the music harder. So, you know, all more props to you. What you've done since has been amazing. Like, dude, the people you've interviewed, like the homies, like, dog, nah, like it feels so good to see people like Skinny get their love because, man, quiet is kept. Skinny is such a staple of the Montreal hip hop scene. He's incredible. And yet his name, it's like, unless you're running in those circles, his name's not just getting thrown around there. And you're like, well, dude, that motherfucker right there has put on more for the hip hop scene than most. Like, and, and he's connected to everybody because he's that kind of dude you know he's a social dude he's good at at building those bridges you know for pun intended but like you know what i mean like at the end of the day he and so but even you know him tech uh the, the jada bill interview the carleon brown interview like man carly's my Carl's my man like dude that man showed me love from day one like the, the list of people you interviewed is there's so many people that i have so much love for so watching them get love when I'm not seeing other Montreal hip-hop media interview them and get their stories and get familiar with them. And even when they do, it's like, hey, come on the show. Oh, you got a new project? What's that called? Okay, cool. Drop a freestyle. Ah, oh, boom. Okay, it's done. Like, you go, you went in deep. You gave them a platform. You know what I mean? So, more power to you, man. I mean, I, on the other hand, I also don't want to invade those guys' space. Because shout out everyone for doing that. If you are trying to promo your new project, oh boy, that's a percentage of what's gonna happen <laughs> um but no for real like just on the subject of skin deep man, his beats is wonderful y'all can hit him up and cop some stuff the guy is just an incredible worker and shout out everything he's doing in the podcast sphere as well i'm i'm we oh, yeah. might be in the 10th position on the cult montreal list but skinny's in the sixth position with that geektastic cypher so we both top 10 uh podcasters and whatnot oh yeah but let me say this for skin deep for meticulous for all these producers vincent price y'all buy beats 
stop. I know a lot of rappers like to hit up dudes. You do it the right way because you went and got the free beats that, that were meant to be free. You Yo, just to make it clear, uh, I spoke to every one of these people ahead of time and we worked out exactly. like it was agreed upon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I love what you did because instead of being like, oh, I want free beats, like you took an approach that most people would have been scared to because it's like, oh, I want that beat to be mine. I want this. I want that. Like it's it's all mm. you went in another route and went and put light on beats that maybe nobody would have ever heard because they would have been sitting there on whatever platform they were. Right. And to but be to clear, all the rappers I, out there, I did actually, I did buy a Vince Price beat for this track I have coming with Lorelai that when we get it out, it's going to slap because like when you hear that beat, pay the man, don't wait because you really don't, you want that exclusivity. All these beats, right? the thing about all these beats with the exception of one of the dudes um, is that anyone can use those beats. They're, they're there. And that was kind of like how, actually Vince Price was like, yo, hold in. When do I get a project? I'm like, say word. This is not what I was expecting. <laughs> the oh, shout out to Lorelai that you mentioned her. You know, shout out to Lorelai. Like, me and her had a nice banger last year. <laughs> yeah, man. That, that Never Alone joint was dope. Like, so, you know, mad love to her, too. But, yeah, man, it, it, the project's like, like, I've told you this in private, right? It's like, it's not, I can't even say, like, I'm, I've skimmed through the projects because the off the top, the dome shit, like, the type of person I am when I listen to music, like, I need bars, like, bars, bars. I need, like, I listen to the bar gods, like, Royce, like, you know, I, like, Mickey Fax. Like, I am, so like, I'm, the least out of Montreal. I'm the least bars no. guy. <laughs> Here's what I will say. So, while it's a little all over the place, there's bars in there. And the fact that there's bars in there from some off the top of the dome shit deserves props. Because, like I said, I may not, I might skim through it, but, like, it's like, okay, I, I'll be honest with you, like, the, 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 the pickle chips joint. <laughs> like, that wasn't my joint, right? Like, that wasn't my joint. I don't joint. know how that like, happened. I was like, why is Mandarin talking about pickle chips? Like, I mean, how's this a song? But you always approach it with a level of authenticity that even if it's not your cup of tea, you can, you can appreciate it because there's a level of authenticity whenever you touch something. And that's where I give you all the props for it. And that's, the reason why I'll check out something where I know it's like, oh, it's going to be all off the top. Like, I don't want to hear this. But if it's you, I know there's an authenticity there. You you show people you doing this shit while recording it, like live. Like, you, you streamed it. Like, there's you could see the work being put in, even if it's off the top, top of the dome. It's not so haphazard and just random. There's something there. You still hit it conceptually on some random shit. Like, not everybody can do that, bro. I listen. I, I'd like to think I'm a good freestyler, but I don't think I'll ever record a project that's like off the top of the dome. Like I would be so self conscious about it. Like, dude, I just did a cipher with 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 Monkey and Funk Low and a bunch of people at Jerry Park, and like I haven't been ciphering and off the top of the dome freestyles in a long time. So like I felt the rust. Like I'm sitting there like you know, I'm watching the rap the next to like, Monkey. Like, monkey Jesus. makes you feel like you can't rap. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I've been, me and monkey been doing this, the, the Pizza's Park thing at my hometown park, right, for the last four weeks. And so all we do is, like, you know, freestyle and rap for the kids. And it's like, I watch this man go and go and go. And I'm sitting there like, yo, I might need to bow out for a minute. <laughs> like, 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 I was like, yo, it's putting me to shame, bro. And I, I'm freestyling and I'm messing up words and I'm repeating myself sometimes. I'm catching myself and this man is 
like but flawless you would think it's written but he's literally pointing out shit in the crowd right in front of you as it's happening there's yeah. a section in the last two weeks that he did this we we know this dude vlad seven star who's like a crump dancer really really super fucking dope and so vlad and his crew are crumping and monkey's literally freestyle is like you know it's like in the sense like he'd be like yo uh Heartbeat. I'll touch my. So Vlad is literally physically doing everything Monkey is telling him to do. Yeah, that's some and wild so shit. All like between the freestyle being improvised and the dancing being improvised, you're like, holy shit! Like the level, and you know, like I think at one point in my career I was on that note because all I did was freestyle all the time. Like the bat, the annoying part of having friends that don't rap is everybody's like, you know, put on a beat, put on a beat. They want to show. It's like I'd be in the car with my friend, meet somebody else, and be like, "Yo, put on a beat. You got a rapper. Loose me to start freestyle." So like, my pen was sharp, but my freestyle skills, because I was always being put on the spot. Now, I mean, it's been like eight years since I've done any freestyling. Like, I'm not freestyling at home on my own. Maybe sometimes in the car when I'm vibing, listening to beats. But like, you know, my friend Pat like would do that to me like I was a machine. Like, like at one point I joked, I was like, "Yo, my circus act like." We pull up somewhere and he throws on a beat. It's like, okay, go. And to I'm be like, fair, that's, that's probably like excellent chill. marketing, all things considered. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, it got annoying. But I didn't realize it until later how much it sharpened me because I could go anywhere and just rap like and anything, any beat, any time, any style. It didn't matter. But you gotta always practice like freestyling off the top of the dome is something you 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 want to be sharp you got to do that shit every day you skip a day it's like working out bro like if you You skip days big facts you don't get your games you know what i mean you're not you're not doing what you got to do unless you do it every fucking day but putting yourself in the situation to be on the spot freestyle like i I can do it much better if i take my time like that's that's why i go back to that thing we were saying earlier before we got on the live the jay-z like he doesn't write his rhymes I can see you right now. Like the other day, I was at the cipher, and I was like, "Huh, cipher, strike ya, like a viper. Rappers come at me, get more shots than Pfizer." Like, but that was just shit. I was like, you know, in thirty seconds, I'm coming up with it. Now, if I spend more time on it, I could fucking write that down and make it a verse. Or when the cipher comes, I gotta open and bar. Because I mean, I think that's when it comes to cipher and freestyling, you're opening bars everything. Well, once once you let that one go. The first bullet in the clip goes. The rest yeah, it's so like out. it's so hot. That whole concept is like the strangest part for me. Cause like for me, a lot of my desire to improve at freestyling came from like, yo, I run from like my whole life until I meet Monkey and then my end of the week Quebec's fucking barbecue last summer. And then I'm watching him in the cipher and I'm like, yo, it sounds like like literally track level bars coming out of people's mouth. You right. see, I met Cool Man Logan that day. Now he's rapping in my face. I, I'd seen end of the week doing this on their Zoom call and hearing these people ripping. And I'm like, yo, like, I could write a song. I'm very comfortable with my ability to sit there and put poetry on paper and make it work. But this whole punchline setup thing, that I am so garbage at that I just do everything else. Like, I don't really punchline very well. So that whole, like, setup shit, bro, I'm sitting there in ciphers, and I'm like, I just have, I'm not going to sound anything like the rest of these cats. (laughs) But you know what it is? Like, for me, it's like my brain works like I studied the dictionary. Like, all these words are there. So, like, 
the setup, the setup and the punchline is really just about figuring out like, okay, like here's the, you know, here's the jab and here's the knockout, the knockout, you want to pick the right metaphor, the right comparison. Like it doesn't have to be complex. It just has to hit like, you know, the, like I just said that the whole uh, more shots than Pfizer. Pfizer came to my head just because I had the word cipher, strike here, uh, strike ya, viper. It was just words that rhymed. And then I was like, I just associated Pfizer, shots. Oh, shots is a, I can use as a double entendre for, you know, you, you want to take a shot, take a shot. Like, I'll give you more shots. I'll give you more tries than Pfizer. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's all just training your brain to make word association. Like, I would say in terms of me as a lyricist, my my forte is word association way beyond i think what people would consider necessarily the traditional punchline like i play off word association because that's how i used to build my freestyles like for me to keep going on a freestyle i need to keep associating the word that that i left off with somewhere it might not even if it doesn't rhyme i'm building off of that to keep the mo the, the motif the theme of whatever i'm saying it keeps me on a track it keeps me on the, the straight path where it's like, okay, um, I'm just building it up piece by piece by piece. Same way I write. Like, sometimes I write and it's four bars at a time, like sectionals. You know what I mean? Like, I'm literally making couplets of four bars at a time where I'm like, this is this. The next one is this. Sometimes I'll keep the same rhyme pattern, but sometimes I'll every four bars I'll switch it up. Like... If I have a subject to address, a line to address, or I'm like, I knew I have a punchline, that's going to be set up in a four-bar thing. But sometimes you write in its stream of consciousness. So at that point, like, yeah, I'm still rhyming words, but I might get to 10 bars where I'm just, I haven't stopped, I haven't counted the bars. Like, after enough years, you kind of instinctively know, like, I'm not really at a point now anymore where I got to worry about counting bars so much. I kind of just know by the, the way it feels and the rhythm of it as I'm going along. Same thing in a cypher. Somebody can tell me, yo, just do four bars and I, I'm, I'm going to do four. Right. I'll know what it's about, you know? I'm pretty trash at ca- accounting bars in a cypher or something I realized this year because um, all the beats I ever got, I just got beats that were songs. So the song just spoke to me. I never cared about how many bars per se. I just knew how to structure verses to fit in that time slot that was allotted to me, so to speak. And all of a sudden, people are like, trade two bars, trade four bars. I'm like, I am not accustomed to rapping two bars and stopping. That is hard as fuck. That is way harder than it should be. I'll give you the easiest trick in the world for everybody who's watching. If you want to learn how to count bars, the simplest way, which makes it so you won't have to think about it. Is like, So when you listen to a beat and you bob your head, if you're good, if you have a rhythm, even, you know, slightly enough rhythm, so every time I bob my head four times, it's a bar. Bar. Two, three, bar. Like, it's it's just that. That's the simplest. Forget all the people like to do complex shit or they time out their beats and they're like, oh, well, this is 45 seconds, 46 seconds, so that's about 16. Like, there's a, a bunch of ways people go about it, but that's the easiest way because it works anywhere. I mean, like, what is it? So it's simple with the beat. It's really just in that like off the dome setting where you gotta like have discipline and stop. That's not like it's easy to go like a, like a lot of bars. I find it really hard to go a small number of like punch in with the like right four bars and sound fresh and hand it off. I'm like that shit is so. That's the hardest shit in my opinion 
for yeah. like this because it depends on how you structure it right like even if it's just off the top if i'm if i'm doing some off the top shit, i'm like yo my name is blocks and i came here to rock okay so i'm at one bar because i i just just the timing of it the rhythm alone tells me i'm at a bar so the second line will come just as easy but the the and knowing my that ending word that's gonna hit the punch at the end of the bar like it's it's all just training. You don't end up having to think about it later if you train that portion of your brain to just instinctively, it's it's all rhythm, right? Freestyle is rhythm. It doesn't even, at this point, it doesn't even matter what you say. Like, think about it. Listen, look look how you do the, the, the crossroad ciphers, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's never about what people say. It's the rhythm. That's true. Like, we're not in a game. We're not like, I love Munchie, but like, there's very few spitters like Cynical, Monkey. These are the dudes that to me, off the top of the dome, would destroy anybody. Wow. YouTube has proof. Cynical destroyed me on national TV. So like, <laughs> Cynical is the one of the pound for pound best off the top rappers I've ever heard. And it actually feeds into the fact that he does stand up comedy. Because if you look at how Cynical approaches either of those things, there's a, a rhythm, there's a natural wit that you either have or you don't have. So that's what makes Cynical such a sick battler. Because, yeah, he can write, write, write the bars and go to, like, a KOTD, or he can do end of the week and really just off the top of the dome, nothing ready. But, like, but it always comes to rhythm. What you say is, is expression. Dude, freestyling is like talking, but you're making it rhyme, right? So you have a conversation. You're not most times thinking about what you're about to say like me you talking i'm not planning out my next sentence right it's just coming as you speak that's just natural well freestyling is the same thing but you're learning to make you know, it i right. can conversation freestyle for days i'm just not I good know. at punchlines <laughs> well like i said punchlines it's anything you want to get better at technically when it comes to rapping you got to pinpoint what it is that makes it hard for you to do. I've been, I've been and working on the writing it. side of it. I've been trying to like squeeze a few more into my writing. So that way, like it comes more, but I mean, you got like this, so many habits, like trying to not sound like Eminem when I freestyle is my biggest challenge right now. Cause I just go straight into the same fucking, I jack this from Eminem flow, like every fucking time. And I'm like, I know I can do other things. I write a bunch of flows. Lyrical, miracle, spiritual. It's not even like from a bar's perspective. It's more the flow, the trickiness of the flow that he adopts. Because like once upon a time, I'm basically listening to the M clones and memorizing all those songs. And that's that's like the inherent, that speed, that like almost like heavy metal approach to hip hop rhythms. Where like you're shredding on a guitar more than you're caring about like a melodic, whatever. And so like... It's a long time to learn how to slow the fuck down. Oh, that's why I'm lucky. Like, I feel like I'm lucky that I had hip hop and I started rapping before Eminem was ever a thing. Because, mm. and don't get me wrong, like, yo, 99 to 03, I think until probably until 50 came out, like the first 3M albums, like people would come to Pizza's Park where I'd be chilling and you might catch me spitting, any day spitting one of those verses, practicing my fucking... My, my delivery, because to me, listening to M sharpen something that, I, I mean, I had skills. I've been rapping since I was, you know, uh, 12 or 11, like, or so, at least vocally. I was writing when I was 10, but like just actually spitting it out. So I had years to 
tightened up what I considered my own style. When M came out and like, man, there's so many songs like I could, you know, obviously like the probably the most obvious is the way I am. Right? Like if you think about like I kick back with this pack of zigzags and this bag and this weed that gives me this shit needed to be like to me, that was my syllable training. Because at that point, all I cared about was the the last word rhyming. It's, it's wild because like that is one of the first songs I just ever cared about. Let alone like, like I just never because like that came out when I'm in grade seven or six, mm. at the, that era. So I'm just getting into music for the first time. I printed lyrics out at the Wigger fucking room, and that was one of the songs that I printed the fucking lyrics out. And I said, "What the fuck is this zigzag?" And I did not know for a couple of years what the fuck a zigzag was. <clears throat> There's so many, even square dance, like square dance on Eminem show. Like it's so underrated in terms of like flow pattern. Because there's shit that he says. <laughs> yeah, the, like the whole, uh, what is he saying? He's like, it's like nothing soothes me more than a groove that soothes me. Nothing moves me more. I can't remember. At one point he's like, like that whole fucking scheme right there so that like was the, that was like that was uh, mid high school for me i was i pretty much memorized at one point everything on that album but drips i did not like drips as a kid i don't know if it's a good song yeah, I, I, I just did differently but i was probably let's see like eminem show came out was it like 2000 and one three. two three somewhere around there yeah so i was by that point, I was like 21, 22. Mm, so, so, like, so my appreciation for drips was very different because I was like, now this shit is wild. Like, who talks this shit? Like, I was like, who says this shit he says on this fucking song? But it was entertainment. But, like, I always liked the the more serious songs from M. Like, the jokey songs were always great, but I always loved Soldier, you know? or um, was my favorite song. Say Goodbye to Hollywood. Like, Say Goodbye to Hollywood is fantastic. Um, Haley's song, like, songs that, like, are dope, but most people don't mention them when they think about M's category because they'll usually be talking about lyricism and then, you know, Haley's song, he's singing. But, yo, the way he sings on Haley's song, every time M gets real, like, that's a different M. Like, that's not Slim Shady. When you, when you get into the Marshall bag, like, where he's really pouring it out without making jokes about it, all of a sudden, you, that's the M that, for me, was everything. Because, of course, just like everybody else, I mean, I had heard Infinite before I heard My Name Is, but Infinite reminded me a lot of AZ. Like, if you guys ever go back and listen to M's first album, Infinite, and the first single, Infinite, and he says it in interviews, like, he tried to sound like AZ, who used to rhyme with Nas, right? Like, AZ is yeah. legendary. AZ's Fucking AZ. Yo, AZ's still but dropping music. Just let's put that up. With Jaheem. Yeah, he just dropped a new song with Jaheem, and it's fire. I mean, the hook is a little fucking Jaheem. I don't know what happened with that, but like, it sounds though. But but AZ is a fucking legend with his own style, and I've always been drawn to that. Like, if, if I start drawing the lists of rappers I, that that made me, it's like, dude, Redman, Method Man, um, LL, Cannabis. Because that LL Cannabis, while other people were like, ah, oh, taking sides, man, Cannabis' first album for me was, <laughs> like, my brain was blown. Like, there was yeah, lyrics gotta, on there that I was like, what the fuck? I got to ask you, like, my token opening question, which didn't exist when I first oh, yeah, let's run it. 
and I feel like for the rest of the interview, we did cover most of the shit in the first one, so I don't want to rehash all of that, but I think it's appropriate, given that you're talking about this, and you just answered Lindell's favorite question, and I'm like, well, there you go, Lindell, if you're watching. Go. But, yo, let's do it, and, yo, this is Bridge the Gap, 24 minutes late, that's what it is, the show where we talk to very interesting people, such as yourself, Mr. Rico Blocks, Chris Lee, this is exactly where it is. Um, anyhow, let's do that opening question, that's whatever. Uh it's, it's a doozy i'm gonna run the story when it lands you can just kind of go ahead and do it and then we'll just get back to what we were doing because that's my plan for the rest of the show um but it all starts with my girlfriend she's washing the dishes and she's got her phone playing and it's that black eyed piece on the, i got a feeling Ooh. she's vibing and she's dancing and she's doing her thing and i'm like looking at her and i'm going when the fuck did this song become chores music right like because like that's yeah, that's what's happening this right now and it's now it's the chores music and like um you know it used to not be the chores music if you run that back 10 years back when you was all performing all the time that would have definitely been a song that was everywhere in your life because you were out and it was the song at night 10 years goes oh. by sound doesn't really change at all because it's a fucking song yeah and but the lives changed so much around that it's the chores music now, the exercise music, the club, you know, all that kind of stuff. The club music of life kind of becomes that. Like the little ones running around, they're partying. They're going to be doing dishes to that the way that we're doing dishes to the music that they're partying to. That's just the facts True. of the situation. True. And then, you know, we already like ran through a lot of your story, but I'm pretty sure that like even back then, because I didn't really know about this question's importance as much then, was that like we started like when you get into hip hop, when you start rapping, like, that seems to be the start of it, the influences. But really like life kind of starts a lot before then. Music is always around us. So music in our life transcends hip hop, right? It's the it's just an ethereal force. Like there's a good chance you popped out the womb one day and uh, there was music in the room and you were already absorbing it into your soul and whatnot. But like I can vividly remember being like five years old, man, close St. Luke. My dad's got these gray boxes all over the apartment, the amp, the radio, the tape deck, the wires going to everything, the speakers all over the room. And we're busting his Led Zeppelin tapes and stuff at night. It'd be like the MC Mario club mix playing live on whatever club he would be at. My mom's yeah. was more of a disco musical, that kind of vibey music. She definitely likes the, the Q92. Uh, she was into the love shit too. Um, anyway, I have to say like, there's all these vibes and stuff and I don't really think we explored the earliest of the earliest Rico blocks is the last time. So I'm hoping you can run us back to the youngest Rico blocks you can remember straight out of Laval and tell us a little bit about what it sounded like to be you growing up. Yeah, I mean, well, we did touch on it because I remember, like, I was saying my mom was not the kind of person to listen to music around the house. And my dad neither, except in my dad's car. He used to always ride around with two live crew, Ice Cube, uh, which was uh, the America's Most, was it, it was either Death Certificate or America's Most Wanted. I, I got, I'm not sure if I remember which one. And he would only listen to it when I was in the car. Like, not when my mom or my little brother were there. They were, you know, when I was in the car, my dad was in full hip-hop mode. And this is like, uh, you know, at the time, probably like a, say, 34-year-old, like, immigrant who grew up in Cairo, who's Italian but grew up in Egypt, like, came here at 14, didn't speak English, French, or whatever, and then learned seven languages, right? So, for, that was my open door to hip-hop. But like music, and there was nothing I could really, yeah. Well, well, 
Look at this straight. So musically, like, do they used to love TV? So whatever would play on TV, whether it was, you know, sitcom theme songs or like the theme song. I'm a big fan of like movie soundtracks, even when I was, when I was a kid. Okay. I would say See, Michael this is, Jackson. This is what we're looking for. Yeah. So like Michael Jackson was definitely something. Um, I remember like, yo, <laughs> I was probably 10. Yeah, so I was 10 because my dad had just died. I was in Australia. My my grandparents and my aunt and uncle live in Australia. So I go to Australia when I'm 10 after my dad died and I'm with my cousin and um, the Michael Jackson um, Black or White had just come out. And the album, I forget, I think it was Dangerous. Anyways, so it was like one of his amazing albums and I would vibe to it all the time. So like I lost my tape on the way there. So I got to Australia and I go buy a new tape because like, fuck, I need it. And I can't go online and just download it. It doesn't exist. You know what I mean? So I buy it and I go to my cousin's place and my cousin has the tape. And he's like, my cousin was same age as me, but he used to work on parodies. Like you would think, I would always assume this kid was going to be an artist. And we lost touch later on in life. But so I never really, you know, got to see that through on his end. But Dude, he's sitting there, he's like, yo, he's like, I redid the song Black and White. And he goes, I got too much plastic surgery. I don't know if I'm black or white. Just that's something that simple. But from a 10-year-old kid who's my cousin at the time, and I'm 10, he's 10, he writes it. I'm like ecstatic, but I'm like, you're fucking with, like, I'm laughing, but I'm like, you're fucking with Michael. So I was like, don't, like, I was so, like, protective of my, of the music. And I think... The transition from when it was like, oh, yeah, my dad listened to hip hop and yeah, that was dope. But I was two, you know, six, seven years old. I'm not able to absorb so, two lives. But, but what were you like up to when you were little then? Because sometimes if music's not a focus, there's other stuff that's a focus. Well, I mean, before I was 10 years old, that was uh, toys, toys, and toys. That's really much all I cared about. Like, I loved action figures. Like, I would just sit in my room and play with my action figures and create these intricate sort of like comic books and action figures. Like that was my savior until I was 10 and music became something much, much more to me. Like music was always like a background in my life as it is for most people. And there was an attachment there because I used to just sing songs. I knew like family would show up and I would sing this. I remember I'd be at day camp and I'd be singing and singing and singing. I would sing anything I could. And even I, I used to want to be an R&B singer. I still do. If I could, I would. <laughs> like, if I could, I would. I would probably be an R&B singer if I could. Or rapping is fun, but I love R&B. Like, I love both equally as much in their own, you know, ways. Uh, but in terms of chore music now, I do want to answer that question because I don't think I mentioned that last time in terms of, like, we went to the, you know, the back in the days and what I listened to. So we'll get to that. I'll just say... The transition to me listening to music that made me want to rap and Chris Major, 514 Smoke, gave me a lot of flack for this. He's like, we're doing an interview and he's like, I answered this question and he was like, no, you got to change that answer. <laughs> and I said, Criss Cross. Well, Criss Cross's first album made me believe I could rap because they were kids my age. Mm. Like, that was, I was like, I loved rap before, but I knew I could rap when I heard these two little kids rap and I could run around rapping their lyrics in, in grade five and grade six. Like, 
dude, my God, like that yeah, changed I'm things actually, for me. I want to bring it back to the action figures things because believe it or not, the question evolved. It's more than just the music. It's just the jumping off yeah. part, and it's fun to ask the question. But like, really, it's like to explore the youngest of the Rico Blocks phase of life, which trust back then I would have just moved on. I wasn't thinking about stuff like action figures and people maybe drawing comic book worlds and shit like that. Marvel comics <clears throat> and, and Marvel action figures, man. That was my everything. And I used to draw. Like I used to spend all my time, like I would trace the comics. I would try and draw Spider-Man. And I was pretty good at it until I was like 13, 14 and I stopped. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for me, that was a thing. Oh, yeah, I used to invent characters. What are some of like the earliest Rico Blocks superheroes that you invented as a young one? Well, I had this obsession with like almost like with Wolverine and Sabretooth type of characters. Like characters that were feral and, you know, claws and teeth. And so I had this, I had this character that was always some variation of a tiger or a tiger's name. Like, it would always change and have these awful names. Like one time it was called Bengal. And one time, like I would draw different versions of them and, and just, but it was always something with a tiger and a per like mixed between a tiger and a person. Cause I was always Wolverine and Sabretooth are two Marvel characters I love and I love their rivalry. And like, it was like something I could relate to. Wolverine's rage was something I could relate to when I was like 10, 11, 12, because like I had just lost my dad and I was an angry monster like there was rage inside of me so but everything even before my dad died that's all comic books and action figures and yeah and mostly marvel i mean i was like dc a little bit don't get me wrong and i followed it for a while but nothing like i followed marvel like i am you know i would put my marvel fandom against most people like skin deep would tell me he challenged me any day and i think he could but I think I could hold my weight. You know, I watched <laughs> I watched Skin Deep and his peeps do their podcast talking about figures, and I said, nope, I'm not even in this world. I don't understand. They're, they're, they're like, real, real with it. But I, I also, it's cool that it goes back that deep, right? Like, to me, it's fascinating oh, yeah. how, like, the things we end up becoming really passionate about in our 30s and 40s is really fucking similar to what the fuck we did when we were seven. You know why? Because you get to the point in your life where you built everything up and now you're back to, okay, now how do I enjoy myself? Like, find the things you love. Like, it leads you back. Like, for me, it really helped for me when Marvel started making the Marvel Studios movies. Like, I loved all the X-Men stuff and the stuff Blade and, you know, Fantastic. I liked them. But when Marvel Studios started with Iron Man and the MCU was born, that was a new world for me. That's my obsession. My friends, my closest friends will all be like, even my girlfriend will tell you the same, tell me the same thing. It's like, don't get him started. That's all he'll talk about. Like, I could fucking do a five-hour podcast right now on just, like, anything Marvel. Like, it's the it's it's a deep obsession for me where it's, like, movies, TV shows, comics. I still read the comics to this day. Like, I haven't stopped. I read them religiously. Like Honestly, though, so, like, I'm surrounded that's by what the this obsession a lot. Is. Personally, it's like a... a, a I'm, I'm surrounded by people obsessed with this kind of thing. Like my best friend literally sends me pictures of characters he invents and draws twice a month. I'll get a new character he draws. I couldn't remember five of them, but I just, yo, he, uh, he, he's really into it. He has spent the better part of 15 years learning how to write comics. He tried to go through the process of working with people to bring his vision to life. 
unfortunately working with people was not his favorite thing when it was dealing with artists and the whole like cost and everything that goes into like actually making a comic um so his solution was to do it himself and he just recently got one of those like drying pad shits right mm -hmm. and uh he's really like happy with that but yeah his dream is to create intellectual properties in the vein of marvels and shit no it's crazy and i don't know if you i don't think you spoke to them yet but somebody you should really get angry with is lab noise like rob I like to. i just over at full shit. course lab noise DG like... legend but like rob let me just say on that subject rob actually him and his boys benny crew put together a comic that you can actually buy on amazon like it's a full i have it somewhere i just have to i would have to find it but it's super dope and like the olympic stadium is in it as like a secret base like the things they came up with and, and if i remember it's called sniper zero but like yo i swear to god like that shit is yo, fucking that, dope so like know is that creators who want to make comics can be very well done well, I mean, it's really like, oh, yeah. it's not that different than like an album, right? Like for an album, right? You just figure out, okay, I need the engineer, the designer, the, the checklist, right? So, I mean, for a yeah. comic, I mean, well, it depends what role you want to play, but my dude's a writer. So like he knows how to write pains, like he knows how to write the pain and then scope it out and storyboard it all and create all the character profiles and all that basically what you was doing the when fact you can storyboard it the fact that he can storyboard it if you got a good like artist who can draw it they'll bring that shit to life and then you just need a good colorist well sometimes you get the artist that's a colorist too but i mean most times the pen is the pen like the ink is the ink and the color is the color but like dude i would tell anybody like dude i would so advise people to do everything but music like at this point i'm about to be 40 in september Music has been a great love of mine, but that's never what gave me financial stability. You may be one in a billion who get it. You know what I mean? Like, you have to do work. But the others, creative arts, are so different. Yeah, it's so different. The comic door is wide open. Comic book writing is just as saturated as being a rapper, is what I found out from my dude. It is. Well, uh, but it is, right? But the writing part of it, but the whole... If you can create a comic book that people can relate to... You don't even need a publisher. You can do it yourself. Like, well, I guess where limited. it comes down to being the same thing is is once your product is created, we are all facing the exact same challenge regardless of medium. Because, yo, my dude started, like, complaining to me. And I'm like, you're basically a rapper. You get my life now. <laughs> no, because, dude, think about it. What compares to how music pays you? Music pays you in fractions of pennies. When you're making your own comic book, for instance... Yeah, you're paying back, you're recouping your overhead, but, but I mean, reality-wise, you still have to like profit per put book. that hustle you know I mean? in to like sell it. <clears throat> that's where oh, it gets very complicated. Part of the game. Well, yes and no, right? Because it was, but now look at the world we live in. The internet is a place where it's like you can have a Patreon for your comic book if you want. Like you don't need to go the traditional mm, route. Robbing them and then you put it on Amazon. Like they put it on Amazon. Think about it. You can put anything you want on Amazon. So if you start a business and you have the product, you can send people to Amazon. Like people trust Amazon on top of it all. So you're teaming up with a partner. It's like what they tell you to do now with record deals, right? Don't get a record deal, be indie, but create a partnership with a label. That's if you're an artist right now, that should be your goal. Be indie, but a form a partnership with a label, not a label deal, not, not a fucking record deal. But it's the same principle now if you're going to do comic books, if you're going to do 
paintings, man. People look, look monkeys. I'm sure I, I never talked to him about it, but I, the amount of painting he does, and I'm sure he's been commissioned plenty of times for canvas work that do generate revenue, man. And like when you're naturally well, good at something, just, uh, he just brought that up on the Glock Party podcast. He said, yeah. diversify your skill set. He said, yeah, he does get paid to paint. He gets paid to speak. He gets paid to do a lot of different things numbers don't matter but he gets paid to do all these exactly di these different things that like exist in his skill set portfolio where it's like well, i've always had the theory that if you're over the age of 30 you should probably do something else even if you were like all the rappers i know over the age of 30 that i like have multiple business and rep streams like not one of them is just getting paid as a rapper they're also fashion designers even if they're just putting their logo they're also podcasters everybody's a fucking podcaster i know bro it makes me not want to even though i want to like i've been wanting to do a podcast for a long oh, time you should, dude but the saturation of it but yeah i mean it's gonna come but it's just so saturated that like i don't want to copy but see i'm it's different when i see saturated because i don't want to copy anybody's concept well i mean that's what's tricky if you can get past the, the concept part yeah, but all the stuff I do is already being done. Like, see, if I talk about comic book shit, like, Skinny and them got that market cornered easily. But it's or also, but the or, problem is, is that, me. like, you're looking at this kind of, like, from a, from a hip-hop perspective. And it, what you're doing here only applies to hip-hop, to be honest. It doesn't apply for the rest of media. So you want to create an algorithm loop of r local, similar Montreal media and to do that, in a sense, we need to create a genre of multiple shows that are not exactly the same, but talk about similar enough shit so that we can work together, big each other up and feature each other. Right. That's where. So like I had the, the fucking hustle people on my show. They had me on their show that builds shit up. And then by yeah, shout out to tech and the whole team at the hustle, though, man, like I, I peaked a few episodes. I still got to catch up on the last. Uh, I think one or two, including yours. I recommend but, like, fourteen. They're doing an amazing fucking job. Like seriously. No, they are. I and their setup was like, I walked into their like studio, and I'm like, oh, that's what that looks like. That's not what my thing looks like. That's not the same. That's like that's a goal to get into a place like that. Now that is it was dope. So like. But the fact that they exist, the fact that Glock Party podcast on DMS is out there kind of going in that topical route, the fact that basically English Montreal artists are contributing to an English Montreal media scene is really important. In fact, we probably need three to four times just as many podcasts because like, let's look at it a little differently. For one or two to pop, there kind of has to be a lot of other ones that maybe don't pop per se, but are all part of a community. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't disagree with that. It, it is different than the music aspect. But it's like, you know what killed me? Like when Nori came out with Drink Champs, which is one of my favorite podcasts ever. Like to me, like just the, the proof of concept was there. It was necessary that you can get people that comfortable and you can get these legends on. And what I like is you have that similar vein where you're getting these le like Montreal legendary stories, right? Like. And it's been cool to watch because it's really forming this history. But what always bugged me is, do you know how much I would have loved to do like a, I mean, not the same name, but like a, like a smoke champs, like people smoking weed sitting around the table, testing strains. Apparently. Dave Murray actually has smoke champs too. Like he has that too. Apparently like that show that did not hit very well. Or somebody else tried to copy it. And 
So the problem with weed is like you and I might be able to chain smoke 27 joints and run that. That is not a fa yo. When people get too stoned, though, I've had that happen to but me. You gotta get guests that can smoke. Like you want guests like be right, right. like, real. Be real's podcast hotbox. No, nah, I've not. So yo, dude, illest concept. Check this out. Be real has a fucking like an old Cadillac uh, or a six four Impala, like an old school car that it kind of gutted out that just sits in the parking, and they all go sit in the car and they hotbox. And he's had like plenty of guests. But like one episode, they had like Kevin Smith, and Kevin Smith brought weed that he created with caviar gold that was like 57% THC. These motherfuckers is ripping it in the car, like super hot boxing. It's the craziest shit to watch. Like conceptually, I was like, I do that with my, well, not anymore, but I'm like, we used to do that with the homies, like sit in the car and just hot box away it's a familiarity thing where it breathes that like, Oh yeah, it's an everyman thing. Like you do that too. So you relate. So people right. who watch that shit like me are like, Oh, mind blown. I'm like, this is awesome. Like all they're doing is smoking weed in the car and talking shit. Yo. Okay. You know just on I mean? that note, my girlfriend found a channel one day and it was like 50 people watching concurrent on Twitch. So they're really not doing bad. And it was just this guy that would smoke weed and the channel perks were like, you'd spend channel points, do a bong toke. And I'm like, what? This is almost like a parody of life. I don't know that I could do this on some ego shit, but it's just ego shit. Cause damn, that sounds like a, a lit experience. But no, as far as like the show thing, like the reality is, is <clears throat> it's going. It's it's super. My concept is like I basically jack drink champs and like two other things and put them together and like created the same kind of like I heavily jack drink works, champs man. because like they offer a the lot of flowers. Concept. Yeah. jacked it heavily and then like the long form was just like a lot of joe rogan and then with the conversational like their interviews but nobody fucking likes that question and answer shit it's fucking weird like most people don't really want to watch yeah. that they want that for like the promo run 20 minute videos they, you know it's a different vibe <clears throat> but the thing is rico you could like literally jack anybody's show concept but you're gonna do the rico blocks thing with it kind of like like Nobody will do the Rico Block show. I promise. You laugh? Nobody I will. Don't even mind baiting, I don't even mind baiting my own scene. What I originally planned, so two years ago, I actually started talking about doing a podcast. The first, the first podcast I actually wanted to do was all related to sex. Amazing. I love it was it. like totally outside of music and all that. Like, and, you know, not to start telling no stories, but like I've had some wild things. Like, I, like you know, I've been in wild scenes per se and the openness i have a very you know openness to everything including sexuality in terms of like talking about it so like i was like i'll just get guests that want to talk about this shit and let's let's fucking shoot the shit like all the shit people are scared to fucking talk about man i got the idea because there was angela yee from the breakfast club had lip service for years for years and it's one of the dopest concepts because she'd have a couple of ladies sitting around and then always have like one dude as a guest or two. And you know, the subject matter was just nuts because you don't hear this shit. A funny story, and I don't want to get Joe Button in case Raekwon ever watches this. But Raekwon was on that lip service shit. I shit you not. They said to him, would you ever suck a dick? And his response, and I'll never forget this because this is the worst. Like, I could not think of a worse answer to that question than, 
nah, man, my mouth is too small for that. Raekwon said, and I'm sure one day I, I haven't been able to find that episode. But it's Raekwon and Angela Yee's lip service. So I hope I don't get like Raekwon Joe buttoned up. But like that shit to me was wild, and I was like, yo, I need to have a show. Let's talk about the shit that nobody wants to talk well, about. Mean, like Rico, fucking... I love this concept. One of my off the dome songs. It's actually one the one that's called Cool Man Logan says do the slam dance. It's heavily like <laughs> people's kind of fucking prude about sex because I mean slam dance sounds like sex. Okay, it just sounds like a sex thing, right? I don't think that's what Cool Man Logan was thinking. I think his head was in mosh pit land or something. I was like, probably that sounds like. You never know. He might have been thinking about sex after all. Like maybe you never know. So I just went but, with that, yeah, I and then I, I but like part of it is like yo, like sometimes you want to talk about rim jobs, and it's very hard to find a willing participant to engage in the conversation <laughs> on rim no, jobs. No, but Nori does it. <clears throat> Nori asks every one of his guests, "Do you eat ass?" <laughs> like if you watch Dreamcast and you really stick through the whole episode, at some point Nori gonna come in real, real, real smooth. Like yo, you eat ass. Like, you're like, what the fuck? That's a good question. Like, no, but I'm saying, like, dude, like, I literally, because the idea came from, I used to sit around with I had a lot of girls I was friends with back in the day. And they'd tell me the wild escapades, you know? And I'd be like, yo, you really did that? Like, oh, whatever. You know, and, I, and it's like some of the conversations are just interesting. And I always try to demystify the whole thing about, like, you know, women are hoes if they sleep around, but dudes are champions. Like, it's like this whole, man, sex yo, is so much yo, this, I call it this, like, it's this middle class, like, normative shit. It's that, like, you can't talk about sex, religion, or politics at the dinner table, but, like, people extend that to, like, all interactions with most people. And I find it, like, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of weird to me how many of these topics be off limits for people that talk about how candid they are all the time yeah my friends would tell me like no you can't do a podcast like that because what if you say some shit that you like sexually and then people start like poking fun at you about i was like oh, what the fuck do i care what people think i you know if it's something i enjoyed and fuck everybody else like i you know, you got You can't be willing to talk about it and then be scared of the repercussions. Like, to be fair, though, that podcast would outperform. That shit would outperform everything I'm doing in a huge way. I want to be on that podcast. <laughs> the danger of it, but see, that would be dope. But see, the danger of it is, it's a great subject. But am I going to want to always just talk about that subject? So then well, I'm like. I always tried to figure out like what can I make a hybrid out of where we have that discussion, but like there's other subjects. So it's that or create another podcast. And then that's where I get a lot of like a, a little like, dude, I'm an organized dude and I'm great at it. I don't like being in charge of things. I consider myself a soldier. Like I'm a hired gun. Like I'm the, I'm the weapon. Shoot me. Like, yeah. Like, I have a, a whole lot of hard time trying to be the entrepreneur when I don't feel like that's what I was meant to do, which is a tricky thing to be in this day and age. Because you want to be an entrepreneur. You have the ability to do everything yourself. Why shouldn't you? Honestly, but for me, it's it, like, it, it, I don't like the huge, idea of running it. That's a great point. I hate, secretly, I hate running shit. You know how much stuff there is to do to keep something alive? That's like a lot you of know stuff. But you know what's tricky for me? I don't mind the work. I don't like the being in charge. Like, I, you know, like I've done, 
I've done jobs where I'm the manager, I'm the supervisor, all that. and there's something about that that made me, it just made me uncomfortable. I like being on the same level as everybody it else. Super with, with my uncomfortable. Team. Like, I don't ever want a boss, but I need a boss. Like, I almost need to have somebody who's like, the only reason I would say I need a manager right now isn't even, and we had this discussion, you know, in private, but like the whole manager, booking agent, blah, blah, blah. We'll get to that conversation because I know you wanted to have that. That's a good conversation because I was like, yeah. I don't know what a booking agent was. But I mean, I know what it was, but you don't think about it until somebody says it type thing. Right? But so the only reason I would need a manager right now is because I want to give him a list of all the things I need to accomplish. And I need him or her to figure out what's the, the 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 route like like here, here's here's the schedule like here's the dude i work better with routine and I'll focus but it's like I, at the end of the day management for me it's like it's not even i'm good at time management i'm always on time all that but all that shit i'm good at just because i'm good at it doesn't mean i want to fucking be in charge of all of it like i remember i hired pr back in the day um john carter right Hit, um for promo kings at that time, when I hired him, I was hiring him freelance because, like, dude, when I hit him up and he was like, so send me your list of, you know, all the, the blogs that you reach out to when you're dropping shit, you know what I mean? Which is the point, because if your PR person is going to release the music, he's going to send the emails out. So I was sending, like, 100 emails a day for every major American or if I can get in Europe. I didn't hit Europe. I got states a lot. But all that to say, like, I hit him with the list. And he was like, it's the same list as mine. I was like, cool. I was like, there's a couple more on his list that I didn't have. I said, if you can pull those off, the rest is pretty much autopilot. So he gave me a freelance rate, which was great because he worth a lot more money than he charged me. But it's one of those things where I've learned a long time ago, it's better to delegate. It's better to delegate and be able to do I don't want to be the jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. I am the master of my craft, but my craft is not rapping. It's music. Like I consider myself an executive producer, but I would honestly say that I have not had the luxury yet of being able to apply it to other artists because there's, it's like, I would almost have to discover somebody, put it out to prove that worth as an executive producer. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, the day an artist lets me do that, which I'll probably phase into later in my music career when I'm not in the mood to rap, but I'm still there. Like I, I I'm an A and R. You gonna find people this year or the next year? That's simple. how it works. Like me, <clears throat> producers send me beats. I listen to the beats. I can go right away. Okay, this is not for me, but I know who it's for, and I know exactly what kind of song they should do to that shit. Yeah, there's like a huge and vacancy. There's a huge vacancy for people overtly playing that role in a more like direct way that like wouldn't impede your rap career to step up you in know that capacity. Why, but you know why there's a lack of that? There's two things. One, people here do not know anything other than pay by the hour. So they don't understand paying for the value of your knowledge. And now a, a mix engineer all that you could pay by the hour because the work is being done by the time. So an A&R, once you're A&R for an artist, you're on 24 seven, because you're constantly in that mode of figuring out the arrangements of the songs, the track list, you're, you're working on all these aspects with the artist. That's a fucking 24 hour job. But it's like, where do you figure out what the pay scale is for that? Number one. And number two, there's a trust issue. There's an inherent trust issue where it's like, if nobody's ever made it, 
then how do you know that's the person to put in charge of your project? You can have faith just because you believe in that person. But that gonna, doesn't happen with a, everybody. So I'm in a similar position, right? Because I want to move into like consulting. I want to approach the marketing side of it, right? Like that's really fascinating. So I want to be able to go, all right, Rico Blocks, how are we going to plan out a marketing campaign as Liddy with the current ecosystem that doesn't run you racks? Like, I want to be that guy so that you feel like paying me hundos to not run you racks, right? And the reality is, is that in order to be able to be in a, for me to, okay, like I could just go charge for it right now, but I would feel wrong about that because A, nobody might pay me and B, I'd feel really weird if like my first client failed really hard. That would fuck my entire brand for life. That's my thoughts. So if I can find a few people to work with where it just becomes success stories for like a year, and that's where I think a lot of people maybe don't like this part of it, but I don't see a better path forward. Uh, is so I'm gonna just give away free shit. So like somebody hit me up, like yo, help me. You got ideas? Give me ideas. So I'm gonna work on shit with them. I'm gonna for free. Why? Because his success story will allow me to charge a motherfucker. And I think that like I told meticulous this shit too. Like I've been telling people like yo, go find some young people, give that shit away for free, and watch how later on you're making racks on it. Absolutely. Look, I've charged for verses, but I've done way more verses for free on the strength of I had one rule. When I was in that, like, there was a point where he made a song with me, like we were getting on the big blogs. So good. That's a win. We weren't worrying about streaming numbers back then. It didn't exist. YouTube was the thing that people counted on, and videos was never my claim to fame. I have three videos, like, that's in a fucking 20-year career. Like, I'm not, videos have never been my strong suit. Creatively, yes, but I never had the budget I wanted for the videos I want to make, so I just said fuck it because I'm that person. Like, if I can, if I can't create what I see in my head, there's no point in making a watered down version to just please people. But like at the end of the day, the whole concept of like the A and Ring, the, the the doing the other part of the game, the marketing aspect, everything, it all ties into you just gotta make the right product that you're happy with because that's the start. And then the rest is just a matter of like, like you, the things you do as a job, for instance, like figuring out statistics, demographics, like the way you analyze things is obviously going to play a big factor in that. But what I was saying with charging for verses, like, so I used to charge for verses. I had a golden rule. I had a golden rule with the charging for verses. And my rule was if you came to kick it with me, you hollered at me, like we, we actually spent more than an hour face-to-face talking, I would never charge you for a verse. That's how I've always been. And so other people would hit me up and be like, email, like, hey, boom, I, I want you on a song. No, not even a high, not even a, you know what I mean? Like, it's just straight. You got into the business and you didn't even do it right, but hey, all right, cool, 300 bucks. I didn't charge a fortune. I charged like 300 bucks. But I made that shit quite a few times. I did shit, shout out my boy, um, Omar Fights back in Dubai. Like. Dude, that was some international shit. He hit me up for two, three songs. We did some work, man. Like, like we put in work. And he he paid gladly. We never got to kick it, but he always had a spot for me on every... And he, he was always offered. I never had to say my price or nothing. He was just like, here, I'll give you this. I was like, cool. But I would never charge for the work if I'm fucking with that person because we could build something bigger and both get paid. The same principle is like producers who sell beats. Like I, I try and tell my producer friends all the time, do not forget this. 
but you can sit there and charge beats for exclusive rights up front all the time, but you're fucking yourself out of your back end most times, except for maybe meticulous because his paperwork game is on point. He'll make sure. But what I'm telling you is a lot of producers sell exclusive rights to their beats for the cash up front. That's not how the game's supposed to work. They just do that in Montreal because they figure you're never going to pop. Well, I mean, the other part of it that I would say to producers, and this is as a rapper who, look, I have a couple of people I pay now. My expenses got real high. But, like, I will buy beats I think are really cool. It's just, yo, like, I need to be releasing at a pace that keeps up with the modern market is my thoughts. I know a lot of people will not release music like I'm doing right now. To be fair, it's an experiment. I don't think anybody's tried what I'm trying to the scale that I'm trying it. And if it works, watch how everybody's doing it next year. I promise, right? But yeah, I might, it I'm might fail too. I'm not talking be about you, but like I don't necessarily think my mixtapes are are amazing. I wrote like they're for me more than they're for other people. I actually fucks mm -hmm. with them when I cycle around the city. I enjoy them a lot. But like, really, I'm not sitting there going like this is the best music I've ever created. Like, not in the fucking least. I'm going, this was super... Cr I'm like, it's almost like a training exercise to me. Like, it's a goal. It's like I'm hitting the gym in this regard. But <clears throat> let's, like, I couldn't afford all those beats. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I could not afford 60 fucking five or six beats that I've got in here. It would never happen. Of course not. So then, the quality of the producers, too. Don't forget. Like, on I'm top not, of it all. Like, yeah, they're pretty amazing. I got... Like, I feel blessed. Don't get me wrong. But, like... At the end of the day, I was like, yo, listen, so if this works in a couple of years, one day we're all going to make some bank because I think people who fuck with me will want to go back and listen to that shit, which means if I can achieve my goals of a thousand fans that are that loyal, then everybody's getting 50% of the distro kid masters. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Like get the back end. The producers that fuck with you that are willing to have the faith to get the back end. We'll likely also put in more work promoting that shit, pushing that shit at some point to the point where then you get banked. Even with rappers, even, everybody even wants to catch that, up. I'm like, yo, we could play all this shit differently. Like on this whole subject, it's like, yo, I'm now into Team Run It Up. So like on track five of the, the, the last song on the Merker tape, because Merker sent me five beats. It's, the, it's a cool evolution. Merker emailed me beats. Yeah. Cool evolution of the That's project. Awesome. But it's Run It Up shit. Like, yo... Uh, a couple of my homeboys hit 20k streams and I know that they didn't pay because I know that they're SEO guys I know their style like I know them But I also know that they had hashtag run it up and like every post and I'm on team run it up Like there were six five other people not me last year that had me as their most played artist because it like just playing my shit on repeat Now why do we do this because every thousand streams is in fact three dollars and eight US dollars and well, I can personally give myself $3 every four days by mostly running my shit when I'm not actually listening to music. And I think a lot of us don't do it on some weird ego shit. But then watching the Mickey Fax episode of Drink Champs, bringing it back to that, yeah. which was yeah, notorious, for, notorious for other reasons. But you'll listen to the part where he describes Paola back in the day. And how this is just part of the game if you want to be a professional artist, which means maybe we all have to like fake some shit a little bit it's not faking because i pay for the right for spotify but let's say we created a club the run it up club and each of us had to bring a friend because that way you run out people who like aren't committed somebody else has to come with you 
with a premium Spotify account or an Apple Music account. I don't give a shit. And we created a schedule. So for four days, we take one of the tracks on your EP when it drops, and we 100 people hit that shit almost 24 hours for four days. Yo, you might hit fucking algorithms. Yo, you know what that is? That's that premium right there. Like, that. do it. Listen, there's no lack of integrity in playing your own shit. No matter what, for running the numbers up. But to Anybody coordinate feels, that to that scale. But coordinate it like that, it's a it's it's a pyramid scheme of streaming. And it's genius. Yeah. But if we do it and we win and other cities don't, then I'm okay for Montreal to take that spot on a pyramid when other cities don't take it. Yeah. But yeah, but see it's what I'm saying is it's smart. You adapt the, the concept of a pyramid scheme towards streaming without it being like a stream farm. Like it's if we're looking at technicalities, right, it's not even and the then farm. If it's all Montreal people playing Montreal shit, it kind of trains Spotify that there's this new genre of Montreal English shit. And algorithmically, Absolutely. this makes sense if you go look at how they all do their stuff, which is stuff we all want. But then you get to the coordination part and it's like, oh, my fucking word. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, man, that, that's a brilliant idea. And honestly, I think everybody should do it. Like, honestly, I do it. Like, when, when homies I have dropped, like, especially, I mean, I'm not going to lie, especially shut that I'm on, like, all the Slick Jack shit, but I fucking had his whole project, the one with Static, on repeat all night. Like, I would fucking, I'll do it whenever I can, whenever I think of it, like, I try and do it as often as possible, even for the homies, because that shit matters. Look, we fucking get paid pennies for these fucking streams, not even pennies, fractions of pennies. Yeah. So... <clears throat> They need the push. Everybody needs the push. No, I love it, dude. Because here's the thing. I know for a fact that there's like a vanity factor. And these are things that have made me kind of go, I need to kind of get over myself just a little bit on how I approach some of this shit. So like what I mean is I once, uh, some girl hit me up on Instagram. We was chatting it up like back in the day, like whatever, whatever's And I was like, I'm still rapping. And I sent her my project. She's like, oh, only 88 views. And I'm like, Oh, that must be how wow. regular people do think. And I've gotten that comment before. Don't worry. So that makes me go, well, fuck that. I don't care anymore. I'm going to blatantly state all of those thousands of views you see on my Spotify is the result of a couple of people. There's more than me. It, it, I couldn't get those numbers alone with the speed we do, but there's like three or four of us, right? But... <clears throat> It actually pays out. Like the other day, I pulled out like fifty dollars when I kind of needed a fifty, and I'm like, "Oh, say word, thank you, Distro Kid." <laughs> but yeah, if you put in the work, see, like, dude, I like on the last interview I told you, like, I put up my old joints, a few of them, just to test its organic reach. The experiment is still ongoing. I think I maybe have three hundred streams total. It's minimal, but i know that I, I i'm seeing the demographics of the people that are listening my targeting this it may i need a broader scope now so new music will come soon and that will help broaden a little bit the scope but that's all i'm doing man because i'm from pre-streaming that era so i'm i'm reworking my approach to to learn how it is and you know the algorithm the algorithms are going to algorithm no matter what you do but i feel like if i can get if i get the attention to it then you know the streams will come. You make your own playlist with your own shit. I, I push well, mine. I have a featuring like, block playlist. Even so. back on that, if we make each other playlists, like I made my Liddy Montreal playlist, and I just put everything I can find on it. I want it to be the largest, most 
it's impractical to listen to in order, but it's pretty litty and shuffle. And yeah, it had the, it's had an impact where three separate people have said, I didn't know Montreal sounded that good until you played this. And I'm like, oh, wow. Because most of these yeah. tracks came out in the last year and a half. I'm basically looking for artists and taking their most recent music. And that's it. And then unless yeah. like your last shit's like 2000 and like whatever. Okay, fine. So like, like a, a, sta- a Shades of Culture can have their tracks on there too, you know? But like, like the idea was that but then let's well, you gotta have something current too yeah for sure it's mostly right? current like you though can't just rely on, yeah because only the old the older shit is only now slowly starting to pop up on the streaming platforms people are starting to work their way around it and get get their old shit like dude the amount of shit i put up on the internet in terms of freestyle pre-streaming days i wish i could reload all those but honestly like at the end of the day i wouldn't even feel like the sound quality was different than what was expected in the freestyle nah, you'd probably and, get away with that shit compresses it probably but like I, i'm a big sucker for liking the way shit sounds so like now when i hear certain things even compressed more from the dsps because you know people tend to forget like your audio gets compressed more it's like like only on title are you really getting like semi lossless quality like so it it's like but I, I don't rely on the old shit like i said for me the old shit is great and i'm glad i got to put up a few joints there's still a few joints i'm gonna put like ready i didn't put up yet uh the reminder i have a couple of the single joints that i have to put up the song with me and brick and natasha marie that's played before uh you know, there's a couple joints still but i mean it, it's all in question of like i'm waiting till i have an actual solid release and marketing plan for my ep because the way I'm releasing it now is I'm kind of tweaking the idea of how it's going to go in terms of content and the con- you know, content calendar, as you would understand <laughs> doing what you do. Like I'm trying to really approach it from that aspect where there's it's really much, like the most important. You saw the reels experiment I was on. Like I was on a Bro, little, uh, that was just a foray. Like, you were doing your reels and I fucking swear, like I stopped posting reels for a second because I had to up my reel game. Like, I just said my reels weren't good enough. Like, Rico Blocks is putting 10% more effort into me, and it's going that much farther. And I'm like, mine look like that shit next to Rico Blocks. And they're all just me. They're all just me sitting at home. Like, either when when I was doing the reels from stuff that's on Spotify, obviously, like, I can load the music in, you know what I mean? And then the rest of the time, I was just freestyling along, like, rapping along to old songs. Like, I didn't even put nothing new in those reels. Like, we just went on like things like angles and like actually like effort i wasn't i wasn't trying that hard and my girlfriend was criticizing me and then i looked at yours and i said well fuck me <laughs> mine are that bad i yeah. accept <laughs> i got some more coming soon that are gonna be like so like a, a few months ago people put some requests to beats i would freestyle to so i got a couple of those coming Shit, uh, man, you basically should become a fucking tiktoker at this point you just described the tiktok game yeah, I keep trying to avoid it. Like I, I'm, on, I'm still on some old man shit. I gotta get over it. But like, yeah, because the the value of the TikTok game kind of goes back to that community, and I've been kind of loafing on it, but mostly because I don't want to do it by myself because it's weird. But like, really, what we need to do is a coordinated uh, English Montreal scene plan on hip hop where we rap almost, almost like you know those rap apps where people like rap at each other and shit. But we just do that on TikTok. We just come out. We just rap 
to and about each other and just tag each other and shit. I'm just, I wouldn't necessarily say it negatively because I don't think anybody wants that. But just like in the sense of existing on TikTok. So then like when you come, then you do a few of those and then you mix that in, which you actually go in on whatever your real plan for TikTok is. But it gives us a way to like interact. That's like really nifty. For me, the things that are like, see like the best TikTok and reels I ever see are all like well edited. Like it's all a montage. Like I'm like, I, I can visually think about it. I can't physically do it. Like I'm not a tech head like that. So it always ends up being very simple. Like I just literally prop my phone wherever I feel like the angle is best and just go in. Don't worry, but like, you're fast. There's some wicked editing shit that you can do if I could learn how to do it. Nah, like, dude, I bought an S21 Ultra just so I could shoot videos. And I'm still dying to like shoot some videos with the AK. Like all the reels were done with it, but I want to shoot some music videos with the AK camera and test that out. So like, I'm trying to learn little things because most of the videos for this EP, most, not all, because there's at least, well, here, I'll give you some announcement that I haven't announced anywhere yet. Uh, one of the featurings on the EP is Boy Blue. Say word. So yeah, long time coming where me, me and Blue been cool from time, like, we were against each other at the Montreal Hip Hop Awards in terms of like my my single with no video, <laughs> and his video with a million plus views was you know nominated for the same shit and he won and I was super happy for him. But like long time coming, even when we did the Expos fit and Mega Mix, like she always talked about like hey we're gonna do a fucking joint <laughs> and just years pass and it's like we both he blues back at it. People who watch his Twitter and his Instagram know like he he's getting back at it. Uh, so yeah, we decided to do something and I think it's going to surprise people in terms of the vibe of the track. Like we, we it, it's dope. It's really dope. So like right now is two, maybe two more features. I'm loading up for the EV and it's pretty much like halfway done. I would say like, I've been just recording it at Merkers and the vibes EP hashtag vibes. Like we, it, it's going to be interesting, but it's not what my fans are expecting, except they'll still be bars, but I'm getting it's the title what it what the title implies is it's all vibes like it's beats that me and leon stone like the whole thing is produced by leon stone definitely somebody you should get on here too as well like dude he has worked with true kings and mcd solo like he's got a Yo, I'm, anytime, nice anytime you go definitely somebody you should get on the show the bigger issue i yeah. have is i literally like you don't want to be like the guy hitting up these people being like hey bud uh i'm gonna interview no like it comes oh, off no, better yeah. if there's an introduction that gets me. Well, we'll make that happen. Trust me, like, cause he's he's somebody that's really dope to talk to, good energy. Oh, like, anyone of these people, man, like, I would love to. Like, I just don't see. I met Leon in the basement of my boy's house. Like, my boy was just like, "Come over." I know this dude who makes beats, and this is like a year ago, less than that, maybe like November, December. And I got there, and in five minutes, he was making a beat for my album, like, on the spot live. Like, I was like, holy shit. And then, so we just kept talking, and it's like, yo, I'll produce the whole fucking shit. I said, cool, man, look, I'll take, like, five, six. We'll put up together a nice little EP. But he does a lot of R&B, so, like, we were going, I was going vibe, and I was picking beats. He was like, yo, you, you want to pick that? Like, there's some Afro beats on there. Like, we, we go in vibes vibes like we're trying to do a lot but that's just the songwriter in me I, to be honest though i think every rico blocks fan kind of wants that too 
I mean, I would assume so. I would hope so that they gravitate naturally to what I would do. The the after the EP though, that's when I'm like locking into the the the, song, the real debut album because despite the long career, like I've mixtapes, mixtapes, but wanting to do this debut album, the one that I think is career defining forever. But it needed time. Like I just honestly, like it felt like I wanted the right producers. I wanted to have a lot of doors have opened up in terms of production for me in the last year and a half. I'm getting more options, so I'm finally being able to build, I think, you know, the project I want. And it's called Origin Story. Tying back to my comic book head shit. But, like, every dope superhero's got a dope origin story. And if you think about it, if you listen to Slim Shady LP, if you listen to When Stark and Hell is Hot from DMX, if you listen to um, The Coming from Busta Rhymes, like, all these artists, their debut albums are really, like, their origin story. Because that's where... You almost end up putting your whole fucking life up until that point in that first album. Like it's like I think I think artists wait for their entire life. I waited so long that I got near damn near forty years I can put to that shit. So, you know, I'm gonna get crazy, crazy artwork done. But that that album, like I, I can't talk about anything yet because like I, I want things to be concrete before I mention them. But I'm working on trying to get some big fucking shit done on that shit. So if I, if it became my last album, I'd be proud of it. Like I'd be okay to, I don't think it would be my last. I don't album. see why it would be your last album. Like this is the era oh, where it like very easily, it could very easily be that though. Like, honestly, it's like the love is still there. I love doing it. I don't like the music business. It's not something I've ever enjoyed. I, I'm not like, well, Rico. I, I'm, I'm naturally not a social in terms of like, I'm not trying to get attention. I hate attention. I, I like to kind of fade back. So it's, it's finding that balance again where I'm okay with that. Like, I'm always going to make some shit, but I don't know how many, like, full-length albums I'm going to do. It might just be EPs for the rest of my life, and that's okay. I mean, like, now me and Skinny talked about doing an EP together. I, I plan on doing a you lot of collabo EPs. Well, yeah, but I'm doing them one producer at a time now, except for Origin Story. Origin Story is going to be really, like, the combination of all the amazing producers I know. Um, but, like... Right now, my focus is really like collaborative EPs. I'd rather do that. It's more fun for me. Um, I have more pleasure in it. Like I, I, I feel the, the the collaboration is what fuels the music to me. So like, this is how I see so. this works, right? We you do the grind part to get to a point where the music part and all of this is set up and pays you, and then you sit back, hidden from the world, and make albums like Aesop Rock. I agree. I just you know I'm at a point now where the idea of not let's say let's say quitting my job to make music full-time i don't see it like that's not a tunnel at the end it's not a light at the end of the tunnel i see you know why because no matter what music's not going to give me health benefits <laughs> it's not going to give me uh dental insurance like there's things that the music industry is not set up for In theory though if and, you got paid enough from a situation and a series of situations like let's say in we a, can use private insurance, sure. In a best case scenario, some of us accomplish our more grandiose goals. Five years from now, you're pulling like a hundred k clean off of music. <clears throat> That's what I would have to pull off for me to be willing to quit my job right now. Like nothing less than that a year, consistently for like three years. It would take that for me to quit. Which because honestly, is kind of like a fair statement. I wouldn't. I didn't quit my job the whole time I'm doing this, I still have a job. 
I like the yeah. job security of having a job. To me, having that allows me to create more rather than less. It is exhausting, which is fair. But with that, like, I don't know. I, I just value that. But ideally... But see, I didn't value it when I was really in my music-making days. Mm. I did not work a job. I did everything to get paid off music. Every little thing I ghost wrote, I, I did whatever I could. But what's crazy is like I have like no sales skills. Like even I was thinking about like I don't even feel quite comfortable messaging rappers with an interview platform. Even though I could probably say I've interviewed guys like Don Smooth and get in every fucking door. But like I don't want to be that guy. I'm not. I am not great at it. Like I know I have to be more of it. That's a thing I have to work on being more assertive like it. But like that's the downside of it is. I've never been in that position where I've had to like fight like that for it. It's like, nah, I can just keep doing it <laughs> and it's worked. See, but... Sales is just not my, like I've done sales in my life, like in terms of the jobs, like a lot, but like I can't now, like even selling myself as an artist is always a tricky proposition to me because I'm like, I don't, I don't want to beat people over the head with it. I don't want to like, push myself on anything like i don't like that aspect of it but it's like i don't like even i don't like having to put a value on what i do even so when i have to do when i do have to charge for something you know so i've had people like okay like yo how much how much for a verse you know and i'm like you know that moment where i sit there and weigh that question now is trickier for me than it's ever been i used to be much more confident with like ah here's a price bye right now i don't like selling my shit like i'd rather collaborate so I limit who I work with. I don't work with everybody because I'm more, there's what featuring, who's going to pay me for featuring that's going to be really like, it's all it's going to pay my bills. Like if it, 200 bucks is cool. All right. I'm not knocking 200 bucks, but I'm saying at the end of the day, I've made the mistake of being on track that the artist, not that, not that I don't like the artist, but I don't like how they rap for instance. Or like if I, if I make a song with somebody and I fast forward their verse, that's a bad fucking sign. Like that's see that's what it is for me. Like I like because I lose fucking that's ego bad. all the way because I listen to my own shit. I love listening to my own shit, and everybody I have on a song with me, I will never fast forward their verse because I'm proud to work with everybody I've worked with. But like if I sold the verse and I had to fast forward that other person's verse, and it's happened, I'm not gonna say no names, but trust me, it's happened. When I every time I play that song, I fast forward the verse. And that told me, hey, maybe you shouldn't have gotten money for that. Maybe you should have let that go. I mean, Some things are more important than money. Maybe. But, like, I guess I just see it like there's two sides to it. There's parts of this where you're, like, an artist, where I think within the realms of your artistry, you probably shouldn't compromise on your value system. It doesn't sound like you compromised on your value system to do those verses. No, but it's a slippery slope. Every day for anybody, because we all claim this high moral ground as artists where we're like, I don't want to sell out. And I'm like, well, what's selling out? Bro, I'm like, what, what by all really definitions, you know I mean? I'm basically like, a living sellout by any, like half of what I'm doing is this like play to get bank. It's just going about it a little differently. But I'm saying like, aren't we all like, I, I yeah. don't give a fuck. I've said it a million well, times. I mean, Look, yeah. I've made songs called fuck fame. Like the fame I don't want. The money I want. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, go, like one step one like, further with it, yo, it's like sometimes people will be like, sell out this, sell out that. 
and then praise a bunch of people who are effectively the sellouts of their era. And it's wild to me how little people actually understand about the music game. Like, you heard about it in Montreal? Somebody sold out somewhere. Good chance. No, that's a big fact. At you least, know, at second, least in promotion. Shout out the people in the chat. So shout out, obviously, shout out to Bonnie. Shout out, Bonnie. I've been seeing a lot of comments and I haven't said anything. This mail, what's up? Low my like, what's up? Shout out, Linda. Yeah, man. You know, just wanted to show some love for the chat. Not forget that. But yeah, let's. And Zamanau's here. I want to give Zamanau oh, yeah, love man. too. Shout out Zamanau, Zamanau makes too. beats though. This guy's wild. He goes by obnoxious. He's fucking really cool. I met him over Twitch. He's just dope. Very dope. But I like that. The Twitch community builds, you know, like my DJ does like these Twitches every morning, right? Like Royal Skills. And like the community that I see Twitch building, like it led me to believe I almost wanted to Twitch the podcast instead of doing do. it traditionally. No, you do want to Twitch That's the podcast. About like it. you don't want to. Okay. Traditional podcast is a whole different game where you're basically an affiliate seller of shit. So it's like, if you're a salesperson, I would recommend a certain way where you drive numbers up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like Twitch is more of the community seduction, million dollar charm approach, right? And where you just kind of do, you just kind of do your thing, and you rely on being yourself, and then inevitably over time, you attract a core community around you, and then inevitably, and this part takes forever, you can probably monetize that. I throw in probably, but like that's where it comes. Yeah. So it's really like, and then you gotta. There's way more to it, but really what happens is, is the more people from this city, in English, that are on Twitch doing media like this the more we can pull audiences together and replicate the dj raid train so it's like i'm just being like why are you on youtube please come on twitch and nope everybody wants to yeah. do this super polished super edited like fucking thing put it on youtube where there's no money put it on youtube where they'll kill your channel the second you say the wrong thing put it on like what are y'all doing Go i hate on. youtube for demonetizing my channel i've been almost like i'm always hesitant to put shit on youtube now because i'm like you um, guys, I had my channel monetized and you just decided to do away with it. And I was like, that's some fuck shit right there. But, you know, we have no choice to use it. Unfortunately, it's a platform that it's you a cannot good archive. boycott. I see yeah, it like it's an archive. Boycott it. You know what I mean? You can boycott. You can be like Joe Bundy boycott Spotify, but you can't boycott like literally YouTube. It's the one thing that nobody can boycott. It's the Unfortunately, as much as even Twitch is popping, like YouTube is still the most important platform, unfortunately. But I would, I, I would argue higher, that foundationally for the YouTube internet. is like really in a very strange place, right? So YouTube is powerful depending on how you're going to market your shit. So if you're going to pay to play, you can do what the fuck you want. That's facts. I'm not going to argue that. If you want to go organic... Oh my God, you can only do what YouTube promotes or get the fuck out. That's why every YouTuber yeah. that you see effectively is making the same content on the same topics over and over again because YouTube promotes rabbit holes. That's all it wants is rabbit holes. So like end of the day, it's not That's a fucking song right there, guy. <laughs> but it's not going to just promote like behind that suit reviews. It's going to go, oh, so what happens is that everybody looking for reviews now thinks I'm doing it wrong when they're on YouTube. 
I can do what the fuck I want on Twitch, which still has like this degree of like, you can do what you want feel to it. It's almost like YouTube before YouTube got real algorithmy. But frankly, like, if I'm not saying the right shit or whatever, whatever, like, it's wild. Like, you're going to get the wrong stats and then YouTube throttles you. So you can work around that with a lot of, like, payola, I suppose. But, like, I don't make the kind of content where that makes sense for it to be real with. Like, you're not running ads on my fucking 90-minute album review. But, like, so I missed that train where it was, like, personality YouTube. But Twitch is... To me in that personality phase still at least for not gaming twitch so for this kind yeah. of side of it and then i don't know what's next probably vr vr would be my my assumption as to where it's all going uh even for the vr is going to be dope definitely I, and i think you're right and you said it multiple times in past interviews and i do definitely agree with you but there is a lot of emphasis being directed towards vr like in terms of where the technology is just feeding to right now in terms of what we're seeing the trends it's kind of inevitable at this point like we already have vr arcades like think about that there you know that that's like the beta test for everything because once those vr arcades are really like because there's a lot of bugs i went to one like they're buggy there's still a lot of you know kinks to work out but that being worked out they can literally create these same principle as the, the arcade but you go there and you all attend the show together in VR. Yeah, there are already you know I mean? people and then who eventually do that. That could be home. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But the V, like when I when I went to the VR arcade, that's what prompted me to be like, also oh, like this could be some real shit. Like even musically, because the options leave you well, like able to be immersed. A concert is so much more than just hearing the music. So being able to be immersed in it virtually. I know it's That's wild, but I went to a VR club one time. I didn't stay that long because I just wasn't like... Sometimes you're not in the mood to go to a club when you're in yeah. your room, but you want to go to the club because you're in the VR app. And so I'm dancing to pop music with some avatars, and I'm like, yo, man, like, I could see how in another version of life this would get me through some shit. Like, that was the other side of the coin, and I'm like, oof. Um, but like, really, like, I want to do a whole like music video to this project I have coming just entirely in VR. Like, I don't know how I'm going to coordinate this yet. I have to figure it out, but ideally it would be like, like as an experience, like as no, in, no, no, for no. people to watch no. it, they have to be in VR. No, fuck that. I want it to just be me filming a bunch of shit that takes place in VR and cause mm. I'm not really rich and I can't pull off the party I want. So unlike you. I'm very happy to find something in the middle that will kind of let me... Because, yo, doing it in VR is, like, a, another kind of flex, in a sense, right? Like, Of course. And it becomes, like, a whole different thing then. So, like, I have a concept. I want it to be, like, a story of sort that we tell through avatars via these chat apps and play out. And then I figured, because you can't do a party properly now. Like, even if I wanted to, the optics of filming a party look really bad even who cares it doesn't yeah. matter how legal it is so i don't know when i can do that and this feels like the best way to accomplish a party vibe and the cool part is except for all the people who disagree yeah. is that technically anybody can be there without vr with this one app at least and so there's apps that have like desktop clients so like that's my hope is to like get a bunch of people in a vr room and then, like, I know Tech Luciano's on that shit. Like, he saw it. He's like, oh, my fucking God, it's that good. And it's not that good. 
well i don't know i haven't tried it in a while i'll be honest my shit sits in the corner i got like so caught up in this twitch life my shit sits in the corner so much more than it should but like i feel like if people squatted up and we did like a virtual reality cipher like honestly it's the same kind of shit by the time it's mainstream you could have episode 153 that's a good place to be in in a VR, actually, no matter I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I should be really looking into making this a thing that we start in the next couple of months. I know, I'm really <laughs> tempted. I was gonna say, like, the other reason I bought the S21 Ultra is I'm trying to game the system when I shoot the videos with it by hashtagging Samsung and everything in it. Cause I don't know if people pay attention, right? But so Samsung, when, when uh, Jay-Z dropped the Magna Carter Holy Grail, right? So Samsung arranged it with Jay-Z to have his album appear in everybody who had a Samsung phone. Like this was the marketing. Now think about that. If your album automatically, it's like YouTube's done it too, right? Now, of course, it's a bigger scale thing. So like, I'm not expecting it to pop off like that, but I'm trying to look into gaming the system into a no, brand but, partner. Like, we'll look into time. that. Like I was like, say a word. I didn't even think about that. Cause I did the whole, we did the whole lose weight videos on a lot of every video I dropped was all shot on Samsung's right. And shittier ones than you have. So like in hindsight though, we probably should have put hashtag Samsung on those posts. Cause we shot it with those. I'm phones. thinking if you go on, when and I went would... on YouTube, so when I got my phone, I went on YouTube, right? And I looked up videos shot with S21 Ultra because I wanted to see what I was working. And that rabbit hole made me realize like you're bringing, you're doing promotion for them. Now, maybe they don't cut the check. Maybe they don't give a shit. Yeah, or but, maybe they do. But maybe they retweet you and they retweet or they create you. Okay, like there's actual opportunities yeah, and, and moves like that. That's, where, that's what I'm saying. Like on the smallest level, things can work. Yeah, that's for what you. I was saying. Like what a misplay to not hashtag them back in the day. Wow, that's a very good move, Rico Blocks. So like I baited it out to other people. People like me to do it, but hey, that's fine. Go buy S21 Ultra if you're gonna do it though, because I mean that's what they're promoting right now. You know what I mean? They want they want to they want people to see what their phone. cameras can do. And think about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I work for a I won't say who telecom company, so I, I it, it cost me, but it was worth it. I was like, it's that or I'm paying two thousand dollars for videos like I used to, mm. and or a thousand, let's say, and. Uh, like not right now. Now's the time to try and do some do-it-yourself shit. Do you so, have a gimbal? I'm, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I have a friend who has one. It's all stuff that like I'm working on. Like the first video I'm gonna shoot at my I'm at the park where I grew up. Like it's, it's I'm gonna shoot it in the next few weeks. I just have to go. I'm gonna re-record the song. Honestly, full transparency. I just felt like the verses needed to be better for what I'm doing at the video. And so, but yeah, that's gonna be the first test, uh, and then take it from there. But I mean, I have drones, I have others, not me, but I have a lot of friends that have equipment that, you know, it's, it's teamwork, you know what I mean? It doesn't get done alone. I've never ever, the, my run in Montreal, yes, I pretty much did by myself, but honestly, my music career depended very strongly on the people I had around me. That made shit move. If it wasn't for my friend Pat, probably wouldn't have sold the first 500 mixtapes of my second mixtape. You know what I mean? And even my first mixtape, the, the word spread just from people around me and Sean me. It was my first mixtape was a burnt CD with marker on it. 
<laughs> like, like if we just burnt CDs one at a time and put them in clear plastic cases and put marker on it, there was no cover, there was no nothing. People bought that shit for ten bucks, man. And to this day, I know somebody who still has a copy because they're just. I think we only burned like four hundred, maybe five hundred at most. But there's a few people that have actually mentioned me still having an intact copy of this CD, and I'm like, I don't even have that. <laughs> That's how fucking like that shit was gone, bro. But like everything depended very strongly on the people around you. And that's what I like what you're doing. You've surrounded yourself with people that have similar work ethics and ambitions. And that's important. And it's what makes the team, you know, it's a corny thing, right? Teamwork makes a dream. Teamwork makes the dream work, but it, it's a fact. That's it really true. is. <clears throat> no one subject to teamwork, it though. You know, what we all kind of need non-musician friends. I don't know how else to better That's all play. my friends. My whole group of friends are not musicians. Yo, I am like, that, that's, that's the thing. It's like, my life evolved. I'm not really where I was. And I basically worked at the same company for 11 and a half years now. So trust, that is not the place for all the homies at this point. It's just, it's not right. So like, really, everybody I know is related to music. So it's like, when you try to like, fill certain roles you're like oh say word artists are not the best at all the roles sometimes you want to like have converse and i've met a few people that are blessed that are just like straight business and i'm like oh this is so good much streamlined version of some of these conversations but like yo it's it's actually like i think a lot of us surround ourselves uh, i mean like i've done a lot to find creative support and a lot of people have been truly incredible and a lot of amazing like that but then it's like I realized how like I don't I don't know how to find like people not in music. That was like where I, I hit this like brick wall recently. It's like everybody's related to music in my life, and that's probably not the best to complete the team. Outside of my work colleagues, which some of them I'm real cool with, but like I have the same three best friends since I was 15, 13, 14, well, 14 years old maybe. Like one of them when I was 18, but overall, over 20 years plus, it's the same crew of friends. And it's the people I fucking trust and you know what I mean? I, I, I can get my opinions from them unfiltered. They don't look at things from a music standpoint or a music business standpoint, or it's like I get the, the voice of the people, like, and they're all different, everything, different personalities. I really get, you know, a balance, you know, when, I, when I'm talking the wrong shit or I'm not fucking spinning the right bar or when I'm fucking whatever, I'm, I'm not, if I'm out of pocket, they're the people that are going to check me that I hold more dear than anything. But the music business has given me a lot of friends too. You know what I mean? And some I don't talk to all the time. It's not even sometimes that kind of relationship. But when we link up, family, family, like, and I, if that person needed me, I would be there in a second. You know, like Skin Deep is one of those people. Like, dude, we actually haven't physically spent that much time together in the 12 years we've known each other. But there's a kinship there. So I, I have mad love for that man. Yeah, he speaks extremely highly of you. Well, I, I, it's likewise, bro. Like the love is there because like, didn't he show me love when he didn't need to, when it wasn't the wave, there was a point in Montreal where it was like, oh, it was cool to finally show me respect because other people in that position were respecting me. But Skinny wasn't on that wave. He didn't wait till other people gave me my flowers before fucking with me. You know what I mean? So like that kind of shit you you notice it and you remember it and you don't take it for granted because there's a large population of montreal hip-hop that i'm cool with but they was only like oh cool with me when other certain people were cool with me all of a sudden and 
they would see me on certain tracks and all of a sudden we're all homies. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I, I got no hate for them because you know what? Nobody's done any snake shit. It's all been cool so far, but I'm never naive enough to be like, Hey, like, this is not, this is not the dudes I go tell, Hey, if I don't like some, I, when I hear some Montreal rapper that I think is trash, I can tell my friends. I'm not running around on Instagram fucking telling everybody who I think is good and who I think is trash because I think that's petty and bullshit. I have a right to not have the same taste as people, but I should never be out there saying something is trash. So I kind of roll with that. But I need to have that close-knit friend. My music people, I can't go and fucking... I don't, you know, I'm not going to throw any names, but I can't go and chill with any of them and be like, oh, such and such, this artist is trash. Yeah, it's Because I'm just shooting thing. myself in the foot. No, it's you know true. I, mean? I and, definitely... And it's okay. not in my nature because I won't say it behind somebody's back. I would only say it to their face, but to my closest of friends, I can be like, oh, man, I really, I can't stand this fucking song. Like, like I can do that and it's a safe space. And it's not like I'm sitting there trying to destroy that person publicly because that's never the goal. Like, I'm, I just have to be... People have to be okay with not liking shit without having to spread it to everybody. See, like, that's... I used to love Twitter, and Twitter is that place. Twitter seems to be the place, or even Facebook these days. It seems to be the place where it's like, if you have an opinion, let me go fucking tweet it and post it. And, like, motherfuckers listen to a new album that comes out. It's been out for an hour. They're on Facebook and now your album's trash. Like, bro, live with this shit a little bit. Give this shit a chance. It's been an hour, and nobody needed to know that. You know what I mean? Like we're in this world where like people voluntarily want to give their opinion on everything. And sometimes it's just not necessary. You know, some things are best left for sitting in the room with your homies. Yeah, that's a big fact. I had to learn that the hard way. I was being a little too negative for a minute. And sometimes negative, you know, especially when people are reading your posts, because you're not always realizing you're saying things on Facebook. People are reading the things you're saying. And they're, it's you that they're saying them. And then, mm-hmm. yo, people react however they're going to react. But I know for a fact that I've made my life harder in certain camps because of things I've said. Like, I just have. I, I, I talk well, we about all do. And then I realized, like, yo, you're right. Like, yo, I think it's completely fair to to have, like, a zone where you and some peeps, you know, are low-key shit talk a little bit more than you should because I think every human does that a little bit. <laughs> whoever you are maybe you don't and if you don't cool i think most of us do that we all have our like little moments of fuck that person even if it's unfair even if it's an uncool thing and it's private and it's never meant to be in public so i agree with you on that and to be fair myself on being able to tell people face to face and not do the behind the back shit right but i'll tell you one thing i've never told my friend somebody was trash and then when i saw that person was like Yo, I'm a fan. This is super dope. Like, that's not going to happen. Mm. Like, see, that's the thing. At the same time, there has to be, even if you're going to do the shit talk, you kind of got to hold firm to what you believe. But I might not like somebody's music. I might love them as a person. So that's, that's why you don't like, go out really and fair. So to that, it's like my best response is this. Like, I could see how not everybody wants to listen to Rico Blocks. But I bet mm-hmm. everybody knows two or three people that would listen to Rico Blocks. And if we flipped our thinking as a culture to, okay, I don't fuck with this, to I don't fuck with this, but these people might, and we all did this for each other, 
oh my fucking gosh, the organic spread. Because, yo, people actually care what I think about music. I mean, it might be baffling, but at work, yo, no. I'm like the rap expert at work. I'm really not. But, like, I am to demographics and shit. So, like, if I'm like, yo, check out the locals, maybe it has an impact back in the future days when we're not sitting and work from home forever. This might have been more effective in the old days when I actually saw people. <laughs> I'm gonna be real with you, but like in the hypotheticals to it, right? Like I'd be, I could be in a position where like I pull up, play Montreal music in the in the parking lot. You know, like we could, you know, it doesn't have to be like fully like from like the scene level. Like my preferences dictate what I I promote entirely. That fuck, if I did that, I'd have no career in this media game. I kind of have to love everyone. See, I'm a strong proponent of it. If you go look at my Facebook timeline, or even on tw well, left on Twitter these days, but a little bit, I'm still a little yeah. active, but barely. Hold up. I think if you type it, hashtag Montreal Hip Hop on Twitter, it's like basically Rico Blocks and one other person is the only two people that have used that hashtag in like a year. <laughs> nice. Well, that's always a plus. But yeah, like, see, like, my Facebook timeline is full of shit that I've shared because I share. Anything that I fuck with, I share it. I, I, it costs you nothing. You know what I mean? Like, if I like it. Like, I, I've never genuinely shared some shit where I sit back and go, yeah, I don't like this song, but let me, like, show this man some love. I have totally done that. Hate thing. I know. See, I, I mean, and I get, and I get the media part of it, you kind of got to play the politically correct game. Yeah, I show up like, on music videos all the time. I mean, there are people that I blatantly like more than other people. And here's the thing, though. It's not even fake to me. What happened was, is I used to like shit. Then I did album reviews. And I don't know what happened, but something... Like, I stopped... It just got you weird. You put yourself in a mode where you analyze it and create, you don't enjoy it as a fan anymore because you're not listening to but your fan ears. I came back as, like, a fan. And I kind of like genres I used to hate now. That was a huge... So I like a lot of the shit people would not like just on whatever like there's very little music i dislike now is the end result because actually on a content creation front you have to love everything you review so you learn to find things to say positive about things you hate now that skill translated into i don't really dislike things in music anymore so I'm actually a really shit reviewer in regards of my grade matters, but my conversational analytics may be interesting to you. So like, it's wild, but like I hear most Montreal and like, yeah, I hear when things are generic or derivative of common trends. I hear a lot of the things everyone hears, but at the end of the day, what I also hear is you can listen to only Montreal music and it's I. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. There's a period where my iPod, I just had a folder of empty and I just left it on shuffle. Because there was the golden days where everything that was coming out was just fire, whether it be iBlast or Rock or Unes or, man, the, 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 everything that was coming out, SRH, right? Like, uh, fuck, I, every, Crazy K, the, the list of murder face, like, bro, like I could fucking listen to Montreal shit all fucking day because the quality content was being put out but yo right now you know I mean? and now it is but it's so single based that it's hard for me to enjoy i really am still an album person i don't know i found okay so for me i guess i don't have the same exposure but 
it's been like a time capsule. Like recently, I came across Below the Kid. Below's dope. We used to record in the same studio back in the day at the CS DZ. That's fresh. And this song, Hollywood, it might be my yeah. like favorite song. That again, it's 2016-17, right? And I just discover it today, and I'm fucking loving this shit. You know, like Bilo's a beast, man. Like, like he's a beast. That's the thing I think about the Montreal scene is there's just so much of it with zero organization that yo, what's up, Dave? Dialect, say a word. Oh, what up, dialect? But like, like as an example, like this guy. I didn't. I wasn't cognizant of who he was until his name kept coming up and and things like that. And you're like seeing it more and more. And um, but like once you start digging into the crates of Montreal hip hop, it's like I don't really care what style you like. I'm confident I can find you fifty to a hundred guys that are doing it. Now you may oh, not yeah. like all of them, but I'll promise you ten of them will be good enough that you will fuck with them. And I'm so confident about our scene that it's not a talent issue. It is not a talent issue, and I'm talking just English. At all, at all, at all. And you know what? This goes to the point of where I, I'm at a point now in my life where nothing is trash anymore. It's either for me or not for me. That's it. You know what I mean? Like my tastes are evolved enough to accept that the the, the stuff that young dudes is putting out may not be for me. But I ain't gonna sit there and be like it ain't dope just because it ain't for me. I can I can appreciate talent regardless of if I like it. So like now, that's the, the the vibrations we all have to be on. Where it's like, you know, I just met a young rapper from Shamani when I did my the thing at, at my hometown park. So it was like an open mic, and we let the kid went and rocked, and I put him on my Instagram story. I was like, dude, I love seeing the up and coming talent do their thing. Now that they have so many avenues and platforms open to them, it's an amazing thing. So it should be a fucking love fest. Like, especially the older dudes. Like, we we need to not just share our shit, but share the younger dudes' shit, too. And not do it for clout. Like, do it because you need to fucking be supporting these fucking things. Facts. Because at the end of the day, we did our time. A lot of us are still around, but let's not mistake it for this isn't my era. Like, I'm putting out music for my core fans. Maybe I'll gain some new fans, but I'm not foolish enough to think, hey, like, this is my time. Like, 2021, I'm taking over. No, fuck all that. Nah, this at is best, the at best what we rock. can do, and we can take over a lane. You can have a lane. I'm going to just be present. I just want to be a present. <laughs> but like, like, I'm just happy to be do, dropping what I want, like getting it off my chest, bro. Like, music is therapy for me now. That's all it is. This is love and fun, and the business aspect of it is only because I'm going to have to because of the way we have to approach releasing it. But for me, this run of music is the most passionate and in love with music I've been in years because I'm not like I need to blow up. Like, this is not a thought in my head. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not chasing the record deal or the whatever the hell you're supposed to chase now. I'm not. If it comes, it comes. Dude, I've already accomplished the milestones. Like, there's milestones I've accomplished. Like, DJ Premier playing me and Slick Jack shit on the radio. Like, people don't understand. For whatever that accomplishment is worth, I could retire happy off that, like, because Primo played my shit on his radio show. Like, we all want different levels of validation. My love for hip-hop has always been about the respect. I wanted my bars to be respected. I wanted my talent to be respected. And I've gotten those opportunities already. So everything now is icing on the cake. 
like I, I didn't need to blow up to feel the love. I got the rock shows. I didn't headline major shows. Nope. But the ones I got the rock, I rocked and I did my thing. And it's been an amazing run. I got nothing that I look back on and like, oh shit, uh, it's just a debut album and that's coming. So like, Eureka, you know that like idea now. where like when you're trying to get laid, you strike out a lot, and then the second you stop looking for it, it just falls in your lap. Like you just have that kind of that's energy. That's pretty right much now. life, bro. Yeah, but that that's that's what life is, you know. Like, listen, man finds God last. I'm I'm not even a religious dude, but that saying to me means everything because it's like I'm a I'm a chess player in my head. Like the way my brain operates, I think very strategically. That's all fine and great. You can have the best plan, but watch any fucking war movie and what they fucking always tell you. Your plan lasts until you hit the battlefield. Your plan's out the fucking window. So we can make, I can make all these plans and be like, I'm going to accomplish this and I'm going to accomplish that. But all I do is write me a list of things I hope I pull off. Like my album, there's a list. It's like, and I'm going to post this list. I said I was going to post it about a week ago. Where I was gonna post like the dream list of the producers for the album, most of which I have relationships with, so it's not gonna be like a surprise to them that this is the goal. But it's just to show people like this is gonna be posting a list now. Let's see if I get that dream album. Like if I pull it off, I pull it off, man. Like, dude, honestly, I want to get a DJ Premier beat. I might not get it. My boys already was like, nah, you, you know, keep hoping. Maybe I won't. I'm but sure, if I'm, I get sure, it, I'm sure but that if could I be a question of racks or whatever, you know, like there's always of course, to of course. But here's the thing about Primo. Primo, you can give him racks all you want. If he ain't fucking with you, he ain't with Primo, if you watch DJ Premier interviews, you'll learn quickly that DJ Premier might has might have the most artistic integrity of anybody in this fucking music game. Because he only ever worked with people he fucked with. He never did shit for just a check. And the love and the passion is always so for me, growing up on New York rap, Primo is like the ultimate goal. My two two big producers, not only wrong, I would love to have Timbaland and Pharrell, blah, 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 forget that. The two producers I really want for my album outside of Montreal, because everybody else is in Montreal, but it's really Primo and Knotts. Knotts has done a lot of the Yo, Knotts is, is incredible. Knotts is... has done a lot of my favorite beats from since I was a teenager, so is like... That that disconnect that guy is a lot more in the realms of you could probably pull that off realistically yeah and you know <clears throat> i'm hoping but you know what i mean the the firepower i'm going to try and bring from montreal because it's going to be like 90 percent produced by montreal because the producers i've worked with there's people that it's like from the day we met when that moment comes that's that moment like we might have done records together we might have talked about doing, doing records together but like this is this is the one like this is where I lock in with everybody I've ever connected with that I know that the bond is right. If I look at my first four singles, who am I gonna try and get? I'm obviously gonna reach out to Rough Sound, Coma Karma, DJ Manifest. Like these are no brainers. These are people that made me the biggest records in my catalog. Like so, I'm gonna go to the and all three are upper echelon Montreal producers. Like they're beyond my budget. Like don't get me wrong. Like, thank God, I love these dudes, and there's respect there. But that budget is, but it's worth it. Their work speaks for themselves. But then there's Vince. Vince, I know Vince. I don't know if Vince is going to remember this probably, but Vince's cousin Chris is an old friend of mine who produces, called Voodoo B. So Voodoo used to always, 
this is like 2006, 2007, like Voodoo and his friend Nick would come and get me and we'd head up to Vince's house. And so it'd just be like chilling out. I never really put it two and two together when I was chilling with Murderface, like when I got to know him as technician and all that, right? Like I, I didn't click right away. And then like a year or two later, I think it was like after Murderface was done or whatever, but like so my boy Chris hits me up and he's like, yo, so I seen you with Vince because there's a picture of me and Vince and Spook One, I think, on Facebook. And I was like, yeah, he's like, yo, you don't remember this Vince? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, there's people who, it's, it's long overdue. My dude, um, Simon Says, who used to go by Joker, Kenny. That motherfucker is one of the illest fucking producers. If you go look up, uh, I'll send you the link. Like, it's like instrumental projects. But as a rapper, a producer... Like, that motherfucker is one of the dopest ever. So me and him talk about linking up. Like, oh, man, the, the list, of course, Matic. Like, I mean, the, the usual suspects of Matic, Vince, Skin Deep. Like, these are all things that I absolutely, like, need to get done. Because me and Skinny only have, like, two joints. And we've known each other way too long. I only have two joints. You know what I mean? So, joints. We need more Rico Blocks yeah. X Skin Deep. It's gonna come though, like, and then I've I've already got one beat from Sean Miller, like goes under Real Vision right now. Um, Miller's fucking dope. He do R and B as a singer, but he also produces. And he did the reminder for me, which on my SoundCloud is, if it's still there, or I don't know if it's still there, but because uh, it was reposted. But yeah, he did the reminder for me, which is one of my favorite fucking joints, fucking bars. The Nicholas Craven is somebody I'd like to fucking work with definitely um being a i'm a big fan of all the stuff that he did with ransom and shit because those are the type of rappers i listen to ransom royce mickey facts uh like lupe like i know I'm pulling out the names that seem very recent to people but benny like right now like I, I, anybody in that realm of lyrics is you know the jedis cro crooked eye like crooked eye is my maybe my has to be in my top three rappers alive right now like everything crooked eye does locksmith is really dope um you know what i mean so there's a lot of shit that i listen to and i look for shit that equates to that but craven has been doing and he's from gatno like i'm watching this motherfucker just work with the illest lyricists out of the states right now and his beats have always been fired just i was on my hiatus there was no reason to reach out and get a beat now and i've never met the dude but I, i'm gonna have to bridge that gap because like mm. i need a craven beat i need a craven beat so craven if you ever watch this i need a craven beat um yeah man i mean dude I, the list cali like murder music like dude there, there has to be a cali beat like dude everything i'm recording is at his place like that's where that's home that's second home for me as far as studio goes now so like so you gotta go get all the way beat. from laval to la salle the perks of finally having a car, my friend. I finally get to enjoy that. I used to have to bus Metro everything. So I've only had a car for a year, but trust me, it comes in handy. Mm. I, um... It's worth it, though. Think about it like this. I don't see the distance because working with Cali is worth it. I... Like, I can, I can fucking easily find any studio on Laval, but the studio don't matter. The engineer is everything. So for I don't care what equipment to do that. I can record in a fucking closet. My issue with him is his schedule at the moment. Where I'm, well, see, I'm lucky. I have days off on the weekdays, so mm. 
because like when I want weekend sessions, if I have a weekend session, he's gonna tell me it's the other, it's another dude. Like he has somebody working the weekend session, which is cool. But I told Cali, I don't go to Merck Music not to work with Merck Music. You know what I mean? So I, I'm lucky. Like our days off, my his days on and my days off. I just go there, take a whole like six hour session and just vibe. Like I went to his crib at seven twenty in the morning to meet the guy for the first time. That's crazy. Well, I live pretty close by cycle. So for me, it's nothing yeah. to cycle to LaSalle. Like it was, uh, it took me like 20 minutes to get there, 23, 4 to get back. So like that's reasonable to me. And uh, I'm just surprised it's so early. Well, I mean, I'm re I'm up at like 6.30 most days. So I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And then we never really set it up again because of me. I, was, I haven't been as up as early. But I would, I was, it was the only time we had because he's fucking... His, his whole like studio time is my work schedule at day job line so like i hit him up next week because i have days off but i don't know if he's free because you know at the end of the day he's going to be making money or hang out with holden make money's gonna win and i appreciate that Merker miyagi i appreciate you but yeah i just i'd never met him i talked to him in the dms a bunch that's what my whole life feels like now i talk to people in the dms and i'm like i'm now like kind of meeting people in real life because Everybody I know now, I met during COVID, which is wild to think about. But, like, I just, like, my work friends, I'm like, oh, we're not really friends. Like, I thought we were. Not, no disrespect. The ones that are, you know. Yeah, but. You know, and we, we don't see each other for a year and a half. It's cool. Everybody loves it now. I'm sure everybody has happier. But then it's like, all I have is these people I've met recently. So it's been a wild rush of like meeting new people in real life like that. So it was like for him, it was just that time slot. And then it just, it's hard when he's only available Monday to Friday in work hours. But um, it's dope that you work with him. He speaks highly of you too. He, he, like, he fucks with the blocks. Yeah, man. Well, listen, man, I, I try and make it a point to be just genuinely myself. So the people that fuck with me, it's because you know what you get is what you see. And if I'm lucky enough for that to be conveyed, I usually tend to have very good relationships with certain people. But anybody that speaks highly of me, you would hear me speak highly of them because like I, all those relationships, it's mutual. You know what I mean? It comes from such a respect place that like, I'm just lucky because man, yo, people could have been like, Oh, that dude was dope, but he fell off. Like, I took eight years off. I kind of ghosted the whole scene. There's a lot of people that could be looking at it from that aspect, and instead, but they, they just show me love and still down to work. Like, when you ghost the whole scene, you're not always going to be that lucky that the people you used to fuck with still fuck with you. Like, this is a blessing. Like, when people still fuck with you, that's just, you know. So I'm just lucky enough for that. And, you know, that's everything. At the end of the day, so I I can't even say enough about any of these people. Like, like I always go back to Skinny just because, like, that motherfucker checked on me when I was in dark times. He was checking on me. Not everybody does that shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they, 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 especially if you only really, on the surface, have a music relationship. Like, nobody's really checking for you. When I was on my, the first four years I was that I took off, I was in a fucking dark place. But Skinny would link up. Like, he would holler. Make sure I'm good. Like, boost me up. Like, and that shit meant a lot. We didn't have to do that. He didn't owe me that shit. So, you know, like I said, bro, you, you just learn to see the people around you as blessings because you never know when they're going to come at the right time, but they always come at the right fucking time. Yeah, it's like, facts. 
I definitely think I've been blessed to meet a lot of relatively interesting people over the last year. I mean, Vincent Price has been very valuable in a lot of ways. He's a really cool dude. And, like, Cool Man Logan is an eccentrically interesting person to know. Definitely. He's like, you know what, man? It's almost unreal, but I really appreciate that guy. I, I don't know how to describe it. He's a surreal experience that you want to have. But he's genuine. Like, he's so genuine. Surreal, like, there's some man. people that just... So that's good. the thing, right? So, some people, you can think they're real and assume they're real. But with CL, like, it, it's always genuine. Like, that's, that's all you get. There's no thinking, no yeah, fronting from that dude. Is exactly like that. I think he is yeah. by far... The only person that it, he almost derives pleasure from being like, nah, that was whack. And I'm like, yeah. I thank you for that. I mean, he calls me on my shit too. Like, that's what I'm saying. I respect the shit out of that. And I try as much to be that same dude. Like, honestly, like, I, I, I'll tell somebody when their shit ain't my cup of tea or if that's not, like, I, but I believe in it because you can be honest without being an asshole about it. But sometimes you got to check people on their shit. Maybe you're doing, maybe it changes nothing. Or maybe you gave them a tool, a new tool in the toolbox. You know what I mean? So like Skinny has always been somebody who checks. Dude, there's days where I would post shit about, ah, young rappers, blah, 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 blah. And he'd be like, stop the old man shit. Like he would call me out of my shit and be like, stop, don't act like you. He's like, and I was like 34. He was like, stop acting like you're 45. Like. You can't be like, and I checked myself because of that. And that's when it became very much like, oh, shit ain't trash. It's just not for me or it is or it isn't for me. You know what I mean? But that that's the grace of skinny just being blunt. Like I fuck with people who are blunt because that's who I am. I appreciate anybody who has that trait because you always know what you're getting. There's no surprises there there's no tricks there's nothing up their sleeve there's no it shows there's no hidden agenda when i can just tell somebody straight up what i think they gonna respect it whether or not they even are happy or mad that i said it they're gonna respect it knowing the place where it comes from that's you know you, you approach things from that aspect that's why skinny is like that i'm like that Ciel is like that, but I admittedly have not spent enough time with Ciel no, outside of the shit. So here's the thing. When I say he's surreal, I mean, it's stuff like you will get questions like Rakim or Cool J or Cool G Rap at like 2 a.m. And you're like, what? And then like, I love that. and then you'll get like a link to the most random. I watched the randomest video today. It was like <laughs> DJ EFN learn your hip hop history. And then I realized this isn't anybody. This is just some random video CL found and shared with me. I don't know if he I thought it. I would like it or not. He just, he has the watch later gang. This is some shit where him and Chris Chrome would link up at like midnight and they would go through this whole thing. He's going to get mad that I'm revealing the secrets of Watch Later Game. It is what it is. <laughs> but, um, and they would, because he has a playlist of 4,000 fucking videos that he just put on Watch Later. Watch and later? so oh, man. he says, That's Chris, an amazing rabbit hole. So he goes, pick a number. And then you pick a number and you go find the video and you decide if you can watch this reasonably on a time. And I am like, you guys are doing this past my bedtime, so I'm out. 
And I'm like, that's what I mean by surreal. I mean, that kind of shit is just wild. Like, he is, as a human, so interesting. And it's like that's a blessing so to know this guy. <clears throat> Dude, that, like, the, the, the you know, Rock, Rock Kim or Big Daddy King type of questions. Like, I live for those conversations. Like, those are the best. Like, to me, like, friends need to challenge each other with thought. Like, you, you, like if somebody's going to ask you that question, like, you want to have an answer and have a reason why that's your answer. Like, so it makes your brain work. Like, I appreciate people that challenge. You, you want to be challenged mentally. Like, that, that's the stimulation we need at, from our friends, from the people around us. It's the most genuine shit ever. Man, the whole idea of, like, barbershop talk, for instance, as in terms of the culture, right? Barbershop talk is something that's, ingrained in hip-hop culture but it doesn't only happen in the barbershop like these are the type of things you would hear like somebody would sit in the barbershop one day and say exactly that question i don't think anybody in montreal is doing that right now you have a whole open market to go make your podcast off that idea but the barbershop thing oh yeah, yeah but it's done so many times in the state yeah, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, but it wouldn't be genuine coming from me i don't go to the barber well it doesn't so, have to be the barber like, shop you can take the concept of the parts that delight you and reformat that into Rico Blox's topics. Yeah. Well, I mean, eventually at some point that, that should be the goal is like to have those kind of conversations where we just fucking kick in, you know, like, dude, why shouldn't we be able to sit there and go, yo, I wonder how it would feel, how your body would feel after a year in space. Like, I know I you can look up that shit all Google, the time. I wonder that all the time. That's no, like, the but then what happens? Okay, forget about that. So you get used to being in space, right, with no gravity and whatnot. And then you come back down to Earth, and you have to now adjust. Like, you imagine how hard, like, your first fuck would be in that moment with gravity. Oh yeah, well, dude, who knows where what condition your prostate is in at that point? <laughs> like, does anybody know what the effects of the gravity? Like, think about it. There's there's like you lose body mass, bone mass when you stay long in space. So right. can you imagine what that does to your internal organs? Like that's a whole fucking avenue of theor theoretical questions of like, but I mean, an astronaut would definitely know. Like, did you go home and spark a week later? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if anyone asked the astronaut though, because we go back to that other point where we need your show to ask the astronaut if they had sex after. But yeah, exactly. Like, we should be able to have conversations with people and ask the wild, crazy shit we think of. Because to me, these are the type of conversations I sit around when I'm stoned with my friends. Like it's like, yo, like what if a, what if the venom symbiote was real? Like like would be wild. Like I sit there and it, like, I'm like nuts, right? I'm like, would you accept the parasitic entity to live on your body and use you to feed, but in return, what it gives you? Like, is the trade-off worth it? And we sit there and psychoanalyze that shit for half an hour. Like, dude, there's so much interesting shit that could be recorded podcast-wise, just if you're a, the slightest curious mind. So based on what you're telling me and those type of questions, CL would be a great guest for that type of podcast. Oh my gosh, I think CL needs a to I'm not even going to lie. If you and CL did a podcast like that, I think it would make him feel very happy because... I'm not the right guy for a lot of those questions. I don't know how to answer them in a way that hip hop heads matter because I don't evaluate it by any of the same metrics. So I'm really like, 
disappointing to get into that chat with for a guy like CL sometimes. But I could just picture with the dynamics of you two going at it back and forth for like an hour and a half, you could go down 17 rabbit holes on a question like, which mixer made the best beats in this era of hip hop? And then you guys would get lost. 90 minutes would go by and you would never even talk about the subject. But I'm telling you, like, it's like, I, I plan, I, I'm, told, I'm sure I've told Skinny this, but if I ever do a podcast that has Marvel shit, oh, we gonna talk some wild shit. Like, we gonna, we gonna what if the fuck out of that shit. Like, and then he'll just be like, stop this, or whatever. I can't do a good Skinny, <laughs> but I've watched him enough to know that when people go to what if, he has this stop this kind of attitude, don't go there. He just instantly puts up his guard, like, there's a sanctity to comics that we shouldn't be breaching these walls on. You might do it off. Yeah, but it has to be approached. Trust me, it has to be approached from a comic book head. Me and him will have a very interesting talk with that shit for sure, because we definitely have dueling opinions on certain things. But I think a lot of on a lot of the lines, like we're, we're gonna see eye to eye. But it's like I would literally do a podcast where I review and watch party the MCU from Iron Man to up until now, like. Because there's so much shit I feel like people watch movies and don't catch. Little, even just little callbacks to things that they do, like the Easter eggs. The, there's so much watching them. Like when you rewatch the movies now and you watch how they laid the groundwork to create the fucking Infinity Saga and the Endgame. Like, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of podcasting to be done on my end. And just trying to not be so scatterbrained and have like, 12 ideas for different podcasts and not pick one like so there's no way to incorporate incorporate everything into one unfortunately well you could if you call it rico blocks thoughts or something like that you know what the other thing is i would never be the star of my podcast like there would it would be uh it would never be an a mic b mic situation like i'd have to have co-host uh i would i would not have fun doing it by myself or just doing it like me and a guest every week let's say so like, and there'd have to be, I need more, you need more opinions. You know what I mean? Like I need, it can't be just a constant mirror or a black and white, or it's like, I say one thing and the other person, we need the third opinion at least, you know what I mean? So it's, that's why everything is still in the, in the concept phase. I spend mm. honestly, admittedly too much time conceptualizing shit. I have notebooks and notebooks of concepts and ideas that have yet to be fleshed out. So like one of my, goals since I've moved and started taking all these boxes out and going through old shit is starting to knock some of these off or at least build flesh out some of these concepts because like of course I have plenty of fucking ideas bro I used to I started writing a movie years ago I never finished it it's like a quarter of the way done but the idea the concept is fucking dope and one day I'm gonna finish that shit like there shouldn't be limits to what you want to do creatively if you have passion for it like if there's something you want to do just fucking do it if it takes you 10 years then so be it but there's no reason to limit ourselves but everything i do is on a creative level and the management level is not my forte so there's a lack of the business being done like i feel like <laughs> I told this to my boy leon stone i said what we need is a paperwork wizard I go, you don't need anything else. Like, you can do everything yourself. Well, what what you really saying, need like, in your life is a paperwork. That's reason. what I was saying a bit earlier, where it's like, how do you find the people that are just not creatives? Because that's the problem is these people are often not creatives. Because once you go down the creative path, like, 
You're not objective about the business. I'm not objective about decisions behind that suit. Like, I'm just not. I'm, I'm really blinded by a lot of my choices because I'm so in the middle of it. Realistically, having But it's somebody, your baby, guy. Like, that's it. That's so, too. So, like, having somebody else that, like, cares more about growing it, like, that's what they care about. That's what, that's their role. My role is to nurture and, you know, whatever, whatever. But, like, growing shit is a job of like a ceo and whatever and then all these different positions so like a lot of times like we want to be the ceo or we want to be like i'm a shitty ceo in my opinion i know but even that title like you know what you know what it's like everybody wants to be ceo but like to forget chief chief executive officer like you're talking about ceos exist when there's a board there's no, no you don't need a board a for a ceo private companies have ceos I mean, ceo has the there when there's like uh, uh, even in a small structure, CEO is the executive producer of your company. They're the decision maker. So every yeah. every group needs the top veto power decision maker, and that's every group has it. And so, like, what we what I find a lot of the creative group, and I'm not saying there aren't groups that exist that have this. I think a lot of people know a lot of people like this. I realized I don't know a lot of business savvy people that are passionate about business that are also not trying to make music. Like they like 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 Olivier Boudot is the perfect example of a guy I know that like fits this profile. All he, he, Love that he guy cares so much. about hip hop as much as any artist, but like he kind of geeks on data and charts and plans. Only media to ever travel all the way to Laval to meet me in my fucking hood to interview me. Like when he was doing the, um, I forget what the paper he was doing back then. Um, fuck, why can't I remember? But yeah, he did a whole article on me and he came all the way to fuck down. Up until that point, every fucking person I worked with in Munchie made me travel to Munchie every day. Nobody else took the initiative to come and meet me in my element. And since then, like mad love for Ali, man. Like that guy is one of the realest, most genuine fucking people in this business. And, like, I'm so happy that he's managing Dunny now. Like, shout out to Dunny. Dunny's fucking dope. Like, the the shit they're going to do, yo, it's crazy. And then, like, Hip Hop Cafe and all that. Like, I, I'm a very big, big supporter. Like, when I saw you do the interview with him, I, I tuned in because that motherfucker I have a lot of respect for, man. Like, a lot. That was a big interview for me. That was five hours of Olivier telling me nobody here has self-esteem to believe in themselves. And that is the interview in a nutshell. It is five hours yeah. of Olivier being like, no, nah, hold on, I'm sorry, but uh, if Montreal artists believed themselves, they would not treat this like a backup plot. And I hit it from like every fucking angle. And I realized even myself, I wasn't thinking big enough to make this like real, real. So now it's like it changed a lot. Like my... It really changed a lot. Like I went like way more intense since Olivier came out. You'll know. Like not long after that, my mixtape series started, and like my now we're in parks rapping, and we're we're doing more to be visible in ways that we weren't doing before. Maybe holding off on and taking bigger risks, perhaps, or at least investing more time and energy into wiser things that maybe required change. And it's a lot because he was like, if you really believe in yourself, you're gonna do it. Because why wouldn't you? You know, it's it's when you don't really, really, really believe in yourself that all of a sudden you create obstacles and blockers. And I'm like, nah, I'm 100% convinced in like 10 years I'm eating nice off of this shit. Like, it might take a decade. I, I can live with that. But I know for a fact that like, 
set. The, the, too many good things have happened in nine months. You know, like too many good things for me to not feel like the rest of my life is, is not easy, but golden. When you build the right foundation, the house will always be steady. That's it's it. that simple. And you've been building the foundation all this time properly, step by step. So consistency is what's going to get you there. That, that's all it is at this point. Like it's, it's, I don't want to call it autopilot because of course there's a thought process to it, but it's almost autopilot. If you do it consistently and keep nah, doing what you're doing. That's the part where it's like, I have to not just keep doing what I'm doing. You have to con if to keep doing what you're doing while constantly reinventing what you're doing at the same time. So consistency, yes, I'm going to keep doing the interviews, but at the same but time. But keep doing what you're doing in the sense of like you've been evolving yeah. this whole nine months. So that like whole part comes in. It's more like, cause you're like, but it comes with costs. Like you can't keep necessarily doing everything or like, you know, maybe back in the day you felt a ways and your ego got in the way and you realized, oh, say a word, there's maybe what, 15 fucking English Montreal platforms. And if I have beef and I am talking this and that, and I need to be real smart about how I approach the universe. Let's say there's 2000 English rappers in the city easily. Maybe like that's it. And with that foundation, we can do a lot. And I started looking at it mad different because like, I don't know, there's so much, but I just basically am now convinced that there's like multiple millions of dollars available that Quebec and Montreal have figured out how to leverage. And we just need to tap into this ecosystem they've created and just bring it to other places. Like, like literally what y'all are doing in a park is I, I didn't realize like exactly what you were doing, but I saw some footage. Like for us, we just hit the park too. And I want other people to hit parks. So like imagine if in every pocket, all the English or whatever, I don't know if y'all have French up in there. I figure you're English, but like. Well, I was doing English, Monkey was doing French, but that, listen, that whole initiative is the Maison des Jeunes, like, so oh, the, the little you know, youth home, like, so short story to that, in Shamadi, all my first shows and the first places I could rap for people were Maison des Jeunes shows. So they gave me my fucking start. So when my DJ got hired for the contract from the city to do this initiative, and then Monkey got hired to do the whole thing, I wasn't hired to do anything. But my DJ's like, yeah, but I know it's your part, so come true. So I came through just to show love. And Monkey was like, here, grab the mic. Like, and I just, you know, I let him lead and I just followed along. And we did little freestyle games and things like that nature. And then like went back the week after, did it again. I missed a week because I was I had too much shit to do. But then I went back like this week and fuck, I even did like a little show. Like I brought my show set and I did like four, four, three, four joints like live for them. And you know, we, we just turned it up a notch, but like all, all the props of that goes from again, monkey's relationship and his reputation for seasons. So when events like this hire somebody as talented as monkey, it's already a blessing. But then they bring it to my neighborhood, which usually doesn't get that kind of attention. So my neighborhood is known for, like, nowadays is known for two things. Like, Carrefour Laval, because it's, like, the second biggest mall in Quebec or whatever. And, like, basically, like, Scratch for a while. Like, it was, Scratch was a hot spot for a while. But, like, at the end of the day, 
we weren't, you know, nobody was coming to do shows. Now we have the Plaza Bell. Like you said, you went to see Wu-Tang and Laval. I was there. Like, dude, for Wu-Tang to be in my hood was madness for me as a, like, the teenage me inside screamed like a little girl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was something. Because that's the, Plaza Bell is basically the the limit of where Shamity ends and Pont begins, basically. Yeah, but it is kind or of Laval, Laval de Rapid. Yeah. Like it's like it's wild to think now that at the end of the day Laval is just an extension of Montreal, all things considered. Like I know it's its own distinct thing, but it always, it's not but, it, but, it's, but it's always has been. But like, it's like dude, not that different than bridge. like NDG being its own distinct thing. Like it'd be wild to just compare NDG to like any other part of the town and act like it's the same shit. Like it's just everything's so wildly different here and it's But like, it's a lot like a borough because for Shamity and like I, my, I went to high school next to this bridge, but the La Chapelle Bridge is connecting Shamity and Cartierville, which is like you guys are closer to each other. Yo, when I used to like it's a five minute walk across the bridge. But like what's crazy to, to me is like so. when I lived in a pure, I was living in Dollard, yeah, in Dollard. I was able to order from the Pindeli's Pizza in Shamity. That was uh-huh. able to come to my crib, right? And now like yeah. it's wild, right? Just to think that Highway that, thirteen. Because it's closer geographically, but like it really is a car thing. It wasn't until they made the metro out there that I ever once thought about ever going to Laval on some like. The metro's in my hood. The Montmorency Metro, again, like that and Place Bell, that's the end of Shamity right there. So, like, that's the. So, Shamity is basically like a square boxed in by highways. So, we on the left, we have the 13, on the right, we have the 15. And on the north, we have the 440, and then it's the, the river. So the rest of Laval is kind of split up. We're like the heart of Laval. So, yeah. Like, Shamani is basically like, like the first the corner in Laval was in Shamani. So when you're going north on the 13, the first exit, that's Shamani? Yeah, the Notre Dame exit or Samson so, exit. So, yeah. My first ever smash a car into a pole moment in my life happened in Shamadi right off that was with my, it wasn't like that bad, but I was with my mom, I had my learner's permit. We get off there and I go right into the fucking pole. Like she's like, Why? And I'm like, I don't know. Because you're nervous, you know, you're driving for like the first time. Yeah. And I was at the gas station. I experienced, right I only off experienced the that like exit. a year and a half ago, so I feel you. Not the smashing the pole, but the learning how to drive. I didn't drive or have a license until I was thirty nine years old, thirty eight years old. Yeah, I had a car accident when I was 21 made me never want to drive again and I wasn't even the driver but it gave me so much anxiety I couldn't and um, two years ago like I started the process and beat the anxiety and never been happier but like face your fears bro (laughs) like take the shit you're most scared of and fucking do it because like at the end of the day it's nothing like I sat there and feared that shit for 20 years I could have been fucking driving and having a blast yeah, I felt that way about cycling in the streets for a minute. And now, like, honestly, you know, the, the carry underpass ain't a thing to me. Just jump on that shit, ride it. You know, sometimes I'm like, am I allowed to drive here? Like, I'll be doing some Cote d'Elia. And I'm like, this kind of looks like highway. It's not. It is actually where you're supposed to go. But it's so easy to accidentally end up on the highway if you take the wrong turn. Yeah. It's fucking. But then you're like, yeah, but it's so much faster. I'm going to run it still. Is- and then you like, I feel like there's just this higher, because then you start doing shit like that, right? I don't know. For me, it's bold 
to cycle in the traffic. I like doing it. It makes me feel more bold. But then that just translates into all kinds of shit, right? Like, I feel bold there. Like, yo, I cycled to Meticulous's crib. I cycled back. I fell off almost home. I had to go fucking a while in pain. But I did that shit. I'm like, say word. Fuck that. I can handle a lot more in life. You know, like, those are like those moments to me that are the best, you know? I've done long walks back home from Montreal. Well, before I had a car, so there's no night buses in Laval at all, right? So what happens is you, I go do a show downtown. I get out at 3 in the morning. There's no way for me to get home. But there's one night bus that goes to Cartierville right to the bridge. So I would have to get off at 3.30, 3.45 in the morning, walk across the bridge in the middle of the night, which is some fucking scary-ass shit. Ah, so point of no return. That was a good comment we just got. Every Lavalian says the same story. Lol. <laughs> yeah, well, people hate on Laval way too much, man. You got to live there to love it. But yeah, I used to have to walk across that bridge. But the problem is, is there's a point on that bridge. It's like a point of no return. Like you're once you're in the middle. So your people who would rob you would come from each side of the bridge. That'd be the setup. So you had to watch yourself at night, like take off your headphones, whatever. Like, you know, it's like some fucking weirdest moment. But yeah, man, Bonnie, like, hold man, on, I can't hold on, Bonnie. Does everyone have that part of the story? <laughs> I never heard that shit before. I've seen one person get robbed. I'm not saying it's a fucking everyday occurrence, like you know what I mean. But it's happened. Ah, Dialect said, but don't, I, be, don't be real. Somebody has a bad history of people getting robbed, but that's back in the day. But that's only because you would show up to a place and it'd be like the McDonald's and it'd be like everybody from the neighborhood in the same parking lot. Friday night, like, because there was the record attack, which is what somebody was known for at the time at the roller rink, the arcade. The record attack is that moment where a lot of Montreal people went there for the first time and said, wait, yeah. say word. This is, uh, yo, I remember distinctly going, First of all, roller skating is cool. Like, you just kind of go, roller skating is cool. But it's in Laval. Because I don't think there was really anything in Montreal that was quite like that. No, you had to go there. It's one of the places where I did my one of my first shows in that roller rink. Because they had a stage. So, like, bro. But the, the, the McVee's parking lot shared the parking lot with the Rex. So people who went came from Montreal and went to the record tech would be like, yeah, I didn't know y'all got down like this. <laughs> like cars lined up. Like I mean, it's like the party was in the parking lot. Like and man, fuck, those were those were some wild days, man. But like the thing about Shamadi is, it's always been a weird dichotomy of very rich and very poor. Because as you come into Shamadi, you're in basically from the last fall bridge. You're basically the hood to the point where I went the street where I grew up. Like there was fucking prostitutes on the fucking corner by the Shamadi Inn. Super well-known. It's a little bit better now, thank God for that. Internet age and all. <laughs> they don't need to be on the street anymore. But, like, you get past, like, Scratch and that little shopping center, and you start moving up in price. And by the time you get to near the 440, the houses are, like, 600, 700 deaths. Like, it's a weird dichotomy of, like, different classes but it's no different than growing up anywhere. Like that's, I've told stories like and I tell people it's the same everywhere. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like Shamadi's no different. Like I'll tell Shamadi stories and people 
actually some I've had somebody say, Man, you really think Shamani is different? I'm like, no, it's the opposite. Shamani is the same as everywhere. Everybody's got a poor, middle, rich class. Every neighborhood has it, wherever wherever you go, from the fucking if you go to fucking LaSalle, there's the nice houses, there's the apartments, there's the condos, there's the cheaper apartments, the ghetto apartments. It doesn't matter where you go. Like you're not you're not seeing everything new. The perspective you get is the people. Me for me is like when I when I would come to Montreal and be like I'm from Shamani, they'd be like, Oh, you're from the suburbs. Like it was the first thing because you think you're off the island, so you're not from the city, you're yeah, from the that's, suburbs. That's exa- like, Honestly, I don't think of I don't I don't think Shamani and go anything but houses. It was because my dad worked for like a old guy in Shamadi. So he would like take care of him and shit. So we're talking like I would go to this place sometimes and it's like obviously this guy could afford my dad so he was had money. And you know, like it was just all this niceness and chinois. You go to chinois in the morning for breakfast and it's like a certain vibe, you know? Yeah. Dude, I still live I still live two minutes from where Chinois was. Like I grew up that's where I grew up around Chinois. Like the the thing about Shamani is like so there's a very big <laughs> so west of Labelle and Notre Dame, it's all like Greeks. A lot. A lot of Greeks. Shamani was very, very Greek, especially in the past. Like there's a whole part of the neighborhood that's almost all just Greeks. Like and so depending on the parks you would go to, you get different energy, different type of people. Like Kennedy Park was where the street shit would go down a lot of the times. But Kennedy was kind of barraged in between like duplexes around it. So you don't really like, it doesn't look like you're going to the hood. You're not going to the hood park. And in my park exist was pretty much that was while out. There was St. Martin park. Like, so, but like all these parks, like they're hidden in between the, the most suburban of Shamadi, but exist next to it. There's a bunch of little houses. And then you get to where it's actual projects like co-op buildings. And they they just had to tear down an entire like three blocks because of black mold, so they're rebuilding them now, like the HLMs they call them there. But like, there's still a whole part of Shamadi that like, you know, a bunch of little co-ops. They all share the same back alley parking lot. Like the the ghetto kids of Shamadi all grew up there, and the park next to it was Pizis, so everybody would just show up there. Like, man, Saint Martin Park was like one thing every park had a different purpose like we had a little park behind a fresh front that nobody could see so where we went we wanted to lay low from the cops like every place had a story but what's funny about shamani when it comes to laval is labelle and saint martin boulevard that corner is actually the first street corner in laval to ever exist like laval used to be just that intersection when it was uh la barre plouf like a old fucking town like that corner was the only fucking street the only intersection that was it and it grew out exponentially but like but i really gotta go pee right quick yo sorry about that i was yo what's up skinny yo skin deep when you watch this after yeah. you get like so much love it's ridiculous not that it's ridiculous because you deserve the love but like Yo, also congrats, cause yo, big moves in this man's life. He's fucking, yo, he's one of the yeah. coolest dudes. Coolest dudes. It's baby Lilandra. Yeah, I love that this man named the baby Lilandra. Yo, skinny, love man, love. Honestly, he's just That's cool. Some comic dude. book head shit, man. 
I flex with him still. His beats is one of my favorite beats. That's all I'm saying. Just because you came through. But we actually did give you like a... You got so much flowers that that's all you're getting now. <laughs> you already got a huge chunk <laughs> of that in the fucking interview. Um, but yo, honestly, I never really thought about Laval like that. I was aware that Laval, let's say, had projects and stuff. Just because like I met some people through the call centers from Laval. And the way they described it, it was like hard, hard. And I was like, oh, really? Like you just because you don't depends where though. There's only a few neighborhoods in Laval that are actually like hard, like Saint Francois, Vimont, Pontville, and Chamity. That's pretty much like where the hard shit. But like, bro, the fact Faberville, that you're saying, saying, and there's nothing. Like, I mean, there's hard shit in Faberville and Saint Rose. I love those hoods. Those are my extended hoods. But it's, it wasn't wild like that. But even then, like this is regular. Petty yeah, yeah. crime street shit. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like every hood has it. Like so, but yeah. But I mean, yeah. like you just don't really think so. about how big Laval is, right? I guess that's where it's at. Like I mean, as you describe like 12 it, neighborhoods or eight, ten, nine, ten, eleven neighborhoods. Like there's a lot of different. Like like Saint Dorothy is more rich area by the water shit. Like the Bordelow in Saint Dorothy is expensive ass fucking houses man but somebody's got that too somebody's got some by the water like penthouse shit like il patron like you can find a bit of everything man like he i, I could stay in somebody my whole life and move up every financial class to the top and you know what i mean to have a different perspective of the neighborhood because like it, it, it there's it, it's all a dichotomy of everything it's a melting pot man and that that was the best thing about growing up in my head at least for me was the different nationalities like fuck man i was completely immersed in a billion different cultures all the time so like that was the best part of it all i guess i'll have to say what we got on the laval thing so imagine a situation where you rent an amp and bust out park shows out in laval where you run it i do it in ndg <laughs> fucking somebody does it in the west somebody does it in the south somebody does it somewhere somewhere we just just are english and loud all over the parks According to the city councilors, as long as we don't say fuck, a little bit of censorship, uh, we can get away with this without anybody actually being allowed to shut us down. It's iffy, because, like, see, just at the park in Chamonix, the cops showed up, and it's a maison des jeunes shit. But fucking four cop cars showed up. Sorry. We ran that shit in NDG, no cop showed up. But Montreal and Laval has different like legislature too. Like on that okay. level, that's where the difference. Like we can turn right on a red light, bro. <laughs> like there's just so this, this shit applies to Montreal. Don't take like, what I'm saying to apply to Laval. I don't know Laval legislation. I've never once. But I'm sure into it's it. doable. Like I'm sure that, that after what the city saw was possible with these events that Monkey and my DJ did, I don't see why they wouldn't be down. Yo, just, nobody's you know issuing I mean? like, permits for COVID reasons. So there may be some like shit like that where the city gives a fuck. But like according to like how it works here, as long as you're not doing it for profit slash you're linked to it okay, if you do it, if you're linked to a charity you can charge, but otherwise as long as you're not doing it for profit and you're honestly not too big and disruptive, you can kinda do what you want. For sure. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, that's how hip hop started. Hip hop didn't have permits when they did the first block party. Like, Cool Herc wasn't worried about that shit. I'm very worried about that they shit. They were fucking plugging, they were <laughs> plugging speakers and shit from extension cords through the windows, bruh. 
Like, you know what I mean? The way hip hop started has always been rebellious. Like, if you think about it, it's it's rebel music. Like, that's what hip hop is built on. Like, these block parties that started hip hop, literally, like I said, like extension cords through the windows of the 1520 Sedgwick and Cedar building, like in, in the Bronx. Like, it's literally like, they're like, you know, like the panels on the lampposts, like they're unscrewing the panels and hot wiring the, the like, you know, the, the ingenuity of that is just based on pure rebellion. Like, they ain't gonna give us a party, we're gonna make it our damn selves. So like, there's, that energy is always needed in hip hop. Like, we, we absolutely have to stay rebellious. You know what I mean? So events like what you're talking about are great ways to be disruptors. And that's what we're trying to disrupt the the norm, the conventional, the boring. Like we have to disrupt that shit. So it's, uh, a, it's a great way to do it. I also want to be super English. <laughs> like for me, that's really I'm important. I'm with you there, man. But like, it's really important to me. There. Like it's become like something I'm super passionate about, but like, since nobody's gonna fund us at a systemic level is what I hear. I don't know how true that is. To be honest, it might not even be true. We just it might it's be some true. bullshit. It's not true. It might We're be some overlooking bullshit. Overlooking the actual outlets because we thought we would get no. So so it always goes back to this, you know, like um, the 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 subsidies and shit like that, right? But you got to think like Quebec has its subsidies, but so does Canada. But even, even nobody, to that including end. myself, done the work. Some, and but 20... like C, you know, the rapper C. Yeah, I do actually. Like, I'll show you, dude. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. he went through the process for real. Clarity went through the process for real. Oh, yeah. Shout out Clarity, man. Yo, Shout we were Clarity. supposed to link up and do some records. So, like, something with Block and Clarity is eventually going to happen. Dude, he's supposed soon. to be coming back to Montreal. So that could be a lot more, like, yeah. viable. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. I almost was going to make it to the barbecue, but work and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I was supposed to link up with him on Friday. Like, I love that kid, man. Like, dude. I know Clarity since like when I we opened for D12 together, he was still like probably 17. He probably was barely 18. Um, yeah, and he murked that shit, guy. Like, and, and we weren't expecting it. We we're standing backstage like so unassuming. You know what I mean? Watch the monster he's grown into right now. Like, everybody go check out Clarity's new joint, Elephant. No, but go check out Clarity's new joint, Elephant, for real. It's on all the DSPs, but I, I mean that shit. Like, that kid is a monster musician in every sense of the word. Like, there's no better way to describe him than artist. He's one of my favorites. You know what I mean? And I want him to have his flowers because he deserves that shit. Yeah, he, like, I mean, I'm happy to give Meyer Clarity flowers any day of the week. <clears throat> oh, say where it is. Dad was showing them pictures of young Meyer at the park. Yo, because what happened was, is Meyer showed up late, but Meyer's dad showed up on time. <laughs> so Meyer's dad sat there for like 45 minutes or so and was like, inevitably, Ismail was there, walked on over, and like, you know, they were, they were showing off pictures. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to talk to Clarity's dad as much. I'm sitting there going, because you know how it is when you throw a thing, you're like, nobody's here. Oh my God, panic. What the entire fuck? time, yeah. And you're not sitting there going, I'm having an, an amazing time. And then by the end of the night, like, you know, people showed up. It was a little more lady. By then you're just like, oh, my God. Oh, fine. You're not really in the moment. So, like, I wasn't really I used to hate throwing people. my own shows for that reason. That was one of the reasons I hate throwing my own I, shows. I have to get over it. Instead of enjoying it, like, I'm, like, running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Like, you got to handle this. I'm like, I want to fucking be with my people. Like, they paid to come see me, let me kick it with them. 
And that's completely unnatural for me, except in show mode. Like in show mode, I'm that social. Outside of that, like, I don't want to be around a group of people very often. Like, so, oh, I miss that, man. That's the one thing I do definitely miss. Like, real showtime, like, it's fun. But yeah, back to clarity, like I said, man, elephant, man, it's, it's that joint. It's banging, bro. Like, that's some wild shit, man. I was having fun listening to that. And so I just wanted to promo that real quick because it needs to be heard. Run that up. <laughs> run it up. Yeah, but for real, that's what we all got to do, go run up his song. If he just got, like, I'm sure he, he's doing better than most of us, but it wouldn't hurt to have that extra ammunition in it because we're all, like, still kind of in that place. <clears throat> but, like... That man's pen is beautiful, man. Like, yo, I, I admire pen game. You know what I mean? That matters a lot to me as a writer. And that man's pen game is awesome. Like it's really there's an arsenal there, you know what I mean. Not everybody has an arsenal. Like he's not a one trick pony. So like I love that yeah, shit. No, he's like, just, he's really got like... so many. But he's been at it for so long since such a young age, and he's been pushing it so heavily. Like as you pointed out, seventeen, eighteen, performing in there. Like that guy just ah, oh, he's got so much under his belt, and he's so talented. <clears throat> but he works fucking hard. See. Don't let nobody else fool you. It's the work ethic. Beyond his talent is incredible. His work ethic, though, is you. I seen it when he did the first show. I seen him do like it, he has a work ethic to him that not a lot of people have. You need to have a drive, like to to to, to accomplish what he's accomplished. The the step up steps up he took. You need a certain drive, man. Like, there's, there's a work ethic there that a lot of people just don't have. Like, and he's a great example for the people that are, like, his age. Because I think he's probably just now turning 30. Yeah, um, he's in that. He's about there. Yeah. So, like, I'm saying, like, reality-wise, like, he's a great example of, like, yeah, you can be dope at what you do, but you need the work ethic. Or otherwise, it doesn't mean shit. And, and you know, it's I mean, also, not like, a single lucky break in his career. Like everything also is, is hard like work. Another point to what you're saying, though, is um, he's way more than just a rapper, right? Like he has exactly. monetizable skills in the sense that he can mix and master. He can produce beats. He can play so many more roles that at the end of the day, it kind of makes sense that a guy who can produce pop songs, because you know, some of the shit he produces and they work on is really think. fucking pop. Elephant. I haven't heard it's it yet. Pop yeah. song. When you hear it, you'll see. It's a pop song, but it's fucking great. Like, yeah. it's great. But, like, the way that he can still, like, then bring it back to that part where he goes off the dome and you watch him, he, like, just rap for, like, an hour straight by himself and make it more or less good the entire time. Like, yo, you, like, he's one of those guys where, like, when he's freestyling next to you and he's like, okay, you're going to take the mic now. You're like, Fuck me. I don't want to follow up Meyer Clarity. I mean, I you do, 20, but like, it's, it's, it's like it's a little more intense. <clears throat> For sure. 2012, 2013, we do Under Pressure. So we're in the in the crowd at one point, chilling. So it's me, I think it's me, Tech, Natasha Marie, um, Big Brick, a bunch of us. Uh, Mickey, um, Mickey Boston, Mikey Boston was there too. Um, so... Clarity rolls up and just brrr, like freestyles the shit. Like we were all like, holy fuck. Like there was a guitar going and like, he just, 
out of the blue, like, and it was one of the dopest freestyles I'd heard in years. Like, that kid, and I was like, I hadn't seen him in, like, maybe a year, so I was like, he had grown. Like, he had actually grown because he probably had just, like, I guess back then, if he's 39, he would have been, like, 20, something like that at that age. Like, somewhere around there. Like, so, like, he was hitting the stride. Like, I'd seen a, a level up. In, in the talent and like bro the kid's a monster man like there's definitely gonna be work with me and clarity we've we've talked about it so many times and the timing just hasn't lined up but like it's gonna happen even if i gotta go to toronto to do it like nah, i'll be you, more than happy to. he's telling us on uh he's telling us he's coming back like he's looking into it like active for real you don't have to go to toronto. yeah but there's no there's no downside to going to toronto and being in the element that he's been in you understand like you're going in that work mode like when you Sometimes when you want to work with people, you gotta want to be in their element. You know what I mean? Like, I, if I work with a, a producer or even another artist, I enjoy like going to the place where they record or they mix. Like, I wanna, I wanna be in your element mm, and that. absorb. I couldn't appreciate the energy. that. Like, for I... me, that there's something special about collaboration that like, it's it's all energy. And I know it sounds very like ephemeral to talk about it like that, like, but. It really is like when you when you collaborate artists and you're doing it the right way and you both love music and you both appreciate your shit like you want to immerse yourself in that like I'm I'm a chameleon I can go wherever so why wouldn't I want to catch a vibe I also want them to come into my vibe too like it goes both ways like I don't want to just go and leech on that energy like it's it's both ways but there's something special about going to somebody's environment to do the work with them like you go there for a reason like. I could record at home and send mixes to Cali, but it's much more fun to work in the studio with him as an engineer. Like I trust Cali on the boards more than almost anybody. There's only one other engineer that I've worked with that I had that much trust in, and it was AO, who used to work at um, Studio Drex, Aaron. Aaron was the only other engineer I could implicitly trust. Like these motherfuckers are cleaning my shit as we go. Like, they're the only motherfuckers that'll tell me, hey, you don't need to take another take. That take was right. That was perfect. Keep yeah. that. Punch this. Like, they really I'm pretty put sure, me through my paces. I'm pretty sure it was you that brought up Aaron at one point. So what happened to me with Aaron is I go into Snapchat one day and I see Aaron DRX. And I say, say a fucking word. So I hit him up and it's him. I'm like, he answers me, and I'm like, you I, you came up on interviews. I couldn't remember who the fuck it was, but he's, like, long Skinny. past that. It had, to be, it had to be me and Skinny. So I was like, I couldn't remember it, but, like, it's just, t he's, like, so far detached from that life now, from what I understood, that it was baffling to him to think that he's being brought up in Montreal hip-hop interviews. And I'm like, but, I mean, that guy was my first engineer. My first recording experience is with him. All of my original, Amazing. like, five songs I did. Why? Because Clarity did meet me at the park. And one day posted on Facebook, um, I need, like, five people to come for, like, uh, to do, like, a vocal chorus. And it was at Drix. And it was, like, me, Buds, a couple other people. And, like, we did the hey-ho shit that you hear on that song. So it was those five that did that shit. And so I'm like, yo, you this is a real studio so i booked sessions like right away because i just didn't know that they existed here like that and then i met my dude matt and then he was like i don't know when you meet somebody you connect with you're like yeah it's a different vibe 
Let me tell you, that building, the building where Studio DRX was, the legendary fucking stories that come across with that building, and it's gone now, so it's not blessed, but ask any rapper from Montreal from that area, from that era about that building, whether it was Red Rhino or Studio DRX or The Bridge or um, there's a, the, everybody used to work out of there. So it was like, it was like being in a label system where in the sense where you're walking through the hallways and you're constantly bumping into other artists, like constantly, like it was the perfect spot because we'd be in between sessions or like I'd come out and I'd go smoke a joint. Oh, boy blues there. Or, you know what I mean? Like you just bump into each other all the fucking time. And so there was a lot of connecting the dots being done because again, the same old story about how Montreal was hot at the time was all based on, Hey, we're all going to the same events. We're all chilling in the same crowd. We're all in the same backstage because half of us are on the same bill. At some point, everybody chills together enough that like there's a bond. It's almost inevitable because you're not all sitting in the backstage in your corners. At some point you chop it up, you talk, you. So like, but that building, and even when U.S. artists would come here, like that's when they would go record, like Onyx, uh, Wu Tang is recorded oh there. Onyx. There's so many like stories. They came in like right before, right? They had the session after mine, and I and I wasn't like you can't stick around because that's corny as shit, and they're not gonna show up on time because that's not how it works. And I was that was like a moment where I'm like, oh man, just to think that like that Gonix is coming like right after to the same fucking studio even if i never interacted with them psychologically speaking that was yeah. wild for me that was such a wild you feel thing like you're working somewhere important that's yeah. the thing that that building gave you that feeling it was like i'm going to the office like i'm going to the label because because all basically the little mini labels existed and much all needed an office space in the studio bro so they all took it from the same building so that's an interesting so, element that nobody's really brought up that I think is a, a component that because you know, for one thing I'm invested in is clearly trying to create something that's more interesting with regards to community elements in a scene. And it seems like the geographical location of a hub yep. is real like, estate, my friend, is literally an important thing. Now, since we can't have that in real life, maybe there's ways to virtually create this kind of collaborative space. I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking out the box here because, like... It has to be because that's the energy that... Well, that's where, you know, that's where some VR shit comes in. So imagine motherfucking engineers. Like, imagine if all the people that you mentioned and you were able to put on a headset and be in a room and go through beats together and nobody had to lead their crew. Yo, I just thought of something. You ever heard of the producer Ill Minds? Uh, maybe. Well, okay. Do, do some Googles because you're going to want to probably... He's a, he's a big producer, like, so I don't know, you know, what the process of getting him for an interview, but because of the VR space you're talking about, so Illmind has a thing called Black House, and it's literally, like, a virtual hub for his fans and people to come, and they share beats, and they do all things. It's, like, with avatars in the works. Like, he's actually doing something like that active right now called Black House, B-L-A-P-H-O-U-S-E. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, Illmind though, like he's he's been early on the crypto. He's he's a he's a producer that's really early on technologies, 
and he might have some interesting because I follow him on Twitter and I see a lot of the updates and, and on Instagram and stuff like that. Now this guy's produced for uh, legend, legend. Like he's a fucking huge producer, but he's on to something and it's in the realm of what you're looking into. So like if you go do the Googles on Blap House, yeah, I'm gonna check I think you'll that. be pleasantly surprised. It's definitely something along the lines of what you're thinking about in terms of a virtual community. I mean, like I know that it exists. My problem my problem isn't that side of it. It's then how do I get No, but it's seeing it done from a hip hop standpoint. It's, Think about it's it. It's not even that. It's convincing other people here to show up. Cause like if I'm not doing it here with my community, oh. like I'm personally less interested. I really want to do this like with English Montreal in some way or at least like fifty fuckers or whatever. It doesn't even have to be everybody, but I want like a pocket and Getting people in, oof, it's been a hard sell. A hard, thankfully, Tech Luciano started hyping up fucking VR. That's all I can say. Like, that is positive. But, like, really, people don't want to spend no fucking $700 on a fucking VR machine on the maybe that it's a good move. No, that's going to take time before it becomes something more mainstream. The, the, the key is to have the proof of concept ready for when it's yeah, there's time. already people doing it i don't even have to like do the fucking like proof of concept now because other people prove the concept i mean like yeah the, but if they patent what they did they can't they then can't patent a fucking show it's logistics it's it like depends certain things you can patent you'd be surprised no, there, people are patent. doing the same shit they're leveraging the same technology like you can't patent a virtual reality concert and once you prove the tech of logistically how to run it, like you can't patent that. That's what I'm saying. People have proved how it can be done. And there's ways to blend it with Twitch. Oh, it can definitely be done. But like, Absolutely. And then it's just a matter of getting people on board to get invested in it. And I'm like, I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> so that's where usually my ideas get. I get like a little bit whatever. But I'm like going to pursue the virtual reality realms at some point. I'm more interested in the IRL version mostly because I've spent the last year and a half in a fucking room talking to people on cameras and shit and it's been yeah. a wild rush. But like, you know what's been fun? Parks. Like, isn't, isn't a yeah. park like a good vibe? You get like sunshine. It is. And, and like, yo, I went to that Nate Husser charity shit that he did in the park. I don't really, it, looked good. It, it was it was a good vibe. I, I wanted to meet Deucegrad real bad. I never met Deuce Scott either. He's another one. So it's like, you just kind of like go outside. That's what I'm at. Like, I don't know. But then I'm going to, winter's going to come and watch how I get back on my VR grind. Cause then, you know, the winter's here and I don't want to go outside for seven months. That's right. I said, yeah, I'm seven. lucky. I, I literally, I live by the water. So I, I walk out my house. I take a, I walk out my apartment. I take a five minute walk and I'm off by the water. Like, so I just get my, peace and quiet take a little walk like it's always been my thing when i want to clear my head throw on some headphones listen to some music and beats and just walk like half of the shit i write i write while walking or sitting in the car or being by the water or it just it's it's a more peaceful like i could be in the house all the time i've been like like all of us like we work from home so it's like home 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 all the fucking time but yeah, like I moved where I moved because I wanted to be by the water. Uh, I wanted to, you know, have and not not let it be far. Like I literally can walk out and be there in three minutes. Like it's a, it's a really no, that's cool real walk, blessed. So. 
I, I was lucky enough to live by the water in Verdun for a minute. I wouldn't say three minutes, but let's say 15 minutes is close enough for me. Um, but like, yeah, that that's where I started rapping was like really got into it. Cause when you're by the water, there's like this, like a serenity to it. I've always found like, I, I like that shit or like, I was really loved living in Dollard where, um, they have that like forest. It's just randomly in the middle of Dollard pure font. And you might not know about yeah. it, but it's huge. It's like a full, it's a full on forest. And like, yo, like you could like bring girls in there, get lost and get it on level of big in the forest. Yo, she just brought me back to the sex podcast ideas. I got stories for that shit. Yeah. Yo, you forest? just said the woods and bringing a girl. Like Shamity had a thing called the Shamity Woods. And so Shamity Woods, there was like now parts of it have been developed, but <laughs> back then, Saturday nights, we used to go do a bonfire. And so like there'd be like a section where everybody's chilling from the neighborhood, all in the same place around this big ass bonfire. But of course, during the next people be spreading out to the woods because it's big enough. So it's like, you never know who's doing what, where, but yeah, like, I, I get the principle of the dollar thing. We used to run that in the woods too, and that's fucking old flex. Well, I mean, I, oh man, I remember having the car, it was great. I would drive out to like, there was another forest in Il Bizarre. I don't know. Like, it was just because you wanted to go somewhere that you could, like, if you did get caught, it wasn't, like, yeah, like in your area. And so, man, going into the middle of nowhere in the middle of a forest in a car, that, that was a good ambience. It's a good move. It works pretty yeah. fucking good. Very good, man. And it's a cheap date. <laughs> you know, you have to wait. Back in those days, you're waiting, like, do I get the telly? Do I get the four-hour joint? Do I get the whole night? Like, can I afford that shit? And then the woods is right, like, a five-minute walk away. You're like, yo, what if I convince her in the woods instead? You're like, I 80 bucks saved in my pocket. Like, you're like, yeah. Like, dude, there's well, a lot shit. of convenience for that shit. And, yo, when, you have, when you're young and you're broke and you, you don't have a place of your own, you got to make moves. Bro, I, had a Lincoln, out, I had a Lincoln Town Car. And I'm five seven, so I could fully lie down in the back seat of the car. <laughs> and Yo, shocks weren't great. What the shocks were not good by the end of my ride. To be fair, I, okay. So what happened was it had nothing to do with sex. So I got the car, and I would go over a speed bump at forty, and you don't feel it. And I took that as a flex putt. I was 19 and not considering what I was actually doing to the car. Let's just say it didn't last forever. But, yo, that's the state I got. Yo, that car was wonderful. Yo, when you show up anywhere at 19 in a Lincoln Town car, it's wild. Like, people would see me, like, because I would, yo, but you can't afford this shit. You can't afford the Lincoln Town car. Because, yo, it would, I was in a DDO going to Abbott. So it cost me $7 to go there seven or something like that i think it was there and back with seven dollars a day just to drive this fucking car to school so you end up driving that to like fucking fairview and taking the bus and back okay fine i'm halfway there then you just end up giving up on that shit unless it's exams because yo that car ran me in gas alone like almost two hundred dollars a month yeah i don't doubt that man that car is fucking has a tank we, we call allow that me to be clear for the benefits i got out of that car with the opposite gender, it was worth the price. 
Of course, bro. At that, hey, yo, in our younger days, bro, like everything is worth the price, bro. Like we was, we was making whatever moves we can make. I, I don't know about y'all. Like I, I used to be like in the after hours days. Like we used to do a lot of red light and circus and so like even then, like eight, 17, 18 years old, going to these places, pilled up all night. Like you just thinking about how you're gonna pull a flex, like. <laughs> it's like it's like which girl can I pick up and you fucking don't realize like when you walk out of the red light in the morning you all look like crackheads like zombies like it's fucking retarded man some wild party days though like area sona oh man like sona sona's legendary like if you talk to anybody who went to the early club scene of like late 90s early 2000s Montreal sona was led bro the, that place would get so hot the walls would sweat like the walls was swept, but like you'd go there and there'd be, it'd be a rave, but there's an open bar upstairs until like two or one. So you're just fucking tanking up guy. And then you're fucking downstairs while in the hip hop room, man, DJ blast, uh, shortcut, like the, the DJs that fucking played there, man, like legendary shit. Like, yo, when dance hall would come on, like it'd be like collegial, bro. <laughs> Like, I don't know if people can catch that reference, but it was some wild shit, guy. Like, yo, Dancehall would turn that fucking spot into, like, almost an orgy, guy. Like, Sona was just wild, man. Like, those those old Montreal club days was nuts, man. But Red Light was the, the Laval spot. Like, if, if you're, people from everywhere came, but, like, if you were in Laval, you went to Red Light. Because, like, that was the spot, bro. Like, yeah, fuck, man. I never went to red light. I didn't do a lot of partying back then. I smoked a lot. I got into weed, and I didn't drink a lot because I was pretty bad at it. And I did dibble and dabble in Mali, so I had some experiences in the underground. Okay, the abandoned building rave scene. Holy shit, is that the coolest shit I ever saw in any life? That shit is wild, bro. That shit is wild, bro. Like, like, those pill days were some wild days, man. Trust me, like um mostly it was you couldn't like smoke anywhere so because I, I basically i turn 18 the year the smoking ban goes into effect so it's like oh, that happens at the exact same time and i wasn't no cool 17 year old fucking sneaking into some fucking shit right no i wasn't that so now all of a sudden you can't smoke anywhere and so basically, if you smoked pot, right, your real flex, because it was illegal, was get the girl back to your crib and smoke a joint. That was the flex. Yep. The success rate on that flex is ridiculous. So it that is. was it. Like, why would you do anything else? Like, you, do, you don't learn how to party the same way. You learn how to, like, seduce in a whole different capacity. Then online dating kicks in. I'm like, it's fucking over. I never have to leave the house again. It's like terrible for a lot of my social skills, but again, great runs and shit off of like. To me, online dating is terrifying. Bro, bro. I would be sitting there. I would be sitting there at work, on plenty of fish, setting up dates for after work. (laughs) Oh man. Yo, I swear. I mean, I did the plenty of fish thing. I did the Tinder thing for a while when I was single, but it was like. Honestly, man, that like nothing substitutes the real life. Like when you meet somebody the first time, oh, like my girlfriend and I met on Planet Fish, that. 
and it's been seven years so for me it's like i kind of have to run on that plenty of fish got magic to it too yo it's the lamest shit too i was like you have cool hair or something because she had cool hair i was trying to fuck she says she wasn't trying to fuck get the fuck out of here she had some three date rule that's what we were doing here and then we just did that shout out to bobby man shout out she hold out for the three days she did uh she i tried major props she did she she was like keeper she did she I, I tried real hard on the second date to like run some movie theater shit nope i got blocked it was facts I don't remember a fucking thing about that movie. I think it was some boring-ass, camel-ass fucking movie. I don't remember. It might not have been that one, but at some point we saw some These boring days, if the girl holds out on her three-date rule, she's a keeper, bro. Yeah, she did. Uh, and then we're still together, so I just remembered that there was a boring-ass camel movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like... Me, wow, I met my girl just living... She lived across the street from me. I mean, oh. like... <laughs> I just, I'm not like, I mean, I've had like, I guess, organic moments, you could call them where it's like real life shit. But I mean, my life doesn't create a lot of those opportunities. So unless I drastically change how I live, which isn't going to happen in the near future, it's like, at least back then, maybe now it's different. But I used to be like a serious workaholic, a lot of overtime, a lot of shit like that. Not to say I'm not a workaholic, but at least they split it differently now. But like, you don't necessarily, and I never partied like that. Like I, I would go to parties and I'm like that weird dude in the corner. And unless somebody introduces me to you, like I'm not good at that shit. I'm working on it. It's like, I understand the role I play in life. And <laughs> now that's not the best habits, but like for real, even like, 15 people show up at a thing and i'm like no nah, i'm gonna be over here in the corner watching i'm gonna be like the the watcher dude see i'm like that like see i got i got game but i'm never the, i don't like the breaking the ice part so i used to rely on the introductions oh uh, my girl was different because my girl came to talk to me when i was just outside smoking a spliff outside my house like i'm just bunning a spliff and she just straight up made a move guy okay? like I respect that that game. Like I, I enjoy that because like the ice breaking once that's out of the way, I'm good. Yeah, easy peasy. You know what I mean? It's the ice. It's a different challenge for me though, because she's French and she doesn't speak English. Now I, I speak French. I went to French school my whole life, but I can't stand speaking French. So that was a little bit of a Let me ask learning you a curve. Did she tell What's you up? that your accent helped? No, well, she doesn't understand anything I said in English. Anything I say in English. No, but in like, French. Almost. No, but you're French. Because when you, speak... but I don't have a French accent. Oh, you got like natural. You just you got like. I I know I know English and French. I learned them at the same time. Oh, say word. So you're just like when proper I, I bilingual. Went to French school my whole life. Yeah, I went to French school my entire life. I guess you're from English Laval. School. That's a that's a big difference. <laughs> well, it's my parents, right? Like my dad when he came to Canada only spoke. Um, Arabic and Italian. She had to learn English and French. My mom grew up bilingual. So there was never a reason to not know both, but English was always my preference. Like it was my go-to because right. like movies suck in French and TV suck in French and everything. Look, and I'm not hating on French things. It's just, I, I don't enjoy the we movies know, but in French. It's, it's like, more like, you know, but it's in the same way that translation. Like, but also like the translation. The made in French though is amazing. Yeah. 
that because i mean that would be the same for a lot of stuff translations is kind of wild when you because yo a lot of times on netflix nowadays you get to like there's a lot of french on netflix now not like like french stuff but like english shows where they just speak french yeah and if you ever like check this up french or french canadian <laughs> in the language but when like, you change it there's french and there's french canadian but like i don't know if you've ever actually read the subtitles against like what you're hearing but like you understand it different sometimes than like what the subtitles are saying like i understand french like i'm like 90 percent bilingual when it's being said to me so like i can be in like a pretty french environment and it all makes sense so like we're long past the point where i need it but i just like having subtitles on because it lets me read while i watch tv hey it's a way to get a little more reading in the day <clears throat> why not but well, um, yeah i mean that that shit like the the english french shit, it's funny right like that served my purpose the most even in this music shit because here was the reality right so when i was coming into the game like making my first mixtape the, the the amount of english rappers that were known in montreal was fairly low the ones that were known were well known but there wasn't like like there wasn't the french side and so everybody I would meet was always on the French side. So I came up doing English bar- bars on French songs. Like I'd be on featurings like my boys, Bonnier There'd be like always, I'd be the English rapper on a French song. I've worked with a lot of French producers, Manifest, Rough Sound, Comacart, it's all French producers. This, they run the French side. But I came up on that side only like 2008, 2009 did I start touching the English side. So basically so my name was built in a different environment and I can mold in because oh, like, but like that's super interesting still is because like what yeah. you just said is you effectively came up in the French scene as an English artist. That's a wildly much, different yeah. perspective than like a lot of people put out. Cause even back to that, like grant thing, what I was going with that a bit is, I mean like, yeah, grants is out there, but like, it's not the only option we could just like, you know come up with a business plan and like actually make money as a squad dude it's a tool in the toolbox that's all it is that's it people have to start looking at things for what they are money is a tool in the toolbox that's all it is none of it is the end all be all on its own none of it facts but like and it's having like that mission or that goal or that that like collective desire to grow something and then create culture like for me it's about culture right like end of the day I realized, um, I don't know if you're familiar with End of the Week. Yeah, of course. So, like, I got really involved. I was just with DJ Manzo two nights ago. <laughs> like, you know, it's so weird. I met him face-to-face for the first time, DJ Manzo. Like, you know, that guy's a fucking legend. And, like, involved in End of the Week. And, like, Screed, the producer who does End of the Week, did all my, uh, all, did some of the Slick Jack shit I did. So, Screed, Screed was one of the illest producers. Screed will take a knack of, like, a, like Slick Jack, I'll, I'll tell you some inside info. Check this out. So Slick Jack sends me a song to do, and it's on the fabulous um, "Girl, You're Killing Them, You'll Be Killing Them." Like, and he's like, "We record the verse." And so I sent him back on that, and then Screed took the acapellas and made a new beat for it, just because Slick didn't have the time to get the beat before. So it's funny because then, like, I get the beat back with the screen beat. And I'm like, this is the illest shit ever. It's on my Spotify, it's called Robin shit. Slick Jack featuring Rico Block. Like that that song was not recorded to that beat and you could not tell. Like the, the 
Like his his game with playing with acapellas free was one Bro. of the illest producers I've ever seen. Can I shout out Zamanel right now? Because he took my lose weight acapellas and he turned it into another genre. It's another genre of music. Okay? Another fucking genre. I can show it to you after so you can see what the fuck I mean. But like... Dope. I'm not going to do it now. Zamanel. But like, <laughs> like, it's just like... <laughs> But yeah, but like, so so I actually don't even know the end of the week Quebec people very well. So shout out all of them, but I barely know them. I know like a couple. Ali, Olivier plays like, Olivier, like he, he has a very deep vested interest in it. Mm. So like when you want to talk end of the week Quebec, Ali is the best reference. Facts. He can give you the lowdown on everything. Like, but why, he's like, absolutely the dude. But I ended up linking up with end of the week New York. So that's kind of where I'm more familiar with now at this point. Yeah. And I've been, like, documenting their stories. Dude, like, there's lore to this shit. Like, like you know when you're playing a video game because you like your open-world giant fantasy RPGs, and when you go and find the people who make videos about the hidden shit that you didn't care to look for, but you want to watch their hidden shit videos because we don't want to actually do that work. We Like, that's what I realized, like, an Atlanta hip-hop scene has when you start digging beneath the surface and all these places that we praised they created like almost a lore for themselves that era that 2008-ish yeah. era that you guys all describe there's like this feeling of a lore between this top 10 list that like yo bro we're watching your live videos and you're like plugging it and it's all tied into it and like it's all like everybody either knows what you're talking about then and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about now unless you know mm-hmm. and then it's like yeah so we try to dig in it's not a lot, but that's where I'm like, there's lore that in the scene today, I don't know how to fully do it. But to me, that's the thing that we need to focus on. I don't know how else to put it, but create, to create culture. It's a mythology, man. That's like, it. It literally is like, its look, own mythology. Actually, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a much more accessible example i'm just not a marvel head so i don't think of it but the mcu is a much more translatable thing to what i'm trying to describe if we yeah a connected web of how the stories weave together to create this one mythology and the interviews have been doing have been building a lot of that web even without the parts that you're noticing but even the parts that you're not like the intricacies is like everybody played there's a moment where everybody was playing a part in each other's success in some way or another the the effect was amplified and the stories that you get talking to each people where you fill in those gaps like that's the tapestry where the marvel mcu comparison comes in it's like so like iron man one layers in a certain piece of the story it's like a seed and then Iron Man 2, another seed, and Hulk is another seed, and those movies all happen chronologically in the same week. Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, the first one. So there's a a seed that's being planted right there. Then they built on that. Like, sure, they built on the fact that Thor's brother was a bad guy in the, the first Thor movie, so then why wouldn't he be back in the Avengers? Okay, cool, but then all of a sudden they plant the seed at the end. Oh, there's somebody behind Loki. That's what all these stories layer into. Like when you start talking about like, so when, when Don Smooth is saying like, you know, his, the, 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 the battle of the tracks every week, or when Nick, Nick Fury, who used to do real city countdown, like the, we were, we were watching fans vote music up the fucking chart. So for the first time, artists in the city were getting a kind of an idea of like where, 
it's you know it's not an official of how where you really stand like it's just a portion of no but it's culture they gave you some sort of yeah but exactly they gave you almost like a home like if you were in that list yet people had to respect you because you were there and the more you got voted up regardless of like that tapestry is how it was built up to all these stories are intertwined between all these artists from that era you'll notice there's links in those chains there's bad news there's dutch there's people's names that are going to come up all throughout this tapestry Bro, it actually goes as far back that. as youth centers in fucking utrema do you know what i'm saying so like i hear what you're saying so to me it's like okay the the, the the thing is is that those platforms got people that were not connected to the music scene to buy into the lore for a minute now i'm don't know a lot about that era because i don't even really start music until after the unfortunate events take place um and then things go in a bad way and that's just kind of what happens yeah. um well streaming honestly yo the beginning of streaming fucked with the montreal scene because no artist was really prepared for it it took a while you'll notice there's like a dip i think montreal a lot of montreal artists was like 2014 2015 by the time they were starting to get on the dsps like not everybody bro, bro, it jumped fucked, on the train you gotta understand enough. like how much that for somebody like me it was wild right because here i am doing my shit on youtube and soundcloud and reverb nation but like you're online and shit right so you're not on spotify because nobody's on fucking spotify because it didn't exist at that point yeah exactly but like you are on youtube in the present so like i had youtube shit running since 2012 and i was like trying to like not necessarily good shit but i ran like i've deleted a lot of shit okay like i deleted a lot of shit that if i had maybe kept going with certain projects would have been really different for me but what I realized is it was super like there were examples of certain people like SRH and Clarity that had like this internet presence, but a lot of people didn't. And so they almost didn't exist in my radar. Yeah. And so like I started performing, I started doing my thing. But by this point, a lot of stuff disappears like a 514 smoke and stuff. And these things aren't around quite like they were. And if you don't know or have an entryway into like this scene and its culture that was existing like yo you don't know it even exists so then you're coming through and then moot gang i think distracted a lot of people to be honest um, the, the the only constant has been dms i gotta give feezy the love for that mm. because out of that era it's the only website that's been still pushing montreal music and the narrative that goes with it expanding the culture like dms has been doing a consistent job for over a decade in whatever forms it took from the magazine to like he still does the magazine like he still takes that shit that seriously yeah. where you can put a magazine and so you know and, and 514 smoke's coming back now he's got a new podcast there's things i know he's working on like you know i think a lot of people needed to readjust to reassess figure out what the next move was going to be. And a lot of us took longer than others to really get acclimated to what it was. But like, so I'll put it to you like this, we could separate different classes even then of those artists because some of the artists really killed YouTube. Like like Blue is a great example of going viral with the hometown shit. Like the Adele had just came out, like the timing was just so perfect that when he did the hometown video and he got the millions of views, like Montreal rappers was not doing millions of views. So Blue had that. Um, I was on a lot of the blogs. Pesci was on a lot of the blogs. I blasted on a lot of the blogs in the United States. Like smoking section from Uproxx picked up. It's all good. Certain 
and it was just, some of it was organic. Like some of it I submitted, some of it was organic. But like somebody like uh, SRH was also hitting all the American blogs. I can't forget that. Very important because a lot of his come up, he moved up from there really. Um, but like we still had Hip Hop Canada. And to this day, like Hip Hop Canada is still a strong supporter, but I think a lot of Montreal artists don't even bother submitting their music. <laughs> Hip-Hop Canada is well, a strong I, mean, I don't think anybody work. submits music, honestly. Um, well, that's their failure. That's the biggest mistake you can make. Like, I have friends, artists, not going to name names to put them on, on blast, but they're like, yo, why am I not on this site? Why, why don't they ever post my shit? And the one question I always ask is, hey, did you send them your well, music? Sometimes, to be fair, to be fair, I know of one instance, and again, we'll go unnamed, but they did send their project in, and the person came back with a, yeah, I like your project, but I don't think I can cover it, so instead I'm going to cover what I feel is more brand-friendly. And there is that side of it. Um, as a music reviewer person... But that's editorial, but that's an editorial decision. You got to kind the of problem like, is, is that a lot more of these places have taken on such editorial decisions with greater frequency due to the nature of shit. Like I used to have people hit me up and be like, and these were the only ones I would interact with. Cause I mean, I didn't get a shit ton, but I probably got about a hundred. Can you review my albums? I got one the other day. So it's on my mind, but somebody hit me up and was like flat out. Uh, can you review my album? You're like one of the only platforms that even talks about like issues. I'm like, wait, say a word. Because a lot of these people are like maybe talking about real shit. And then you don't want to go on the platform that isn't going to be willing to talk about some of the context behind those bars. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people I feel that really go that deep with it unless they're like super major publications. But let me tell you, there's like 70% of Montreal rappers that have there's a lot of ego man and and you know i've had it i've been there i occasionally we all suffer from bouts of ego it happens as humble as we try maybe but the reality of things is a lot of them think like hey when i post this video on my facebook everybody that's on my facebook should be posting it there's a there's a and so i know because i'm having worked with different people who've had blogs and being involved in, in how music was released in that sense there's a lot of entitlement there that is undeserved. I can put out a new song tomorrow. It's not going to be on DMS unless I send it to him. Feezy knows me. Like, we cool. But if I don't send it, like, I can't expect the medias to pick it up. Like, even, a lot even of Montreal rappers end, like, believe they're celebrities the nature, before they're ever celebrities. But, but the nature of this game is like, evolved, right? Like, I'm going to go, like, real corporate with it in the world of software those tech websites, which is effectively the same thing. You're a software company, those tech websites, the same shit. They mm -hmm. hit you up with, this is how much it costs packages. Cause yo, this shit's not free no more. You want it to be free? You better be dropping some shit that's so noteworthy that like, it actually is gonna get somebody organic clicks to click on it. Otherwise- But you kinda have no choice to kind of like, that was always my call. My fallback to that was always that. I didn't have the budget. <clears throat> so I couldn't do the payola. I couldn't, even if I would've wanted to. Well, I guess, sir, what I'm going is, is if you're the website, if you're the reviewer, you could afford to do shit for free back in the day because of how ads work. That's, that's dead. You basically can afford to charge people or it's not really affordable. Like there is no platform. Of course. See, listen to this. Like, so if somebody, somebody wants to charge you for an interview, let's say, or promotion, right? 
you got to look at what the promotion package is. I'll never pay somebody for just a post, but if there's a proper package involved, like I, it's a full court press, then I can sit down and listen to a price because I understand the work involved. Like that's where it's tricky, but not all the websites should have the right to charge. I mean, your viewership, if your viewership outweighs that of the artist and your services to keep that on that level require you to charge, then the package that for that price better be worth it, regardless so, of well, the value, price. So this is where value comes in. I would argue yeah. that there may come a time where I go, nah, this exact interview, regardless of my viewership, has a cost. Because if you're smart, you can flip this interview. And I would say, or like an album review. I don't get fucking views on my album review. But to be fair, those same, like if I reviewed local people, right? Nobody would click on the review because nobody's clicking on the song. So why would they click on the review? Like there's a bit, so it's almost like, you know, like there's a bit of a, who the fuck cares about my 90 minute, 48 minute video review of your project. That's almost longer than your project. I mean, well, no. I would say the artist though, you have to think about what your, what your rollout is. Like, it's not doing the interview with every single person. It's figuring out places where you're not doing product placement, but you're going there and you're appealing to people that relate to you on those platforms. That's going to make the people connect. If you're going to do proper promotion, you might as well do it that way. But some people just want, remember that we're in a clout based universe. Cloud is almost credit at this point. So people are fucking desperate to be on the website. That'll get them the most views. They don't care how they get there number one, but number two, at the end of the day, is that site promoting what you're trying to do? Mm. Or is it just letting you be a character chasing clout? Because, yo, so I appreciate what you're saying. You yo, so the other hand of the coin, I feel like what I do provides a value. You may agree with it or not. Also, I'm not charging anyone yet, but maybe you agree with it, maybe you don't. I'm saying it for the general. But However, there was this other person who will go unnamed because I'm in a group that will go unnamed. And uh, I got I get tagged in it, so I was literally about to hit man's up and go interview for interview because he does text interviews, and then he didn't even say shit. He just gave me a price, sent a link. It's a text interview, so he just sends me the same fucking questions. Yes, everybody else. I'm supposed to do all the work here, write the answers, and then pay him to be on his site. And so what he doesn't know is I have access to search engine tools through work. The guy's organic reach is under. Like, it was like under a hundred. It was like really small. I don't want to say it was like under ten, but it was definitely under a hundred. So if less than a hundred people are clicking on your fucking website, I mean, what 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 is the actual value of that? That's me writing yeah. some shit down to share so I can feel good. To me, I might have I might have even done it if we had like he let me interview him or something. But nah, I just got so annoyed by that whole situation. I don't know why. Sometimes I'll, I'll get something and I'll feel like a way. But when I looked into it, I'm like, and then it's just so You're many human. But there's so many people I know who paid the guy, and they don't actually. Like, to me, it maybe it's because I do this, and sometimes you look at a version of what you do. Maybe it's old head shit, but it just feels like. Yo, that's some cheap and dirty like shit where honestly that guy makes money and those artists 
don't really get a plot like it's not a platform it's just some shit to share to their people and then i know nobody's clicking on it because i checked the fucking stats on his page which you can do so it was wild to me just to think about how much money this guy made off of offerings and then it's like what am i doing with my life and don't get me wrong i like what i'm doing with my life and i don't want to even knock this man's hustle per se but wildly low value not even worth ten dollars see that's that goes to something so so check this out right so when i my short time interning for trilateral entertainment my sole job basically was to find and submit find all the american blogs and websites that were popping and then submit bad news brown's music to it so it was excel sheets all day learning who was the contact at that website you know, like building the, the relationship. It's the reason I was able to progress later with these same tools that I worked on creating value, building bridges, knowing who to talk to at a website. Like you, basically what I did was I figured out where was everybody going to check their music. So at that time, new music cartel was like six blogs was not right. You heard that new Tudo boys on smash um I, I forget the two others but so like a, like a conglomerate of blogs that work together they covered every new release so if that's where people are going to go let's say the not right to see Nas's new joint that might be where you want to be that was the mentality that was what built that because at the end of the day, why wouldn't I want my music to be at the place where everybody wakes up in the morning and hits their favorite things? Like, that's what Not Right was, like Tudo Boys was. That's what you heard that new was. Like, it was the place where everybody, like, even rappers, like other rappers, like, like fucking Joel Ortiz would tweet about it or like they would all say, like, hey, downloaded this from Not Right. You know, just heard this on Not Right. Share the post from Not so you knew that this is where you were going to get the attention. It may not have been where you're going to get the views. You might not attract the views. That's totally dependent on your music, your video, whatever you're releasing. But the reality was you have better chance of getting eyes on you if you're at the place everybody's looking. If you're on a website nobody's looking at, and that's where I'm feeding this into your story. If you're on a website nobody's looking at, of course there's no intrinsic value. There's none. So... That but, falls but on like, the artist and his promo team to do the research, though. You want no, to figure are, out these aren't where people feel like it's almost. I don't want to go too far with it, just in case people see it. But to me, it almost feels predatory. The value is so low, charge-wise. It's ten dollars. This guy's effort is nothing. He copies and pastes, puts it into a WordPress or whatever site he's using, hits publish. Artist feels really good, gets a dopamine hit, shares it with their people, gets a bunch of likes, but nobody reads it. Again, I looked. Um, and like it just moves on and then these people get this sense of like yo i'm crushing and i'm like Oof. maybe this is again like a jaded perspective with like some level of knowledge of the valueless nature like yo like a behind that suit review is worthless unless you really want to go chop it up take what i say use it as an instagram post which a couple of people have done. Like there's value you could find in it like that, but inherently me posting that shit is gonna do fucking nothing for anybody, honestly. Not well, it does me a little bit. Well, it depends on your perception of value. See, here's the thing. So everybody values things differently. We don't we, we tend to 
the only thing we all as humans tend to generally value the same is what value is assigned, like money or, you know what I mean? We intrinsically know that, you know, a hundred bucks is worth a hundred bucks. But the thing about value and perception, so like, I, I use me as an example. So let's say we're doing this interview, you repost it, even if it does numbers, does it do something for me? Does it not do something for me? The third question and the better question is, but what am I doing it for? And the reason is because I enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed the platform. I enjoyed the back and forth. I think a lot of jewels get dropped on both sides. Anything you can learn from is a good exchange, right? Facts. So if I place my value on that, then the fuck does it matter whether or not you ever push the interview? You get what I'm saying? Like, so not people are going to take their value. The no, 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 no. I don't want it to, I, I was using it as an example, but I'm saying, intrinsically the thing that's valuable to me has nothing to do with that and in where if you're picking let's say when i wanted to be on my right i wanted to be on my right so bad because to me it was like a, a badge of honor it was like oh okay like you got to be this level respected to be on that shit so to get on that shit it's a fucking wasn't the first or the second or the third it was probably like the third or fourth single at least that finally got me on it by de facto through one of the other new music cartel blogs, which was, you heard that new, which pretty much premiered most of my, the la like three of my singles, they premiered them in a row, the videos, the works, like I premiered them on other sites. But what I would do is I would stagger certain things. Sometimes if I was releasing a song, I'd give Hip Hop Canada the song first. Sometimes I would give it to You Heard That New. Sometimes, uh, same dude who did my shit for You Heard That New, John Carter, who worked with SRH, had uh, hit hip hop. So we would always have him escape MTL, would cover five or four smoke, cool. So like Montreal was pretty easy to manage because it was a few, cool. All I cared about was pushing the states, buckmarley.com. Uh, there was all, all kinds of fucking websites out there where that's where people were paying attention to. When the blogs died, it kind of, I think complex as a website made a big come up when the blogs kind of died because they got to remain operating like a blog, but because they had a certain different level of the different categories that you can explore on complex because it links to a magazine. But the blog era was something that what fucking sucked about it is it left no trace behind when it died. Mm. So like you can't go Google the pages I was on. And that's like I say it for me, but I think for every artist that's been through that era, that badge of honor yeah, that's feels a big fact that. because here's the thing a lot of people were making some noise now now check it you speak of complex nate husser's um charity basketball game covered, was covered. Yeah. and then that got shared by everybody i'm pretty sure that one wasn't a problem that was uh this is news we're gonna all cover it kind of move right and I'm sure Complex, Complex has been good at following yeah. Montreal rappers but on top of that Ballarama Holmes mayoral candidate was there that was news trust people was there covering that shit like it was it was legit i actually went to meet the dude to pitch him an interview of which he said yes but like um i mean it, like to me that's super nifty like to, i didn't know shit all about local politics now i understand it a little bit better not a lot better because they can't talk about everything but like it's not that interesting like you'd really hope it would have some like juicy shit in it, but it's really like parks and garbage removal. <laughs> yeah, listen, nobody said that shit's gonna be super interesting, but that's the thing, right? Some people gotta do the jobs that 
nobody want to do. Like, it's not exciting. Like, it, there's a there's a whole world of dirty work to do. And you know what I mean? It takes a lot. Honestly, I can never get into politics because, like, for, to be a good politician, I believe you need to, the, the level of dedication you need to have. Like, that's your end-all, be-all. It's got to be your priority during every electoral run in between backing up your promises, nah, you're making getting, effective change. You're getting calls at, like, 3 a.m. from constituents, but they're paying you. And that's the reality. And the salary is decent. So, like, because of that, like, it's kind of wild, right? Like, I don't know. But I thought it would be cool to learn about it because it was, like, local and there's an election this year and shit. So I was like, I don't want to walk in knowing nothing. But I've told you this in private. Like, I think what you're doing with that is super important. Like, that, that is something everybody should get behind. In the principle that, like, <laughs> we tend to look at the big elections, the, you know, Trudeau and all this bullshit. And what we don't do is ever look on a local level. And what we forget is the change that actually affects us is almost always on a local level, Yo, like, not a national level. Here's like another part of the story when we talk about the transition of the Montreal English hip hop scene. Nobody talks about the Cordero administration and the Tremblay, or I think it was him before, and these different administrations and their prioritization of big scale tourism. So all of a sudden you went from not having to compete with every festival every weekend to literally, it's almost a joke if you think about it, how much shit there is to do in Montreal every night. So this whole like, how these people want to approach the local scene versus how much they want to bring in big names and these kind of i think should be issues that i feel like local artists should be pressing their local politicians on so like maybe not the canada election because that's that's not the right election but i've been asking all of the politicians what they why they don't pay rappers for like fucking like yo a politician they can they they can uh, do that they're like allowed to they have like they, they fundraise they get their money and then they could throw you like five bills to basically write a song summarizing their fucking like platform issues, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. And it's like as rappers, it seems like a bag that you could probably get pretty easy in the progressive era. The great bag. The danger is social media and cancel culture in the sense that like politicians are terrified because <laughs> they can try and vet they'll vet whoever and then somebody will dig up that that artist said some shit on Twitter that was Local not okay. politics. I don't see that going down. You'd be surprised. There's dirt everywhere. You know like right. I don't think I take that back. I don't think local politics is anywhere far from the dirt. Like there's we just don't hear it the same because we observe we don't think about it. the majority of people do not observe their local politics at all. Like but that's like, not what they're looking okay, at. Okay, but like end of the day Actually a lot of Canadians probably spend more time watching the US politics than Canadian facts. politics. But I don't think that paying a rapper in a community service kind of oriented, like, yo, I'm trying to give money back into local culture moves is going to make you look bad no matter what rapper you pick. Well, Denny Coder took the picture with, uh, what was it, Kegun? i trying to remember. I think it was Kegun. And they took the picture, totally innocent picture, whole backlash about it because dude had a criminal record or whatever it was, right? Like, Politicians are always scared of that. The, 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 the politician's biggest fear, whether local or big, is a skeleton in their closet in any way or a negative association that they can't spin. And so they shy away from the shit that could be positive for them. And then what are they going to do? I promise you, if they ever open that door, the first thing they're going to go do is get a white rapper. 
which is just as much a slap in the face because it's just out of the principle of he's a safer bet. Politics works in a way mentally, you know, politics is war. Like the way we think it operates versus how it really operates, there's so much more plotting and scheming and backstabbing and backdoor shit. Like at the end of the day, that's why like they're all terrified of shit they can prove. So a politician takes a picture with a rapper and all of a sudden there's a backlash. Like it was it was bananas. Like you understand? Like so it's the type of shit where politicians are running from the same thing that could actually help them connect with their community because they don't have their ears plugged to the street. Now, there's gonna be some that are young enough now and it's starting to happen more and more. And like, hey, like look at Sterling from under pressure and what he did with Verdun. Like he he stepped up in a major fucking way. He was deputy mayor, like, or I think he still might be. Like Sterling, I watched this dude when I did the under pressures. You know, he's the the boss of under pressure. Like he's, you know, he's into the graph culture and skateboarding, and he's the coolest dude. He's connected to his community, and that's why he's moved up in a in a in a prosperous way. You have to have that and. So until while we still get politicians that were like sheltered and you know this is a lot of them think about it a lot of them is family legacy shit you know well, what I mean a lot way, of the way I understood it family. is that young people do not want to apply for the roles of politicians and I of say not. that right now because Balarama's party is pretty fucking open pretty much any of us could run if we had a, a case you have to want to do it i do not want to go through that process but Me but that's where it's like a you, brutal process but like let's say you it's did you could like go run and then it's like how do you make young people because that's a huge problem Everybody that is your local politicians kind of old was made clear to me the other day. This guy I was talking to, he's uh, Peter McQueen in the other part of NDG, not my part, but another part of it, the east side or whatever. And like he was describing how like Christian Arsenal was the only guy in his 30s. Everyone else is like above the age of 58. And you're like, whoa, right? Major like, disconnect. Like you got to think about that. So it's like. How, if none of us run, then how does it change? And that's where I'm not saying you and I have to do it, but like no, no. But there should be a push for people to want the, the people. You can't <laughs> want change and not want to try and affect it. Like you can't just want it. Wanting it is not enough. You know what I mean? So like me, honestly, like if I had a political bone in my body in the sense of like the the willpower to deal with the, the bullshit that comes with it. I would definitely look at that option because you're not, you can't just talk about it. You gotta, you gotta find a way to live it. So I, you know, I, I'm lucky. I work with a company that, you know, does a lot of volunteer work and shit like that. So like I do it from that aspect instead. That's how I operate my change. Like I, I just like, you know, I'm working, like I said, the company I work for and they made your emphasis on volunteer work and charity. And so like, not a lot of telecom companies operate that way. And so I try and dive into that as much as possible when I can, because like you can do real good right there for somebody immediate. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the red tape. But even like as rappers, we can do more. So like my company partner would make a wish for their hero day thing where you go hang out with a kid and do like fucking wildly fun shit. It's actually really yeah. amazing. 
then I found we were we were failing on our fundraising goal. So I got really fucking mad and I said, I'm gonna throw a show. And then Make a Wish was like down. I said, Are you sure? We're gonna swear and shit. And they're like, Yeah, go make that money, my guy. And it made me realize so like technically I that show I was gonna throw before COVID fucked it up was partner with Make a Wish with all proceeds going to that. And it made me realize awesome. charities are way more progressive than we might think they are. <clears throat> of course. Of course, because the end game is what really matters. And the way of getting there, as long as it's legitimate, there's no issue there. Because they're focused a real charity, the ones that you can like make a wish, for instance, they're all their their focus is always on the end game. They understand. Like they they accomplish things that nobody else is accomplishing. Like they're fulfilling dreams. Like that shit has no you can't put that in money and but they found a way to to do that shit. From what I can tell, because I've never seen anything bad about that foundation on on such a big scale. Like, think about it. Like, at the end of the day, to me, I don't think there's any better form of charity, at least for me, than Make-A-Wish in the sense that what they're doing and who they're doing it for, like, that's changing lives. That's, that's ultimately super life-changing. And you're giving somebody something that, you know, they can take with them, like, one way or another. You're... you're it's just it's so deep how much they i i, I fuck with that like i i think a lot of charities get a bad rap because as a lot of them should there's a lot of embezzlement there's a lot of but some it's like it's like the whole thing with you know the red cross it's like people donated money but where did it go like you know people always have these questions there's no question on making this because the goal the goal is for real altruistic that's you can't ask for better charities than that. So it's amazing. I just wanted to give props that you even thought of doing that because it's fucking great, man. And it should be definitely commended. Yo, but it's the kind of thing where if we all start doing stuff like that, let's say a whole bunch of us hit up the same charities. Well, then if you took a picture with the politician later, at the very least, you're doing charity work. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, I don't know anything about K Goon to say if he does or does not. So I, I just want to make that abundantly clear. This is just where my head's going oh, yeah. with it from the optics of the scene. No, but uh, the whole optics to me was just the reaction of people going, first there's a picture, and then people look him up and they're like, ah, man has a criminal record. So what? You, can, you can't have a criminal yeah, record. I'm wildly good? fucking like, ignorant sometimes in that regard, but. I don't. I, I didn't even know about that. I vaguely remember it now that I think about it, but like I didn't really register with me. But when you say that, it's like, yeah, I suppose you're right. There's unfortunately the part where uh, I'm kind of privileged, and some of the options available to me are not the same as everyone else. That's a fucking big. And fact. And, and you know that was Kagun is a good dude. Like I don't know him, but I know people that work with him. Just I never heard. A bad thing about this is like criminal records don't mean shit, guy. Like, what is a criminal record? I could have a fucking criminal record. I don't, but I could have had many times. And honestly, would it make me any less of the person I am today? No, because motherfuckers go through shit and they learn shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the only downside is if you haven't learned from it. Like, but if you learn from it, you can be better. I know people with criminal records that are the coolest, smartest, smoothest, nicest, most loyal, fiercely hard-working people but you know a bad circumstance whatever like i don't know what the story is there so i don't want to yeah, you know more generalizing but i'm saying like the judgment that people have the prejudices it, it's crazy it's like 
if if we're not to grow, are we like? Isn't that the defining trait of humans? We grow, we evolve. Or even like, the idea we don't you... evolve physically, but we evolve more like emotionally and and, and mentally and they, than most species. Just to, like piggyback on that, if somebody serves time and they serve their time. Does that mean that they did their thing and they should like on an ethical societal front be off the hook because they did their time? Like, is it like to me the whole thing? The well, whole the, the whole concept is fucking, it's right? fucking wild. Well, like the whole thing to me, like when I think about it, it's like it's like this stain that gets put on you. Like my dad had a record, so he couldn't we couldn't go to the states or anything. Like it wasn't an option. Like something something about he never bothered with the pardon, but like. Yo, I remember that being a real thing. Like you, you couldn't do some shit. And like, yo, it's it's incredible just to see. Like I remember being my whole like early twenties. Like I can't get a record. It'll fuck up my whole career plans if I get a record. Like it was a huge defining thing of my like earlier twenties and how I chose to live mm-hmm. my life. I'm like, I, I, and it was like, but it's like a real thing, and it even goes the other way. Like there's a lot of Americans who couldn't get into Canada. Yep. And it's like, yep. if you're thinking of being an artist, you have to think of those things, right? Like it's something you, that still weighs on you because it could happen anytime. I'm, I don't know. The only reason I'm on the criminal records, I got fucking lucky. Like let God, thank God for that because there's been a lot of close calls, but you know, there's a reason if it, if it happened for a reason and I'm safe from it, cool. But man, like nobody, nobody wants to have the criminal record it's not like it's a badge of honor for anything you know what i mean like the problem is circumstances can happen that are out of your control man sometimes like the other part of it is that like there was more than one like there's more than one version of montreal and a lot of people who come from let's say a side of the tracks i'm comfortable and familiar with aren't cognizant that the other one even exists and that the circumstances that lead to certain life choices may be real here in our very own backyard and so like people just look at shit at a very superficial safe level because there are let's say for like most people here there is really clean and easy life paths forward all things considered but not for everybody just for most people yeah your location can be a lot of things man like you know what i mean like you're you where you're raised can change things. Who raises you? Like everything is a is a variety of little itty bitty choices and things that happen to you in your life that become your path. Like these things, forget like predestiny or all that shit. It's just simple facts that like everything. You're always a product of your environment. Then there's a point in your life where you choose to be just what what, what made you, or now take what you learn and make yourself. Because that's what everybody goes through. By the time they're 18, 19, 20, when you start going into your 20s, you're now taking everything you've learned in your life socially and emotionally and mentally, and you're now figuring out how to make yourself who you are. Because usually most people are who they are by the time they're 30. Like realistically, if you look at the timeline, like until you're 30, you're not fully really who you are. You're still living experiences that are shaping your perception of things now throughout life when you get to 40 and get to 50 and it's going to keep happening you're going to keep, keep getting stuff that changes your perceptions but there's a that first 30 years of your life it's stages if you think about it right like things are imprinted on you before you're 10 10 to 20 you're kind of like now learning the outside world 
and you're starting to figure out things or experimenting with things or trying to figure out what makes you you. You don't know, but you're learning it. And then 20 to 30, you're not taking everything you learn and you're trying to apply it to become the person you've been envisioning the last 10 years since you've been able to be old enough to emotionally be thinking about that. Like, who are you going to become? So, you know, by the time you're in your 30s, now you're you're developing everything that you've learned, the person you are, you've taken all that, and now you're applying. It's like an application part of life. Most people are just applying every skill they have in their 30s because that's what it's all been building up to. Your 40s and 50s becomes constant, consistent, you know what I mean, in the sense that you now you're you're still working towards that because if you think about it, most people are maybe working for their retirement when they're 20, but most people aren't anymore. So like 30 years old, people start taking it more seriously and they're like, oh, like I need to stack my bread. I need to be financially stable. I need to like, how many, you think how many 20 year olds are paying attention to their credit scores? You know what I mean? Like most people don't have a credit score because it's not like their parents bought a credit card and put a name, their name on it or something like that, which is a great thing to do. If you guys have kids one day, like, you open a credit card in their name as an authorized user, and that's it, man. You build up their credit. When they're 18, you can give them that card, but their credit will be built, like, because you've built them a credit score. Like, there's things that we weren't able to do in other generations because there's no consideration to that. But financial stability something I was not big on. My money came in and out. That's what I operated. It was never, like, planned or just a hustle, make money, figure it out, make a move, make money. But being really like financially secure is something you, especially in your thirties, start really putting in work, figuring out. And you know, That's a lot crazy. of people get bored by the idea, but it's like, you get grown, you got to start thinking these things. If I was thinking of these things when I was 20, I'd be in a much better financial well, space. I mean, we don't always have the luxury of hindsight <laughs> when we're in it. You I think I mean? there's so, parts of financial conversations that are boring. Like, Crypto is not my favorite topic to discuss with most people. Me neither. But actual budgeting and like how to build a future is is hot topics, bro. You know what the Lydia's conversation at work is? Houses and house improvement. That is the hottest topic. Like if you want to talk, like if you were to put an Alexa in a room and it would attract all the keywords, it would be whatever the hottest show on Netflix is and fucking home repair. It is wild how many people talk about their fucking houses and their lawns and this shit. Like, bro, smoking cigarettes was really just listening to people older than me talk about their fucking houses. Yo, it's for real, man. Like, me, me, the last three years was credit score. Like, that was a big thing for me. Uh, I wanted to have the luxury of getting what I needed when I needed it. I didn't want to have to worry about co-signers and... Like, the things you just don't fucking think about, man. Like, so, like, uh, that, you people tend to forget. They don't think about how important your credit score actually is. But when you want a house, when you want a car, when you want certain things, even an apartment, at some point, like, your credit score has got to be up to, to this shit, guy. Like, you, you, you want to be in the spot where you're fucking taking care of your shit and, and act, have access to things because all your credit score is telling you is what you have access to. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's where I got focused on revenue and I said, well, my credit's been fucked for a minute. I, had, I made some very bad choices when I was younger and declared bankruptcy and, and now it's not shit. 
it's just not good <laughs> it's like middle shit you know what the trick was for me i honestly tell people all the time having about a 30 percent balance on your credit card and making more than minimum monthly payments and just paying your bills on time honestly if you do those simple things your credit score will be in the seven sixty. We was doing nice until COVID went ahead and fucked up fiscally. Speaking the stability of the home arrangements, I might, but like the income values were not the same, but the expenses went up because as they say in life, when you have things going, you should probably not worry about the house and just get her done, which is yeah, what I feel like my life is right now. I can't be stressing about too much about that right now, but it's inevitable. It's inevitable. But it's not Don't worry lost. About inevitable but like at the same time, I also it's on my mind. So now it's like, okay, we've been doing this for a minute. Let's spend the next few months strategizing how we can create monetizable rev streams so that at least we can. Because if you can't reduce expenses, you can increase revenues. And there are always ways to be creative to make money. Like somebody did offer me, and it didn't actually come to fruition, but they offered me a hundred US dollars to do a six-part short-ass fucking you answer these questions interview, and I would chop it up for them. I'm like, my God, that sounds like an hour's worth of work, like two hours tops for a hundred. Like, what the fuck? You know, like you start thinking, and you're like, there's money out there, and that's something. Yeah, I when learned. you're able to learn your value as part of so you know earlier to the pricing conversation right it comes back to that same thing right so when somebody offers you a hundred dollars and you think to yourself it's an hour of work sure but you deserve that because yeah. there's the experience and the time you spent learning how to do what you do like like you know a lot of rappers it, it's funny right so like producers will talk about and that, this is something nobody ever talks about because <laughs> rappers don't have the balls but producers talk all the time about rappers that don't pay rappers that don't buy beats right and that's a big fact but here's something that people forget like so producers do projects and don't pay any of the rappers that are on them when a producer does that it's i'm giving you a shot like i'm giving you exposure you get it like so there's an inherent lack of people being able to find what their worth is because here's what a producer will tell you a producer will tell you i charge because this is how much money i've invested in my life and equipment and time right so a rapper doesn't know how to properly execute knowing his value like what is my verse worth when i write 16 bars if i write it in 10 minutes is it worth less than the verse i take three days to write where's the value the value is in how long i've been spending the, the quality of what i'm going to spend like if you're asking me for a verse it's likely because you want that energy that lyrical shit that shit you're used to hearing from me on one of your records. So where do I inherently decide what the value of that is? Am I calculating it how much time I've been doing it? Because I've been doing it for 20 years. I don't think that's a fair nah, assessment. Yeah, of, it's actually you know, gotta be way. So here's the thing. Fair is an interesting question, but then it becomes more like, let's talk actual business plan. Who is it that you're charging? My impression is there's not a lot of money floating around from external sources into the Montreal hip hop scene. So I would argue exactly. that at a local level, the value is going to be less in terms of what people can actually get, not what people can charge other places and have a higher value, but what people can actually get 
will be significantly lower if nobody is making, not to say nobody, but if the vast majority of artists contributing in the scene that I talk to do not make money, then who the fuck can afford high prices? That's my like real question to like everybody. Here's, here's where it gets tricky, to. right? Here's where it gets tricky because when we start talking about charging for services, you got to think people are looking at paying for services under the idea of what's the return on their investment, right? Like business 101. The problem is inherently we're in a business where there's no guarantee you're going to get a return on your investment. Unless let's say like, it's like, okay, if I'm spending 5,000, let's say for a DJ Premier beat, the return on that investment pays itself, not financially, but what the equivalent is going to be from well, the attention. Of, like almost quite know? literally, it's like sometimes and I don't want to like go into specifics, but I'm like, man, if nobody can afford $200 beats, well, then maybe people should just charge 50 and then more people would buy the beats because they're not buying the beats. They're stealing beats or they're going Amino Domini or something like that. So it's like, let's just all have a reality check. There's this like this, this, this like idea of what everybody wants. But when you talk about like what you can afford to charge, like I'm in the PDF industry at work and I can't go very deep on this, but the facts of the matter is the whole industry is going free, which means what you can afford to charge is really not in your control. The value you believe based on a decade of development is irrelevant. The market is the market. The market is not mm -hmm. determined based. I'm reading fucking Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, y'all. I'm on my macroeconomics game fact. right now. But like, that's a fact. so it's like people talk value all they want. Here's the truth: I can afford what I can afford. You can afford what you can afford. Everybody can afford what they can afford. Now, maybe people don't want to negotiate on prices on value, but if I was in a position like that, I would have two rates. I would have the Montreal rate, which I felt would be like probably running some losses. And then I'd have the everywhere else rate. Kind of like how Montreal universities run that shit. Do you know how much a foreign student pays a Montreal university versus how much a Montreal student pays? And if we had that kind of an attitude, fiscally speaking, a lot more people could do a lot more things quickly. It wouldn't be as slow and... Uh, I think we we things would bubble faster because it is an era of somebody said something to me wildly interesting and I can't remember who it was and I feel bad, but the their whole strategy is to be everywhere to constantly put out content. I don't think it was music per se, but to constantly have content out because even if nobody like watches anything you do, inevitably they might. Like the average person Googles something eight times before they even go to a website. Like there's so many of these real life factors that kick into shit. So unfortunately the artists kind of need a year or two to go do the spam, but smart spam, lots of releases, mixtapes, like fucking shit like that. Yo, we here, we up in it, we Montreal, let's get it. That kind of shit for, you know, to build up the reputation so that local Montreal shows up to the fucking shows and starts buying the merch. Now dollars is circulating. At that point, up the prices. I don't give a fuck. <clears throat> Columbia House did that shit. Everybody did that Bajo, shit. Joe, yesterday's price is not today's price. The illest thing he said all year, but it's a fact, man. Like, like things if change, all of man. a sudden everybody's getting paid two hundred fifty dollars to do a show because the market sustains that, 
well now okay you're gonna get your return on investment so you're gonna put up that two bills on a beat you're gonna now now all these things flip together but like without that ecosystem to sustain it is like wildly just trying to copy what other realities are to oh be. yeah no it's, it's it, listen right now especially with the covid thing like it's a long time before club, club promoters are paying people to get the live venue when it's actually cheaper for them to do the the whole like uh live stream thing now so it's a different it's like the pay scale keeps changing there's we keep having to adapt what's the market like if, a, if an artist does a live stream versus the live show and you're selling the tickets online for instance then okay so if the ticket price is the same as online as it would have been in person fine now what happens if the show is for free but it's on a subscription-based platform who gets the money what percentage you're getting <coughs> all other things you create your own platform to live stream it. What are the maintenance costs? Like oh, you try. the one thing I can tell everybody in the world, don't do that last option. Y'all think you want to do that last option. Y'all don't want to actually do that last option. No, you want to partner up with somebody who's successful at live stream. Honestly, if you're going to live stream a show, like for real, like do like a, you know, that, I don't want to say a virtual show because I don't want to mix with what we were talking about before, but if you do a live stream of your show, work with a reputable live stream company that has or done this. at least before. do it on Twitch or some shit because you can do it like that. What I'm saying is yeah. people don't really know, like you don't want to be the guy holding a live stream, people register with their emails, your shit gets hacked, you violated European law by accident. Like there's like there's shit that really goes down when you're the, when you're the host. This is the hugest reason why I don't really host a lot of my content. I'm not as subjected to the same rules as YouTube and Facebook and shit and whatever. Like, there's a lot of things where copyright rules protect you. There's a lot of things that people get mad at that are built in systems that actually, as a content creator, it's better to maybe not host your own content. Do you have the lawyers? Yeah, I, like, I forgot what Royce, Royce and Lupe both did it, but late recently did like live stream shows a few months ago within the last few months. And so Royce partnered up with a company to handle the live stream and it went beautifully. Lupe's done the same thing. Like a lot of artists are opting this, but the trick is the right, it's, it's all, you know, this game, again, it always comes to partnerships. The best successes you see are partnerships. Yeah, we live in a tech capital. Brand. Like Montreal is full of tech startups. And that's something where like people maybe don't realize that when they talk about the real, real city, the real city mm -hmm. is tech startups because Quebec put so much money over the last 20 years into investing in this sector that <clears throat> there are almost, when I last checked this, because I was talking to Preachan Kobe and he called Montreal a blue collar city and I was baffled, right? Because to me, it's a white collar city. And so I Googled it and currently there are twice as many white collar employees as there are blue collar employees. So it's actually- but Downtown is white collar, but a lot of the boroughs is blue collar. That's why Preach feels that way. Because the, the white it's, collar it's been... kind of all regroups downtown. That's the hub. And so it becomes a white collar hub. But realistically, when you look at all the boroughs, it's a very blue collar place. Like I would Man, consider- But it's not even like that no more. NDG's gentrified, it's all white collar. Uh, St. Henry's gentrified, it's all white collar. Pick a hood, gentrified. It's most. It's at least a mix, 50-50. The gentrification is definitely playing on those numbers. I would not No, lie. but it's That's played on sure. those numbers so heavily that we can- But I'm saying the essence, like I think, I mean, I don't want to speak no, to he, preach, right? No, he, he was preach, not wrong. I mean, like the essence- He's not wrong. These boroughs are blue collar. Like it's it's but the gentrification bro, changes the things. So what's wild is like I come from like Coast Saint Luke across the street, right? 
not like rich coast St. Luke. Just like I just was there and I went to like Wager and shit. I move out. When I come back, I'm an active gentrifier by this point. Think about it. Like I'm a middle class dude on salary. And like I come in and I cop the cheap apartment in the hood that's not being whoa, you know, like that that's the reality of the situation. And that was years ago. So many years ago. Like we were doing this shit in twenty twelve with NDG. So by now, nah, like the hood flip. The hood like it's it's real different now. It's it's real different. Not to say that there isn't still stuff, of course, but like the well, demographics sure. have shifted heavily that I would argue that there's a safe the Montreal's a lot more white collar than it ever used to be. Across Of course. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, the gentrification definitely plays a fact. I'll say like I would say the essence of a lot of these neighborhoods are still blue collar, but the, the the actual demographics that are present right now. So the money, like you said, the gentrification is the gentrification. And when rent goes up everywhere, people are looking for the cheapest rent. That you know, it's it's not even not even just gentrification. It's even just people of the middle class being moved out of their neighborhoods because it's too expensive for them to live. And then so by default, where do you end up? Like wherever you can find the cheapest apartment, like. It's crazy. Even like rent in Shamini, like the apartment, the, the duplex I grew up in, it's like three bedrooms. It was like 500 a month. Now it would be 1050 Like the, the prices, I went to visit an, uh, an apartment on my old street. That's, so there's two sides of the street. One side is a little bit more ghetto than the other. And I visited this shit and it's fucking... 975 for the four and a half but i'm telling you like this was the ugliest littlest worst placed four and a half man you're fucking horrible like you're paying a fortune for fucking the shittiest places so the good places are starting to be like 11 12 1300 it's very tough even on a fucking good salary these days if you live alone in a four and a half that's some rough budgeting, man. No matter how much money you make, unless you're in the 35, 35 an hour and up or beyond that, like you're not necessarily having a rough time, but you're not the balling. You know All what I, I mean? can say is that if I had to live alone, I would have to compromise a lot on lifestyle that I'm not down to compromise on. And that's a fact. Trust me, can I, I'm, I live in a four and a half that's affordable. Like it's it's a good price for and a half. Like we can't move right now is what I'm saying. I have too much space. I was thinking about it today. I can have an elliptical in my living room. Like too much space to move. Like I can't this shit would cost me seventeen now if I really were to like think about it. Not because of location. If it was here, maybe not. But like equitable anywhere else, it's like it's wild. Like I live on fielding, not far from Walkley. Um motherfucker was telling me that the three and a half are going for twelve fifty. That's like, like, yo, like, it's not what it was. And so, like, dude, I'm in a four and a half in the hood right now for 950. Yo, that's like, serious. I mean, I mean, that's Laval, yeah. though. So, we can't come. I don't know that. I don't know that rental prices of Laval and Montreal compare so, like, directly is the truth of the situation. Well, so many prices have skyrocketed, like, because it's a sought after neighborhood. Like, people are moving from Montreal to Laval ever since the Metro. People are moving from Montreal to Laval, like in droves. Like, is that so real? It's driving up the price. Yeah, yeah, and it's driving up the price. Families move from Montreal to go, they, they keep, you know, they go further out. The thing is, the further out you go, 
the cheaper it is. Like if you want to go to Mirabelle, you might get crazy prices on a house compared to if you're going to get it. But like a house in Chamonix right now is like easily asking price 400. And after the bidding war you're going to have, you're going to pay 600 for this fucking house that might really in reality, pre COVID, pre the market blowing up, be like 350,000. Like, the the housing the 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 apartment prices are skyrocketing because the prices of the houses are going up. So landlords know people are needing an apartment. Like it, they don't. There's there's no wiggle room there. They don't have to charge cheap because everybody needs it. Like they don't have trouble. Nobody has trouble renting any fucking apartment. Like nah, you you landlords if they put an apartment up, it's getting rented. Like it's. I mean, there's, there's caveats to your area, but I would agree that in certain places, yeah, you're right. Especially these days, um, yo, it's bleak. Like this is one of those topics where it's like I, I think about it and I'm like, man, it's bleak. Can't move. That's what I learned. I can't. Dude, can't move. I'll give you an example. My boy, my boy bought a house a few years ago, paid a certain price. Now he could sell it for potentially almost triple what he paid. You know what the downside is? Imagine being able to do that, but realizing now that you've sold it at that price. Any house you go to buy is going to cost you everything you made because the bidding wars on the houses are crazy. So, like, he might make, you know, 400 grand profit off it, but the new house that he bids on, that'll be like 400 grand minimum because you can't find a $200,000 house anymore. Like, it's going to cost him after the bidding war 600. So, at the end of the day, the house you just made a big bundle on you just got a house the same size no improvements for the same fucking price of what you sold it for so the market is shit right now to buy a house like it's the worst fucking possible time i was saving for a house i gave up honestly i start i'm started from scratch and spent it on something else like because it's just not the fucking time like buy the house right now like well, unless you want to go to mirabelle or one of them places. Yeah, or, or far off places. Yeah, the further you go from the city, the cheaper it's going to get. Rapatini is cheaper. Um, you know what I mean? There's a lot of places it, like that you're going to pay a lot like, of. For me, I, but then there's the car tax. That was the other side of it, right? Like, yo, like, this, now it's work from home. I, I mean, this isn't necessarily true for Bonnie, but, like, I don't really have to stay in Montreal to do my job. Like, they would i mean i have no desire to leave don't get me wrong but yeah. like from a home ownership perspective i think being in the middle of fucking nowhere sounds kind of nicer than being in the middle of montreal when it comes down to shit like weed and wild ass parties <clears throat> that's the thing man like i, I like i moved away from charmony enough times but i always end up moving back i'm good where i'm at like you know there, there's something about being where you want to be versus where you have to mm. be like i could work from anywhere too like it, it doesn't matter. I could fucking move as far as I want and fucking work from home. I do all my shit from home. But there's something about, like, still being in the area where I'm comfortable with, where I can roam the streets, where, you know, I, I know where everything is. There's a comfort level there. And I can only enjoy it now because I fucking, like, shit, picked up with my friends and moved across fucking country on a whim, like, years ago. I fucking went to BC, drove back to Alberta, Got to Banff. We had 300 bucks between us. That's it. No other money. No food. 
It was middle of winter, slept in a fucking car, got jobs, got an apartment, like fucking struggled from the ground up. But I did it other places far from my comfort zone. And that made me okay with like, okay, now I can come home. And I lived in Park X. I lived in a couple of places, but like home is home, man. Like there's a, nothing grows in the comfort zone unless you, your comfort zone, you allow it to, to, to be specific. Like for me, the comfort zone of being in Shamity is like, okay, I got everything close to me. I know where everything's at, but I'm never like, oh, I'll never leave Shamity. I can go where the fuck I want. Like I'm not restrained by that same comfort zone that I've created for myself, but it's always a danger, but you could fucking with rent prices can go anywhere. Like to what you were saying, so you can go anywhere, but like when you got it good or you're in the right place, that's yeah. just good for your mind too. I would like to have the utopia where a fucking house on Rosedale didn't cost half a million dollars for like, you know, like, like I would love that right. reality. But so if I want a house, it isn't like I have a choice. I mean, I, I don't want a condo. I want a house. So for me, it's, here. it's like, shh, what choice do you got? You got to leave Montreal to get a house. So it's like, it's a weird one for me. Cause it creates like a whole new lifestyle. Like I'm kind of really into my Bohemian Montreal shit these days. Like I'm fucking with it heavy. Yeah, it's different everywhere, man. When I used to be downtown a lot, like I got accustomed to downtown lifestyle. Like, but like when I'm back in Shamity, it's different. Like it, it's just a different energy. Like downtown is life, is energy. So you walk out the street, there's always something popping. I'm in Shamini. I mean, it's just pop it, but you might see like a fucking, like a crackhead or something or a bum or like just a regular person, but it's not like, oh, an exciting energy, bro. Like I live next to a fucking high school where it's by the water. So people go and pop fireworks at night. Like it's like different energy everywhere you go, man. Like I got a custom when I was living in Banff, the energy is fucking way different. I'm in the middle of the Rockies at a different altitude. The air is fresher. There's no pollution people's vibes is all super friendly and like the first stranger you meet will shake your hand and give you whatever you got like if you got a slip extra he's gonna give you that slip there's just different energy than i was used to but i find you can get accustomed to pretty much anything if you open your mind to it like i don't believe in because like i could easily be like the dude that's like i'm the rapper this is uncool for rappers to do like you know you can have that that fucking mentality or I'm the street kid. Like I'm a city kid. So I don't like the country or like whatever you, we put ourselves in these boxes. I don't like the, but at the end of the, the day, country. <laughs> no, I feel you. Listen, listen, there's a downside for everything, but honestly, like I I'm a city boy. I love fucking camping. Yeah, camping camping is this shit. And if you go with the right people, like dude, I would do a Montreal hip hop, camping trip that would be some wild shit yeah, i think three thousand around the fire all honestly that. that is that is a lit idea once next summer comes and we're yeah. allowed to do things again that should be yeah. set up yo i would be down for that like 100 percent. but it's like you, you don't learn new shit hanging around your own element all the fucking time so like when i was in bath man the thing about bath right is it's a touristic village so people come in and out so the friends I met was Japan, New Zealand, um, Russia, whatever. So you hang around with all these different people. They all have a different way to party or a different way to chill. Or, and so you learn little bits. And then my experiences gave me, you know, so much clarity in terms of like, 
being open-minded and just trying shit that maybe I don't think is for me, but what's the harm? As long as I'm not going to physically hurt myself, I'm not a big fan of hurting myself at all, but like, you know, if it's something I can try that's different or learn something new, then great. Like that to me is, if life is not about learning, then what the fuck are we doing it for? Like every day I try and just learn something new, even if it means open up YouTube and pick something like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like I picked up video editing the other day. Like I was just studying how, what kind of apps exist for an Android phone and video editing. I'm just randomly picking shit. Like yeah, it doesn't I'm telling matter. You, though, you can do the whole video process yourself on a phone if you really run it. It's just not my cup of tea, but it's viable and it's like, yeah, your phone's good. I gotta learn man. how. That's you, all it is. Learning like your how. Your phone is no disrespect to the people with the crazy cameras. But to like me watching it, I'm not gonna actually care about the difference. To you watching it, you'll care about some of the difference, but not enough of the difference between your phone and his. You know what I mean? Like, to a certain point. Either it's like, way, the camera plays a part, but a lot of it is the director, the angles, the editing. editing. Like videos are made from the angles and the editing. The cameras is just like it's like it's like recording listen you can have the fucking greatest mic in the world or you can have an okay mic but if you've got a good engineer it won't matter Thanks. like there's gonna be a difference but we realistically speaking it's the person working the tool not necessarily the tool itself you know what i mean like so uh, i see all the time engineers make the world a difference like like callie said this to me and it's true when i think about it like she's the two-track king like how many people you think bring a beat to have the full stems of the beat? You get what I mean? So when a guy's, when, when Callie's mixing, like if you can mix your song with the MP3 of the beat and your vocals and make it sound dope, then you can tell it's not the equipment, it's the engineer. Because you didn't give him all the stems what normally an engineer would need to mix. Like you would want to have, like if you want to properly mix the mastered song, you need the stems of the beat. Like a lot of rappers record on two tracks. You don't even think about it. Like, you know what I mean? But it takes a good engineer to make a two track sound good because your vocals sit on top of the beat instead of in the beat. There's no way to make it in the beat because you can't mix the other, every layer of instrument in the beat. Or yeah, the gonna, samples or I know for a fact that nobody knows what the fuck that means when we say that shit. I know for a fact. What they really mean is they're going to take some sounds like guitars and pianos that are fucking piercing and competing with the voice and drop them. They're going to make your drums and shit mesh real nice. And basically every sound you hear, whether it's a talk, whether it's a whatever, whatever, it gets a track and the engineer goes sound by sound in the beat and make sure it goes real nice with your voice versus having this, the, the, cause otherwise you just get the MP3, which is already mixed. And then what he does is manipulates that file to kind of sandwich around your voice to emulate that effect as best as possible. And the MP3 is already compressed as it is. So mm -hmm. on top of it all, like there's, there's sound issues that arise from that. But the best way I can describe it in the layman's terms, the way I look at it, it's the difference between sounding on top of the beat or in the beat. So when you listen to songs that are properly mixed, the artist's vocals are just as much a part of the instrument. It plays like an instrument. It's, you can hear it, it's in the beat. Whereas when you listen to freestyles, like that quality, right? Like a lot of the time, it's on top of the beat. You hear the beat in the background and then there's the vocals on top of it. So that's the difference between being able to record a song when you have all the stems for the instrumental 
um, or or just the the MP3 of the beat. Like it's going to totally change the sound quality. Um, like it's all good. For instance, is a two track. I didn't have all the stems when I did it. Mm. Stop fronting. I had all the stems when we mixed it. They sound sonically very different in terms of the quality of the mix where stop fronting is superior in every way sonically because my voice plays into the beat like an instrument. Whereas if it's all good, I'm on top of the beat. And it's clear. Like it, you can hear it's on top of the beat. That's nifty. I, I mean that. I like the way you put that. Um, I'm surprised we're still running. Rico hit me with this like we're going to stop at 10 p.m. shit. And yeah, I figured too, but I didn't have to go do what I had to do, so I just, you know, for now, I was like, it. fair enough. No, I'm not hating it. I'm like, I was just surprised because I was like, this last half hour going, at some point, this guy's about to cut me off hard. And I'm like, nope, that never came. That's dope. Hey, man, we had an interesting conversation. Like, sometimes the, the stuff about the music, and like, we did the life story interview, which is why it's fun because we got that out of the way, and it's like, we can chop it up on some real shit and yeah. drop some gems on, you know, how things work. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm here, man. I'm good. Uh, it's whatever you want, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, mixing is such a, the, you know, just to, to finish on that and then step into, you know what the, the one conversation we're getting into right after we talked about, but so like, again, always the, the, the mix is always about like the more, the more of the stem, the more of the vocals and beat parts of the beat you can manipulate the better the mix is going to be so as far as that goes, you know, so that is what we were saying last time, the manager booking agent, mm. like, I think that was a super interesting conversation. And, um, I think, you know, what we were saying is like, so like manager managers handling your day-to-day -day business the manager's job is to make sure that you're operating as an actual business. You're an employee, like the manager works for you. Yes but you have to treat the manager like he has the power to direct you like, Hey, like you got to go do this. You got to go do that. There's a certain level of day to day. The booking agent, when it comes to shows is such a different thing because the booking agent is looking out for festivals is looking out for events and they're talking to the promoters and getting you booked for the show. Now, there's booking agents that work for promoters and there's booking agents that work for artists because booking agents that work for the promoters usually are the promoters. Like, like Ricky D pretty much like probably has, you know, people that assist him in building the contracts when he brings somebody down, for instance. But at the end of the day, it's, it's like a booking agent, right? Like he's going to, he's going to promote the party, but he's going to book the artists. He's going to do all that. So. A booking agent is important. The thing is, you have to be able to generate some kind of interest for a booking agent to have something to work with, right? But if you get the right person, like, you know, a lot of a lot of people start their businesses where it's the homies who never did the job before and learn on the job. And, you know, a lot of people knock that, but that actually works out for a lot of people because... Well, especially because, like, at the end of the day, it's like the problem with business people is they're the quickest people to figure out how to charge people, right? Like, you know, how long is it going to take for a man to go say a word? I can make money from a guy who's more successful than my homie. So it's hard to, like, necessarily find somebody that knows exactly how to do their craft that's going to be like, yeah, my guy, I'm going to come work for you for free. 
And then we get back to that money debate where all of us is like, yeah, we don't have that cheddar to go pay you to go do everything proper, which maybe is a problem. Maybe like we have to go pay more people to do more things, which is probably fair. But here's the key about managers. Remember the managers don't get well, paid I meant more the from booking you. agent. Oh yeah. Well, the booking agent's supposed to book you make his money off your feet. Like they're supposed to be there that at some point there has to be a consensus in your team to what your show or what your presence at a show or at an event or at this is worth and it has to be your bottom line like it has to be like no exceptions like hey like this is it this is the asking price because in a professional business the promoter is going to ask for a bid like like what's the bid like what's your price they're going to place a bid on that price you know what i mean like at the end of the day that's where the negotiations come in but the booking agent, the manager, they're all supposed to eat on what they bring in for you. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of managers will ask you for cash up front. If a manager asks you for cash up front, turn that guy the fuck down and send him packing. Because that's not how it's supposed to work. Like, maybe that dude will do the work for you. Maybe. But you should never, ever have to pay a manager up front when the job is not done yet. Like they're supposed to be in a, an agent, a manager, no matter how you break the verbiage, we're talking about, you know, 10, 20%, whatever the, the fee is, but they're taking that from what they're earning you. So got to close contracts, got to get money. The, the promoter's job is once your show is booked, it's his job to get everybody knowing that, that the event is that day, get the most eyes on it possible draw the most attention possible to it. So you have these three very important elements to what would make an artist be able to function as a business. And a producer is just as important, but not every artist has an in-house producer. So that's tricky, but you should always have that. I'd argue that most people I talk to uh, that I know do not have in-house marketing teams and in-house promotion. I'm like- Who can afford it? I don't know, but it's also, I don't know that half, I don't want to say this in a rude way, but I don't know that a lot of people would know good marketing if it slapped them in the face. There you go. And it's like, but that's a fact. It's like promotion is a thing that I'm pretty bad at. And it could be argued that my promo game is trash. Fair. But my marketing is on point because I'm really good at marketing. I'm not good at a lot of other things, but like, really understanding trends and numbers and the relationships between people and the micro and the macro and like, you know, taking myself out of the equation and like, you know, just scheming like this shit's fun for me. It's like, even knowing the difference between those two things is important. The fact that, Hey, I'm not that great at promotion, but marketing is my thing. The fact that you understand that there's a difference between the two is the big step up there. You know what I mean? Just to like, kind of break it down promotion like he was saying before is really just putting eyes on shit like that's almost all promotion is is to put eyes yeah. on things and a lot marketing of... gives the promotion the material to promote like you get that's how the chain works yeah so even in a major corporation if you look at it from a major corporation standpoint right the marketing team makes all these decisions and then the next level the salespeople or the promo team hand out this mark the, the the you know for lack of a better term the propaganda like yeah. so you get like it the, like the promoter is the spreader like the marketing of the propaganda team will like marketing make, or like think about it from a website world right a lot of people sign up for shit the marketing team is going to make the website 
They're going to run that. Uh, they're going to come up with the branding, like the slogans, the shit like that. The promo teams are probably going to be the ones that run the email campaigns and the pop-ups and the things like that that come across that. They're separate teams. Promo's job is to figure out ways to put information in front of your eyes. Marketing is the information. Like behind yeah. that suit is a concept. Like everything I do is come up with concepts and then find ways to execute these like universes and plans and cohesive things that kind of build into each other. And they're meant to tap into certain demographics and certain angles and like all of that shit's marketing. It's really just like, how do I fit into a puzzle? And how do I fit into a puzzle in a way that's not boring? <clears throat> it's basically what you were saying earlier with, I don't want to just come up with any show. My show got to be fly. Marketing is, is effectively how to be fly in a more corporate sense. And exactly. Then, Listen, marketing makes decisions like back to even the corporate thing. Like, so if you think about like, uh, in, in the hierarchy of from speak from experience that I know, like, so in the hierarchy of a telemarketing, uh, not a telemarketing, a telecom company. So if you look at it and we're, you know, for lack of a better, they're like a cell phone company, right? Like if you think about it, so what happens is marketing is sitting there deciding what plans they need to be selling. What promotions should we be having? Marketing decides all that. And then once they decide what it is, they come up with the plan and how it needs to be released and hand that to promotions in some cases. In some cases, it'll be directly to the sales force, right? Yeah, so sales would be like... Sales is basically any operation where you literally have people selling shit to people and it could be like the storefront, but that's where it gets tricky where like, honestly, it becomes like the promo team could also be your sales team if it's online. But that's exactly where it is. Promo team is effective. Even if they're not directly collecting the cash as a salesperson or making the physical sale, like they're taking all the marketing materials and they're selling selling yeah so like marketing is effectively what takes the product so let's say the product is your song marketing is what takes your because like a product is a product you make a pdf editor you make a song you make a podcast you make a whatever marketing is the packaging that makes your shit more than what it is so it's like like a good example is travis bryant where he isn't just a guy making some teddy bears and pop stars thing. It's the Dua Lipa obsession. It's all those other pieces of the puzzle that when you hear the song, you're like, you know what? This shit just makes sense. That's good yeah, marketing. Shout out to Travis, man. Yeah, that, but that's it. It is. It is. the the He created a marketing material with all the teddy bear stuff. The Like you said, the Dua Lipa. The, all of that is branding. But even then, see, that's where we can kind of divert to even the difference between the marketing and the branding. Mm, that's so fair. I'm pretty good at branding, branding. More than, I would argue, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more better at branding in the world of marketing than I am at all marketing shit. Because you could... That's what that's what Travis, like, his, his branding is on point and consistent. And that's one thing that's really, really working well. The music is coming out dope too, like, so that's important. But what I'm saying is like, in terms of the branding, like when he decided to go the teddy bear route, like he stuck with it through the themes of the projects that he, like he's been consistent with the branding. And that is super important. If your branding changes, like a lot of artists like to reinvent themselves and that's cool, but your, your branding still has to be to a certain degree consistent. You know what I mean? Like, my 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 branding has been the authenticity like on the simplest level my branding only works as like i haven't worked any other angles but the branding that ends up being beholden to me when it's feedback from other people it's authenticity like 
people know, like the people who used to listen to my old shit, I would make songs like about being broke, about window shopping. Like, like I redid 50 Cent's Window Shopper and I was like talking about how I'm window shopping and it connected with people in that way where but it's other rappers like, would rap about drugs so like, I didn't. So in the sense, like from a from a marketing perspective, the authenticity thing really is that you were able to like connect with your demo of people who related to you in a sense. You saw what was out there. You obviously heard what other people were saying and were like, nah, that ain't my life. And in a One sense, a really great example, Marlon Craft. You ever heard of Marlon Craft? I think so. I feel like I know the Look name. Look at this dude. His branding is super on point. He's a white rapper minimalist he's not out there like flexing crazy clothes and jewels the minimalist like that that's kind of where i fall into you know the spectrum marlon craft is a great example of how you can use that to your advantage like he's a dope fucking rapper but like his branding and his everything has been so on point this last year especially like and it's all just branded on authenticity it's just marlon craft being marlon craft like you don't need a gimmick if your gimmick is you. If you have a, you know, entertaining enough point of view or personality, or you can find shit that people that you think about that other people relate to, I mean, that's all the the branding you need. Now it's transforming that into monetization, where like you're you're well, that's trying where to figure marketing out goes. The branding's really cool, but let's be real: what you are doing is you're speaking for this group of people. And that's where marketing comes in. So I guess I'm pretty good at marketing too. Um, but like, that's the truth of it is your branding matches this demo. So now it's a matter of like, cause I'm in my head going, who the fuck can I perform with to optimize the overall reach of it? Right? So I'm trying to think of the names I know, like if I'm going to go charge $25 a ticket, which is what I would like to get to a point of doing when I really get to it. We're doing the early work on the parks to build loyalty on the brand and putting in that grind. Cause who the fuck am I? But at the end of the day, we're going to get to that point. Who the fuck am I bringing on a stage that makes sense with my performance? Not to say all of it. I'll book shit that has nothing to do with me performing and I'll be there hosting. Well, that's what I was going to say. Find artists that comp not not just, let's say, match, but compliment. That's like, it. Like, you want to, you know, a good show, if you ever notice, watch any good show from beginning to end, you realize like it's like a roller coaster and you need that. You need to get into those different vibes. Like I realized, so Cool Man Logan, Cool Man Logan going after me makes a lot of sense because I, I come with a more different energy, and then he brings you back down and grounds you, and I was like, say a word, I he shouldn't go after me, like you know, in the sequence of things, I I was like that makes sense to me, plus like, he'll be happier with that choice, but it's more like. It just made sense to me sonically so it's like you got to sequence the event so and then i thought clarity shit if he comes back we throw him in the mix too because that's a blend plus nobody's really stepping on toes right but the people that would come consume the content of all of our bars is not that wildly different well cool man logan's a bit out there but you can tell like it's not gonna it's gonna resonate with the same crowd and like yeah not to say that you can't cross over and do events with other things but the reality is i have performed at many shows with a bunch of trap dudes that rapped about cocaine and my audience got scared away and i'm not trying to say that i got scared away i'm trying to say that my audience got scared away and i don't know how to work around that issue yeah 
it, it's a tricky one. Like, dude, I've been I've been that dude who were my singles were very different than the street shit that was out. You know what I mean? So like, I, I've been that. You know what I mean? So the 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 question is winning people over. Like when I do a show. Like, I remember the Master Ace show. When I do a show, like, I, I put in so much energy into it and crowd interaction. So the biggest mistake rappers forget to do is to interact with the crowd. Like, you could have the illest song in the world, but if you didn't communicate with the crowd, get them involved, they're going to just stand there with their arms crossed and maybe bob their head. But if mm. you can do the good call and react, like, I learned, I learned shows from watching Run DMC videos like run the mc live performances dude illest story ever right if you think about it you can look this up so run dmc does madison square garden right this is during the time of my adidas so they had everybody rocking adidas right so run stops the show and he tells everybody to take off their adidas and throw it in the air so the whole madison square garden is holding up their adidas in the fucking air Run had them eating out the palm of his hand the rest of the fucking night. Because if you can get everybody to fucking take off their one shoe and put it in the fucking air, it's crowd control. And it only fucking shows to watch Busta Rhymes, watch the, the great performers. People tend to forget to watch the, the people who really meth, red, like these are performers. Watch them. That's everything you need to learn about controlling a crowd. You'll watch, you learn that shit. And you can take a crowd that does not even fuck with your shit or vice versa, like, and have them fucking down because they'll feel the fucking energy. Performance is such a unique thing that the song is only just a part of it. The performance is, is what catches people's attention. It's what they never forget. Like, they can forget a song. They'll never forget when you perform that song live. That's big truth. The Yo, I even remember this one time I performed my song Jimmy Says live. I was doing it live before it was recorded. Um, and then I recorded it, and the guy heard the recording, and he said, this is trash. The live version's better. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life. It happens. I have songs that the live version is better than the recorded version to me because you get to deliver it less... It's, you know, the studio is very restrictive. Not all the songs we record in the studio feel the way they feel when we write them. You know what I mean? Like, or sometimes that. you write something with a certain energy, but you go to the studio and, like, you can try and duplicate it a million times. But the minute you go live, I know, like, it's all good. When I do It's All Good live, the, the first bars when I'm like, let's get this party started, like, there's a projection in my voice that comes out that in the studio, yeah, I can do it. But when it's live, that way bigger energy like so i relate to that because at the end of the day some songs are just better live than they'll ever be recorded like, no matter what you can't bottle that energy up sometimes what's fun about live is you can fuck around with your own songs too like sometimes right? i'll change the pitch i'll just do it or like i'll do a sing part i'll try it out sometimes it sucks sometimes i'll be like i know that was trash right as they did it in the middle like you know because whatever i'm Yo, sometimes you perform the song so many times that you got to come up with some way to make this motherfucker more fun for you to perform oh, the yeah. song. Million, million Dollar Charm is one of those songs after a while of performing it. Like I kind of switched it up and all of a sudden I was doing. So what I was doing for the hook when I'm live is I was just doing the old school. Do my ladies run this motherfucker yeah. and do my dogs. And so I do that during the hook when I perform Million Dollar Charm now. 
and the the crowd gets so into it and that's the trick you have to learn performing is all about connecting with the crowd we could be on stage and dance around and move around and spit it as hard as we want and, well, but like some of us some rappers can't even look at the crowd yeah, or they forget their me. lyrics man that's wild to me yo you got i do this shit where i try not to blink I mean, as much as possible, I'll keep my eyes as wide open. And I'm, if you watch me when I perform, uh, I will blink maybe once or twice throughout an entire like song. Because every time you blink, it's like you break that little connection. Yeah. Now, I don't mind breaking it by doing some shit like dramatically looking down. That's an okay time. But when I'm like looking, I'm not supposed to be blinking. I don't know if that's like a real thing, but that was a yeah, thing no, like I is. came up with. Like, I don't consciously try and avoid blinking, but I get exactly what you mean in the sense that, like, when you make that connection, you don't want to break that connection. You you need that connection. It's like, man, like, when you get, like, a good crowd and you just, like, because you can't, like, focus. When you have, like, eight people, it's kind of easy to look at everybody. But when you have, like, a large number of people, mostly strangers, it's like you're honestly, like, bonding with each of these strangers for, like, fucking three seconds at a time sometimes and it's like this crazy rush yo i didn't even think about it till i recently started this like even standing in the street looking at strangers at cosmos i was like old people and shit walking by and i'm rapping at them and they're like well mostly positive it was really like mostly a positive reaction i think people are that starved that they'll take anything right now oh yeah and it's nice people are desperate for entertainment like their netflix queues are run out they watch everything on Amazon Prime. Like yeah, the home lifestyle is like used up all their entertainment, right? So like, people are always gonna fiend for for live talent. Like it's it's something that moves the spirit, man. Like it's not even something you consciously think of, but like people can walk by. You know, when you walk by downtown, it's like a street performer like playing the banging the drums, like a, a set of homemade drums, but. You gonna fucking stop and vibe to that shit. Even if you don't stop and you walk on by, like you, it's hard to not just bob your head because the energy's there. Like you know what I mean. We we connect to rhythm in a way that we don't always perceive it, but rhythm connects us big time. Music, that that's why music connects people. It's rhythm. Like you can take all the words, it could all be gibberish. You take all the beats, and, but as long as there's a rhythm, people will connect some way somehow like some songs give you goosebumps you never heard a word of it yet just the beat started playing and or like like, some like, like the new year's eve song isn't in english like that like new year's eve song that clips like i don't know what fucking it is it's some italian shit like when they actually sing the words it's not like in english and i'm like i don't know what the fuck you're actually saying in this song parents and shit that sing this fucking song every year and i'm like so I never learned the words because they weren't in English. But there's so many, like, things where it's, like, or even growing up, like, you would hear shit like, say, soirée la or whatever. And it's, like, even if you didn't understand everything, you know, there was a vibe to it. You know, yeah. like, and I realized, I don't know if you ever listen to Russian or German rap. That shit's yeah. wild. It sounds like it's punching you in the face, like, the whole way through. Yeah. But, dude, even, like, I'll give you an example because it just played in a show I was watching. But remember... Punjabi MC. Yes. Did that shit with Jay-Z, right? Yes. But if you think about it, yo, motherfuckers was jamming out to that. They didn't have a word. They didn't know a word that motherfucker was saying 
until Jay-Z rapped. They didn't understand a goddamn word. But trust me, motherfuckers was in the club and wilding out. Like, nah. you connected to it anyways. I mean, like, so when I went to Pakistan, right, I got to hear, like, every now and again some local shit. Yo, you don't need to understand it. It's just vibes. Or if you're in Israel and somebody's fucking singing some Hebrew shit at you, I don't, I don't fucking know Hebrew. I've gone to a bunch of synagogue shit, though, where they did all the Hebrew shit. So, like, you realize that a motherfucker praising God in Hebrew sounds like a motherfucker praising God in English. And it's like, at the end of the day, like, I don't know. Language, language communicates a lot. Like, you know when the happy time is. You know when the sad time is. You, you don't necessarily need the words, which is why, like, I find it, like, when we talk about, like, like I like how you specify your preference for bars and shit and hip-hop is what it is. Because, like, yo, sometimes, like, some of, some of what these people people criticize are doing is wildly, like, emotionally expressive while word-wise maybe simple. But the delivery, to me, comes off like an instrument to a lot. Like, there's so many things that can, like, be just be done that are... Like, if, if it was just another language and you didn't know, you'd just, like, totally accept it. You know, like, but you see, when it's rap, I love bars, right? But I love R&B. Yo, I listen to Fleetwood fucking Mac. Like, that's good, but they're good. People have no idea what, like, my playlist is so varied. Like, I can never just do, but when I like, when I listen to rap, like, the rappers I really like, it's it's not even, and, and it's never just that lyrical shit. It's like, they got to be saying some shit. Like, I want to hear some fucking intelligent shit but i want it to be said creatively but like bars I, i'm a sucker for melodies and harmonies so i can listen to a song that's not lyrically complex at all if the melodies and the harmonies are intriguing mm. to me because that plays on my emotion like my my emotional connection to music is so far beyond like one of my favorite songs is green day boulevard of broken dreams oh, that sounds amazing Another one of my favorite songs is Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, or Nirvana um, Come As You Are. Like Come As You Are from Nirvana is one of my fucking favorite songs. That, um, as you are. That's too good. I learned to play that on the bass one time. I want you to be. Yo, that's like, yo, Kurt Cobain was a genius, man. Like, yo, but the expression. I, I really get like, wrapped like up the, in the, bo- in the, like the way, box. Yo, when somebody can take like a note and be like, like when you can do that shit i'm like yo you're not even saying a word like with the song i did with meticulous i did that shit at the end i just fucking belted out like the longest note in my career because he said he could fix it i'm not pretending my delivery was amazing the the, one of my two singles that's going to come out eventually one of them's called my baby and i put like a little preview in the reels or whatever at some point but like Dude, I was in the studio with Cali. I knew I was going to sing on the song, but then when I did the hook, I, there was a part I was going to do melody on, so I did the melody, and then I was like, I wanted to add more harmony, you know? And, like, Cali was like, yo, just let loose, you know, do whatever. Don't worry about, like, you know, missing a note or whatever, Just and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it, you know? And in the end, what well, we did do some, like, auto-tune on it, it was almost not necessary. The sound that I wanted to get, I got out of it just because I believed in it enough to do it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like you do some uncomfortable shit, but like sometimes, but like, even like famous people get pitch corrected. Like it's like, yeah. like to that point, or like they, 
like auto tune has a stigma because like people be mad worried that like motherfuckers will be coming in with this nasal ass trash ass vocals and come out sounding like an angel but like honestly like any when my engineer used auto tune on me without my permission and it sounded blessed so we just ran it it was like oh say word it really was just like what i was doing but a little bit different like it was yeah, it was no different specific. than and, but it wasn't like different than him putting any other effect on my voice. It was really the big epiphany. It was like, oh, oh, really? I still have to deliver because if I'm not delivering, it's gonna sound like ass with auto tune. Yeah, no matter what. Like if you're shit, you're shit. Like it's not auto tune's not gonna save you. But like, see, when I got the Cali's, I said, look, this song is mostly singing, but I need a vocal effect, and I'm not necessarily it doesn't have to be auto tune because that's not the sound I was looking for. So I had a Kanye West joint called The Streets and the vocal effect he used on it. And I was really into that. So we found a way to not necessarily replicate that, but it was like a way to auto-tune without it being like a big, obvious, digitized voice where it still sounded natural. Like, but experimentation, like this whole project, this whole EP I'm doing with Stone, with Leon Stone, Yo, it's all like, experimentation. Rico, even if you came at it with the hard, have you heard what Carly O'Brien Brown did with Autotune? He's a great example of how, honestly, yeah. it just makes you sound saucy and you still sound like you sound. Yeah, he, but he, it has to, for me, it just has to fit the sound of the song I'm trying to do, like sonically. So right, that right. song didn't require it. But if there's a song that I'm going to do that I feel like it would sound doper, like with that effect on it, but to make it like obvious, like a really like digitized they the call voice. It saucy. That's what the kids call it. <laughs> saucy, Rico. Yeah, I would definitely throw some sauce on it, man. Like, so. You know, this Afro I'm beat talking, talking to this kid though and he's like bro like i throw some sauce on it and the girls like it more and then he, he has like simultaneously tracks that are really rough on his vocals and i understand where he's coming from i could see how when he doesn't sauce it up it isn't as appealing to both genders and then the sauce it up might not be as appealing to both genders. And this isn't like meant to be a sexist thing. It's just this is why most dudes go mel melodic. Because, yeah. I mean, R&B is, is what it is. It does what it does. It is what it is. <laughs> Dude, who wants to rap for just dudes? Like, at the end of the day, man, I think sometimes guys forget. Like, rappers trying to do that tough shit. But, like, why wouldn't you make songs for women, bro? When I made Stop Frightened, when I made Million Dollar Charm, like, I was making that to appeal to women. Fucking right. Why wouldn't you? Like, don't you want to get pussy, guy? Like, <laughs> like who the bitch is giving you pussy off the rapidly rap lyrical part. Shit? Yo, like, it's facts. Bro, even on my earlier shit, I made sure that I had this, this like, my first performance. I do my, like, whatever, whatever. And then I have my song Redemption, which was written about three separate women melded into one song. Shh, don't tell them all. Um, but, like... So I would perform that shit and I was like really inspired because I think I had seen Meyer Clarity perform and do some dramatic jump off the stage shit. So I'm like, well, fuck that. I have to do some dramatic <laughs> shit. This is my first show. So at the end of it, I get off stage and I get into stage and I just fucking kiss her right at the fucking end of it. Uh, it was lit. It worked. Everybody turned up in the room. It was like the right kind of drama. I don't know Tell that I've That was the highlight of my showmanship of terms of my own music. I'm like... <laughs> And whatever but like it made me realize like yo like nah like and then so recently 
I'm doing all my rapidy rap shit. I went down this phase where I wanted to like rap, rap, and I made some shit. And Bonnie's like, I don't like any of it. Not that she doesn't like it, but she doesn't like it. But she doesn't want to listen to it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, well, I want some shit that's home music. I listen to Iggy Azalea. I like home music. And I'm like, okay. And so my compromise was dance music, right? Just some club shit, you know? Like have some at the right BPM that motherfuckers will shake some booties to. That's what, you know, like I kind of was like, my whole catalog doesn't have this. This is wild. See, you're lucky though. At least your girl understands your shit. My girl doesn't speak English, so she has... My girl has seen me rap and knows I have rhythm, but still has no idea how dope I actually fucking am. You gotta write some French <laughs> bars. You just gotta write some no, French bars. You know, I tried that once in my life. That's not my forte, man. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't do it in French. French is so... I give so much credit to French rappers because good French rappers are better lyricists than almost anybody. Like, to really be a good French rapper, you have to be a master of words. Like, a master. Because the French language is so much more complex. Like, to be able to really, like, the guys that I consider the top of the French rap, like A+, like Connoisseur, like like Monkey. Like, these are dudes that, when they rap, like, dog, like, there's some fucking, that penmanship is great, dramatic. Like yeah, all I, know, of I just thought about I just thought about like, fucking verb conjugation in hip hop. You, I just pictured the fucking Becherel <laughs> and applied it to hip hop. It was on my now. I've never cared more about French fucking scene in my life than when I considered how hard it would be to write. You know, then I thought about it. Let's go one step further. There is easily three to four times as many words in English as there are in French. Sure, but like I know the English language like almost like a dictionary, and still I find French rap to be way more. No, complex but like already. what I mean is you have less words and more grammar, so to be like oh, pristine, yeah. you have less words to pull from, and yeah. a harder rule set. That's legitimately a fucking challenge to stand the fuck out in. Oh yeah, man! Like for real, like honestly, like I, I tip my hat to French rappers all the time, especially like see, like Monkey when he freestyles in French, bro. Like that's something like I could never understand how good he is at that fucking shit. Could because, not either. Like I could never come up with that kind of conjugation on the fly. Like, I can't. Like, I don't understand it. I'm be honest with you. Like I hear people rap, and I'm like, I can do like a small sense of French expressions, but mostly I can do business French and conversational French. And like, if the province separated, I probably don't have to move French. Like that's where I'm at with it. Like I don't have to, it would suck though. But like when we get to like hip hop, I literally, I get the like us if I understand them, but like, I don't get the doubles or triples cause I barely understand the single layer of it. Like, it's just, it's just really like hard to to like fucking pick out the brilliance in it. It really just sounds like a bunch of French words in a row, being rapped, and that like, I don't get it, and I know I'm not getting it, and I feel like as I listen to shit more, I guess fine, but then there's French slang. I've seen French text messages. I don't know fucking Quebec slang. I'm really out of the loop on my Quebec slang. I, so like I don't know anything really I just know the very base level honestly like 
like if you were to like listen to a lot of hip hop and then just try to replicate it, it would be the best thing I could do with French. Like I don't really get it. And and I don't get the language well enough to like no, I don't speak French well enough to fully comprehend the nuance without somebody literally bar by bar breaking down like every fucking thing for like a while. Oh yeah, well expressions for me in French are tricky. <laughs> like I speak good French, but there's certain expressions where I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yo, I still get like I hear things my girl will say an expression to me and I'll be like, What the fuck does that mean? Like I've no fucking idea. No. <laughs> And like even the the translation and tone. She, my girl's from Quebec, Quebec, like real Quebec City, Quebec. Like the there's expressions Quebec. that have a tone that you're like, it's it sounds rude as fuck, and it's not rude to them at all. But the shit that they said to you, and you're, I'm like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Like it's like that's fucking rude, and it's never actually meant to be rude. It's just the tone and the expressions, and it's a very different, but. People from France are always shocked by people in Quebec's French because it's two different French. Yeah. Like the Quebec wall, the Quebec sweat is like slang. Like that's like another story. It's a whole other dialect of language itself. Like, you know what I mean? But there's things I can't stand. Like I can't stand. I have certain French friends that when they write shout out, they write shout out like S-H-A-L-L-O-U-T. And I'm like, that grinds my fucking gears so bad so fucking bad <laughs> like oh my god like sometimes there's little translations like i'm like friend, i have french friends that when when they say lol it's a loy like i'm like yo it's not a it's not a one word it's a it's an acronym like how do you not like it so there's there's definitely i like to say lol translation things that, that are like fucked I, up no i hear you I appreciate that. Yo, Rico, I don't know how much longer I can push this. You wanted to oh, go no, longer. Man, you wanted to break to a record. Are, I just um, didn't want to cut the vibe. Like, but nah, I'm ready good. Like I think we're at like the end of this if we're debating. <laughs> the, 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 what grinds my gears on the grammatical choices of French friends is definitely an era where I think we pushed it in today. But I think we broke five hours, and depending on how much actually gets cut from the pee break, you may now... You're very neck and neck with Olivier Boudot as the longest fucking episode on this shit, which is, I think, something you secretly was really hoping for with one of your Facebook posts. So I'm happy that we could bring it to Oh, no, it's because you said, I, you know, that was building off of what you said about breaking the record because you kept making comments with all these episodes about breaking time records. So I was like, oh, right. man. Everybody like, like took I'm that probably... to like this fucking like level where I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. When they're like an hour, I'm like, Oh man, I can play video games today. <laughs> Trust me, yo, I feel you. I feel you. No, but no, like, man, we good. on the other good. hand, if it flows this long and like people are there and people are watching and people fucks with it, like for me, a lot of it's the comments. If I know people are, even if it's one or two people, but if like somebody like Zalmanel is clearly there for like five hours, that's dope. Like to me, that's a huge, like, it's so worth doing it. And if the conversation flows, it's dope. Like, I don't know when I'm going to talk to Rico Blocks again. We all busy. It just happens. Whatever, what happens. bro. You know you can reach out anytime, man. Yeah, but, like, we're both, like, relatively busy. So, like, as much as that's true, it's like we're both victims of our own success when it comes to the socializing of shit. So it's like a moment like this to just chop it up. That's part of why I love these interviews. Love them. Don't care if they're successful. This is fun. This is, like... 
honestly, if I were to hang out with you, it would have been this in person. <laughs> so it's like oh, we don't we don't get that done eventually, man. We gonna get that done. Um, but yeah, on that note, I really do appreciate having you come through. Honestly, this was really good chat. I like the the part twos where we can really just kind of talk about whatever and there's not as much structure to it or anything like that. So for me, they're fun. Like definitely you drop shit to think about. Like you did not leave me empty handed in terms of the new ideas. And that part's also fucking blessed because like, yo, like I don't even think I'd have half the cool ideas I have if it wasn't for all these conversations and shit. Like, weirdly enough, I think, like, you know, like, back in November, I'm learning what a sound click is for the first time, and then my last project's called the old Vince Technician, I found these on yeah. sound click. Like, it's wild how shit can go so full circle. But, yo, thank y'all for watching it, too. All the Rico Blocks' links are going to be in the down belows. So, if y'all, they're always down below. And y'all should go check out his stuff and follow it. He's, he's going to be coming with, like, the new music, so y'all should be checking and stuff. Um... I don't know what else to say at this point. I appreciate you too. Appreciate you in the future. Like, comment, subscribe. Do you have last words for the people? Keep it real, y'all. Like, just keep tuning in to bridge, bridging the gap, man. Like, at the end of the day, behind that suit, like, th this is it, man. Just keep following the platform. Like, we we get to come here and chop it up a little bit, so that's cool. But that happens thanks to everybody in the chat. Someone <laughs> with the shout out. <laughs> I see you, bro. Like, yo, but that that's what I'm saying. Like, yo, it's it's if if as long as there's an interest and there's a platform, you keep providing that. Like, so y'all need to it. just keep keep supporting, like y'all do, man. Always appreciate the chopped up session, man. But yeah, thank y'all for real again, though, and live long and prosper, everyone. Thank you.